Uh, so they're walking down the hall. They're in. Uh, they're, cha- they're They're right now. The captain's log says they're charting the Salibi uh, um, asteroid belts. So Jordy and Wes are walking. And then Troy shows up. They say, "Geez, what's going on?" Well, data sent for us. Uh, mysterious. They say, "What's going on?" And I said, "Well, ever since he got back from the cybernetics conference, uh, he's been in that lab." Troy's like, "Data's not usually secretive," and Wesley says, "Incautious." Uh, He's kept a lab, a lab locked, and Jordy goes, how did you know that? Aha. Uh-huh. And then Wes, like, walks faster than them, rings the doorbell, or opens the door, and Data's got a, a foot in his hand, a, you know, robotic foot or android foot. And he says, just a moment, please. Uh, and then he shuts the door. And then he puts the foot, foot on, and the toes curl. They put what's going on, question mark, or maybe somebody said that, uh, oh yeah, Jordy says it, and they say, Data says, I've invited you to meet someone. And he's put the platform with the android up into the ceiling, and, uh, it comes down, and it's, uh, interesting. It's, uh, it's a, a humanoid, a gold humanoid, uh, named Wall. And they say, geez, I want you to know, Lal, this is uh, Deanna Troy. And uh, she, she says, hello, Deanna, Counselor Troy, Counselor Deanna Troy. She goes, how you doing? Functioning in my, you know, normal parameters. And they say, Jordy LaForge. And Lal looks at Jordy. She says, what's up with the, the drapings, uh, father? And then behind the scenes, Wesley says, father, like, to, uh, I couldn't tell if he's saying it to Jordy or Troy, like, with WTF. And I guess she was asking about the clothes, uh, not like a rude thing about his visor. And he says, well, we wear clothes. And then Wesley goes, why did he call you father? And Data says, yes, Wesley, lol is my child. And when they say that, there's reaction shots. Uh, like uh, uh, there's a Jordy reaction shot and there's a, Joy, a Troy reaction shot and then there's a lol reaction shot. So it's just like a... It's just funny. And it's interesting. I really enjoyed this episode. And uh, especially on the, believe it or not, on the uh, sub- supplemental viewings. I'd seen this a while ago, as I do with most of these. I watched it a couple months before to try to stay ahead on the casual viewing. And then watched it uh, like in depth here. So then the opening comes and then the captain's log. It, this this I like this uh, first sequence uh, post-open. Because it's Captain Log Supplemental, and Picard's not police. He says, hey, we've learned about an unusual project that Data's up to. And then we're in the lab, and Picard's looking up close at Lal, and his face, I couldn't tell if it was, like, irritation or concern or both. And then, uh, you know, Data's talking about the uh, brain, and Jordy says, she's like, the positronic brain, and... Uh, Jordy says, no one's done that. And Dave said, yeah, like, it's a, there's a new submicron technology, though. So that's how I did it. And they transferred my brain over there. I feel like I'm missing a page, though. Or maybe, like, because uh, it, it says here that uh, the uh, commander Picard says, uh, data quietly. Oh, I would have liked, okay, no, this is so, uh, let me, let me, my notes were incomplete. 
Yeah, so then they say, he says, yeah, Wesley goes, you transferred your brain into lulls? And Dave's like, totally did that, Wesley. Uh, you know, I want to keep Dr. Soon's work going, and it's been encouraging. Uh, and so that, I did that at the conference, brought Lull's brain back with me. And that's when Picard goes, data, I would have liked to have been consulted. He's furious, I think, but a quiet fury. And Data kind of doesn't understand. He goes, Jesus, I haven't seen anybody else on board ask you about procreation first, which does bring up this whole thing about uh, that's that I've heard from even listeners about of like, uh, you know, what are the policies on board and, you know, some of this, some of this behavior. Uh, but, you know, it's just funny how Data puts it back at him. He, nobody else asks about procreation. Then Troy goes, why didn't you give it a more human look? Because Lol does not look human. Uh, uh, she looks, she's, Lol's a humanoid, but not human. And, uh, oh, it, when he says, Data says, I downloaded my brain. Picard says, Data, I would have liked, been, oh, no, we already said that, right? I would have liked to have been consulted. So then Troy says, yeah, did you give it a human look? He goes, I decided, oh, this is what, yeah, uh, uh, Data goes, I would have liked to have been, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm extra mixed up here. It may, the reason it'll be like to fill you in is that uh, this legal pad must have weak glue or something, so that all the pages, none of the pages are staying in it, and I'm, you know, trying to keep it from shuffling the pages on the mic. Um, but, okay, so she says, why does it look more human? And then Data says, well, I want my child to choose its own sex and appearance. I mean, this was 1990, so really, like, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, ahead of its time, Star Trek The Next Generation was ahead of its time, and that's not a pun, it's the truth, and, like, uh, it just was, and then, uh, but Picard, I think this is the first sigh, Picard does a lot of sighing this episode, he goes, uh, so that was sigh number one, and then he says, commander data, commander data, not more at my child, uh, commanded data, your experience. I want to talk to you. But then he also says, uh, Hey, uh, counselor, we, I, I need, I need your counseling. So him and uh, Troy are walking and he, Picard first. And this is, this is another part about the storytelling is, you know, Picard usually has his, he, he is, uh, open enough to change his mind. And a lot of these episodes follow kind of his thought progressions and this one, he starts out, he goes, no way, this is a child. It's it's an invention, a great one, uh, but an invention. And Troy goes, really, like, uh, why does biology determine it? Uh, Data created an offspring, a new life out of his own being. That's a child. If he wishes to call Lala's child, who are we to argue? And then is this side two? Does Picard already side there? Uh, also, there's another question that came up, but we'll do it at the end of the scene here. Ricard says, well, geez, I, I don't understand how a five-foot android with heuristic learning systems and the strength of ten men can be a child. And Troy says, you've never been a parent. And then I, I did wonder about uh, why does Troy wear dresses? Uh, I mean, I realize it from the television creation standpoint, you know, with low neck, like where you could you could see the nape of her neck. Uh, you know, I'm a big nape of the neck fan. That's one of my, anyway, not important, but uh, it just made me like, uh, I'm sure people have done that research. She's the only one I've seen in a dress like that. Is it betazoids, uh, counselors, or 
you know, not not to get fixated on it. It's not that important. It's just something that came up by curiosity. Uh, you never been a parent. Then they're in Picard's office, and Picard is wor- like worried. Uh, and we get to the second or the third Picard side. Uh, I think the second one. Uh, Picard's like, dude, do you realize the ramifications? Of this I'm dismayed that you didn't fill me in. And Data's just like totally innocent, like like in innocence. I wouldn't say innocent, but he says, I didn't realize you'd have objections. Should I deactivate Wall? And Picard's already come around. He goes, it's a life data. You can't just deactivate it. And he goes, well, I could do a run- restart. I could put it in a new OS. And no, he doesn't say that. He goes, this is a stupendous undertaking. He goes, just Starfleet is going to flip. Uh, and Data goes, well, I followed all the regulations. I think they're going to be happy. And Picard says, like, then it's like he's talking to his pregnant daughter. He goes, well, you've taken on quite a responsibility, Data. And somewhere in here, he sighs again. And then Data goes off topic, podcast level 10. She goes, anyway, I, to prepare for this, I scanned all literature on parenting. And, you know, there's all these different doctrines and uh, approaches. He goes, do you think she should be the happiest baby on the block or uh, what? And that's when Picard says, he goes, Data, what about a Klingon parenting approach? And Picard goes, Data, I'm not talking about parenting. I'm talking about the extraordinary consequences, again, with his daughter by creating a new life. He doesn't have a daughter. And Data goes, like, becoming a parent. And he goes, you're not ready for, what about high school? No, but he says you're seeking you're seeking to achieve what only your creator had achieved uh, another sentient android another data and then data humanizes it he says so that's why I must attempt this uh, most species want to perpetuate themselves and I haven't had that chance and then he goes to the um more neutral uh, common sense thing he goes if something happens to me it'd be lost forever but with all my continuance is assured, uh, I understand the risk and I accept the responsibilities. So, but it seemed like nervous chatter about the parenting with Data, which caused Picard to lose it. He also hangs his head when Data starts about it, by talking about parenting, and Picard even just grimacing and chewing, leaning back in his chair. I don't know if he had blush on, but his face is his cheeks are a little red. And, like, when Picard hangs his head, you know, this is, like, very uh, uh, patriarchal or parent, more parent than a just a father figure. But Data tries to, like, Picard's hanging his head down, and Data tries to lower his eyes to get to eye contact with Picard, who's looking down at his desk. Uh, and Data's, like, just a little worried, but mostly confused and curious. Then we're in the hall with Lol. That could be the, if Lol, uh, you know, if, if there was a sitcom in the halls with Wall, but Data and Troy are there. And she's pointing out people's genders um, and talking about uh, that she's going to get to choose her gender and appearance. She's actually choosing her race uh, or species. I mean, even though she wouldn't be that species, so maybe it is appearance. Uh, and Data goes, she's like got like a thousand... And she goes, well, what, what, what's this gender thing? Lal says, and Data goes, get your, download the sexuality pack, level two. Uh, that'll be the uh, parameters. Which I guess that's one thing. I mean, maybe Star Trek was ahead of its time, but, like, really, there's not, it's not going to be binary. I mean, in outer space, there's no way it's just a binary gender. I mean, 
I think on Earth we already agree on that. So, but maybe they thought that they couldn't be like maybe I don't, I don't know what they thought back then. Maybe that I mean, because especially and in, in my my underlying uh, feeling about that is the next thing uh, that appears on the screen. Like, so it's not even a, this isn't like a. A statement thing, but they go to the holodeck so that, and they, they just say, you got thousands and thousand different things you could choose from. And then Law says, Well, I think I want to be Counselor Troy. And she goes to Data, goes, No, no, you can't be, you, you, trust me, I got thousands of things. And Troy goes, Thousands. And Law says, Yeah, it, 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 it's a big decision. And then there's a little comedy. Well, they're on the holodeck and Troy's asleep, like on the floor. She's falling asleep while Lol's, uh, you know, choosing like her appearance thing. And Data wakes her up. He taps her on the shoulder. He helps her up. He goes, Lol's got it down to four. Do you want to see? And she goes, oh, yeah. So then the, the Data, like Lol's standing in front of a mirror and they run through it. And the first one, they say it's an Andorian female. But, I mean, this is where I'm like, okay, this this is beyond that. Because it's like a green creature, all green, and it's humanoid. Uh, but it also has some insect elements. So it has um, uh, antenna. Then it has, like, a big, bigger, like, longer head with, like, a hair like a beef eater or something. Like, almost like those cone heads if they had a full head of hair. And it's all green. It's outfit, it's skin, everything. And also, like, lol size, which is more like in the four, four, five foot range. And I said, well, geez, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like it's beyond, beyond the binary. Just like, I mean, like I say on the show. And, like, uh, Troy has a point. She's like, well, you'd be the only, uh, Andorian on board. Uh, then there's a human male. Troy says, very attractive. Oh, Troy also says, you know, being an Andorian makes socialization difficult, which we see is not going to be easy. Uh, then a human female, which Troy says, I like her. I just thought it was like an interesting way she said it. I like her. Uh, then a Klingon male, and Troy says, a friend for Worf. And then I guess Law reached a decision because they go back to the lab and Law comes down and she's the uh, human female who looks like maybe like a, like a, a teenager or a young adult, maybe like a college age adult. I'm not sure. Um, and Data goes, I've like done the, her anatomy and I gave her more realistic skin and eye color than mine. And she comes down and it's Troy goes, Congratulations, it's a girl. And then there are Data's quarters with Lol. And he kind of introduces her to their apartment or whatever. And she already has, like, a lot of facts that she's downloaded. So this is interesting. I like this scene, too, because uh, he shows her paintings, and she knows the facts about paintings. And Data says, well, I'm going to teach you about the artistry. Then she's tactile, so Lol sits down, and she says, ooh, and the sofa. She says, oh, it's soft. And uh, Data says, very good. There are many fascinating things I want to share with you. Then she gives the, these uh, flower arrangement a real aggressive look, uh, and she says, painting. And Data goes, no, it's a flower. Smell it. And she goes, smell. Show me more, Father. So she's very uh, excited and interested. And then there's like a montage of her learning. She's a vis- She's not a visual learner. 
And she has trouble drinking liquids and ball catching. So it's kind of a little bit of a comedic sequence uh, where she's spilling drinks, which she gets better. And there's also data kind of teaches her how to blink. Uh, Then there's a shot of her eating ice cream and then drinking properly and wiping her mouth with a napkin. I think data wanted to do that. The scene's just catching up here. It was like green ice cream, I think, too. So I said, "Was that is that an Dorian ice cream or or what?" Uh, but I think she data tries to rub her mouth or what wipe her mouth or points to it, and then she wipes it. Uh, then they're in the lab with Wesley, and they just do some basic exposition, which is interesting. Uh, Wesley and Data say, Jesus, Data says, yeah, it's pretty easy. Like, each your brain's a duplicate of mine. Like, uh, so they should be, should work pretty much the same, but we don't know for certain. And then this was, this was seen as a parent, or Wesley goes, what's Lal do while you're at work? And he says, she studies. Uh, she doesn't need any supervision. She's self-sufficient. And I was like, okay, no, that's not, uh, that's not true. Uh, and then Wes says, well, why doesn't why doesn't she go to school? And Data goes, she's only two weeks old uh, or uh, with kids with his own age. And then uh, Wesley goes, well, kids around her age. And then uh, Dr. Crusher calls and she goes, Wesley, aren't you supposed to be getting your hair cut? Like, find my friends is on. And Wesley goes, parents, uh, they just don't understand. Just like Will Smith said, 25 years, actually around the same time this episode came out. And then uh, Data works on Lol. And then Lol, like, awakens. She says, what's my purpose, Dad? Like, uh, this is pretty young to be asking a special purpose, you know. And uh, Data, she goes, the reason for my being. He goes, well, that's a complex question, uh. He goes, but I can tell you our function is to contribute in a positive way to the world in which we live. I like that. She goes, well, why me? And he goes, so she's getting precocious because you're my child. Well, where did I come from? And Data's, Data's very good at, uh, so he goes, your question suggests our transfer was successful with your heuristic pathways. So now we're going to move on to logic, aesthetics, metaphysiology, and something else that's complicated beyond a human me. And he goes, you're becoming sentient. And she goes, how? And he goes, well, by developing awareness uh, to question your perceptions. And then she goes, why do I have two hands? Why not three or four? Why is this guy? And then Data puts her in sleep mode. He goes, tomorrow school starts. Never saw data try to calculate like college costs or anything like that. Uh, then Picard's on a call with uh, the Admiral. Oh, who's, uh, whose name I was going to look up. So I'll do that in a second here. Picard has sign number three when he's talking to the Admiral. Admiral Haftel, I think is his name. Because uh, he wants uh, Lal to come to the Galore 4. It's like a new science lab or something. And Picard goes, well, we're supposed to be seeking out new life, and uh, that's exactly what we're doing. And he says, well, it's about the android and Starfleet, bro. And then uh, he says, uh, he goes, it's Data's child. And he goes, child? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's not easy to understand, but uh, they're going to stay here. 
And Haftel says, uh, this research policy is clear. You're not standing on uh, clear ground. It's going to fall out from under you. And the actor looked very familiar. His name's uh, Nicholas Coster. And at first I said, is this guy, like, where do I know him from? And it looks like he's been in a lot of things. But he was like, uh, I think he looks like the dude um, from, uh, <laughs> never mind. My brain just went blank. Uh, uh, show in Vermont uh, with one of my heroes who somehow his name I can't remember. Uh, it's a comedian, brilliant comedian. Anyway, well. You know what I mean, uh, like his handyman, but it's diff- a different actor, I believe. Uh, so then uh, Data is having a parent, his first parent-teacher conference. Uh, uh, bonds, there's bonsai trees in the teacher's office and in the classroom. You get a view, shot at daycare or the middle grammar school. And it's, you know, it's like the lulls not, not adjusting to school. She's an android and... Uh, so it's not easy for her. There's not a good age group for a grown android. You know, I think there's been huge comedies based on this whole idea. But for Wall, it's very reminding because she's they're observing her, uh, Data and the teacher. And she tries to cover up when she realizes they're observing her by looking at the bonsai trees. It really, really, uh, like, uh, I don't know, I thought it was just a great little shot, uh, uh, to kind of create a great emotional connection with the wall and to kind of, you know, to trigger your own memories about this kind of stuff and done with like a light touch, which is, you know, important with this, at least to me. I, I love that. Uh, then wall and uh, data are on the lift and she goes, Dad, what does laughter mean? And he goes, well, it's a reaction to humor. And she goes, well, I must be hilarious. Then. And data goes, no. You know, the kids are unsure about, you know, like, uh, you know, he just talks about laughter at school, which we like, uh, he goes, you know, they're, 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 they just don't, they're like parents. Like Wesley said, parents just don't understand. Kids just don't understand either. And like they say, well, that's, that's, that's tough stuff. And, uh, Data goes, you know what? I'll, I'll ask someone with some serious wisdom, Dr. Beverly Crusher. So he goes to Dr. Beverly Crusher to get some parenting advice. Because he says, geez, if parents don't understand and kids don't understand and admirals don't understand, and initially Jean-Luc Picard didn't understand, and Riker is off uh, off duty, who, I mean, Guinan understands, but we don't get there yet. And Guinan usually understands with a, uh, her understanding is a silent acceptance, like knowing that it's all going to work out. So Data goes to Dr. Crusher for advice, and uh, what does it say? Something, most difficult stage. Uh, what he says, she said, like, uh, what's this? Can you tell me about some parenting stuff? And she goes, uh, Data goes, she doesn't even have feelings, but she, uh, she, she's passing in a sentience, the most difficult stage of her development. And Crusher goes, yeah, Wesley had trouble. He was very bright, so it made it hard for him with school. And Nada says, what did you do? And Crusher goes, this is a very good uh, lesson in either empathy or compassion. She goes, well, I remember what it was like for me in school. And, you know, I remember the times it wasn't easy. And then I told Wesley 
about that, and it made him feel a little bit better that I knew I understood what he was going through. And I was like, Dr. Crusher could make the podcast that puts you to sleep, uh, at least that part of it. And Wes, the data goes, geez, I haven't tried that. Uh, I thought it would discourage her, but maybe that was my error. And Crusher goes, well, you don't have to have uh, uh, experience going through sentience. Uh, She has you. Just help her realize she's not alone and be there to nurture her when she needs love and attention. And Dave says, well, I can give her attention, but I don't know if I can give her love. It's not in my, you know, programming. And he walks away and Crusher says, now, why do I find that hard to believe? Like she believes, uh, uh, you know, in Data's love. That would be a good obscure T-shirt for Dr. Crusher to wear. I believe in Data's love. I believe in the power of Data's love. Probably was people would think you're like uh, in some strange movement. Uh, then we have, uh, let's see. Then we have Picard in bed. He sleeps on his back, or at least he's in a robe. Uh, at least when we catch him, silver sparkling sheets. And the admiral calls him, or Worf calls and lets him know the admiral's on the phone, which brought me up to, like, how do time zones work on Star Trek? And, like, is this a power play? To, to, like, like, they have one time zone, and then, the, like, the admiral's just waking Picard up. Because uh, he says, I hope it didn't disturb you, even though Picard's in a robe, chest out. And Picard says, not at all. I don't get disturbed. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I do or I recover from it earlier, so I'm ready. What's up? And he goes, I'm not happy about this, so I'm going to come by and check out this android. And if I'm not satisfied, you know, I'll take it. Goodbye. And so uh, then we have a captain's log. I don't know if there was there. Yeah, there's an ad break there. And then there's Captain's Log. We're waiting for the Admiral Half-Tell. I'll tell you what, he said not half of anything. He's a whole, whole, you know, with an A at the beginning of it. So he's a whole and then a, then another hole with an A in the middle, I guess you'd say. And I don't normally say that about characters in Star Trek. I mean, there's been ones I've been, it just it kind of got out of my nerves. But I guess he, you know, it represents that, uh. Then we have Data doing some more transfers to Lol with something like that uh, magnetizes to her forehead. And this was a question I've been holding on to. I had it right away in the episode, but it, like, it was answered, so I figured I'd wait till it was answered here. Is that uh, why the name Lol? You know, why did Data come up with that? And it's because it means beloved in Hindi. So there's another pet name. I started calling, you know, it's a very nice, really, I loved that. Uh, so I thought that was beautiful. And then they go to 10 forward, they see Guinan and Lol's like, uh, really doing some hardcore people watching, uh, like, oh wait, I was going to run. Okay. Actually, I'm going to run through this, uh, uh, cause they get there, Guinan's working and Lol's just like staring at everybody. She like almost walks right up to somebody, some people. And she, her head is like on a swivel. She also looks like a bit intoxicado. Uh, they say, she's I'm fine. Uh, thanks. Uh, and the data says, geez, can you get a job? And Lol's kind of staring off. Uh, she wants to learn about people. She'll, she'll like, uh, assist you. 
And she goes, it'd be, I can deserve something. It'd be, obviously, it'd be great to work with someone so old as you. This cracked my daughter up. Uh, I mean, my guy is like thousands of years old. She goes, okay, you're hired. Uh, the key is the art of listening, which I'm pretty good at. Uh, and Lowell goes, well, I know 1,400 beverages, too. Ive, and then Guinness says, did you just use Ive? And uh, that's a contraction. Data can't use contractions. I didn't know this. Uh, he goes, my pro- programming wasn't able to uh, master that. You've exceeded my abilities. Uh, I don't even know how this happened. Data's mind is blown. And then Picard says, Data, you got to get down here. Uh, we got a meeting. So Data goes to walk out, but he stares back at Law and Guinan. Again, it kind of gives him a head, like, it'll be okay. But it's like a long look back. Uh, then, uh, let's see, Picard calls. The data heads out, stops at the doorway, looks back. And then Data and Picard. Picard's, like, leaning on the front of his uh, edge of his desk. Uh, and he's like, they want to, uh, Gyne, or they want uh, Wall to come to this, uh, some annex, uh, uh, the Daystrom Annex on Gallo Four. I said, "Why? Why is it an annex? Why shouldn't? It, why can't it be the Daystrom Building? That seems like a ripoff." Uh, also, I'm not positive what an, I thought an annex was like a building on a building. Uh, so he says they, that's where they want him to go. Data's like, "Nah." Uh, he goes, "Oh, they're going to relocate us there," and he goes, "No, just her." And Data goes, "Yeah, I'm not in favor of that." Uh, there's many things she could learn from me. You know, I got a lifetime of experience here and mistakes I've made that I've learned from, just like a parent. So I guess between Crusher and this, parents do under, can understand sometimes. Then they call Riker's back. Uh, and then Riker says, tell Riker I'll see him later. And then Data says, is he, is this Admiral questioning my parenting abilities? And Picard goes, I guess kind of. And then he goes, does he have children? And Picard goes, kind of, yeah, I guess so. And he goes, well, geez, I wonder if anybody judged him when he was a new parent. And so, yeah, Data's not pleased. We had signed like three or four with Picard. Uh, then we have Guinan and Wall, uh, and Lal, like uh, watching uh, like a canoodling couple, uh, lovers, I'd say. The dude's in a mock turtleneck. Uh, he's not in uniform. His date is in a uniform. And I was like, what in the heck? Like, uh, uh, I don't know, like a, like a, not even a lime green, a strange green mock turtleneck. Uh, and she's like, what are they doing? They said, like, cause first of all, it's like when they start kissing, she does, she, she doesn't like that, you know? And this is all around 26 minutes. Uh, and she goes, well, no, they're kissing uh, lol. And she goes, what's kissing? And then they get up to leave. She goes, why are they leaving? I was watching this with my daughter. Luckily, she, there was a noise when they. she said, why are they leaving? She goes, your father, I have to teach you about that. And then Riker comes in and Lal, like, uh, guy in there, like, has to take an order or something. So Lal's, like, pretending to clean the bar and, like, uh, acting all casual. And she's like, hey, you know, hey, sailor type motions. And Riker, he goes, uh, you're new here, around here, aren't you? And I guess that's the power of Riker. I mean, he did slide right up to the bar. And she pulls him across the bar and she kisses him. 
right when Data walks in, and Data's like, or Guinan's like, wow, wow, put him down. And Riker's kind of stunned, but also amused, uh, or bemused. You know, we always talk about that. And he pulls his jacket down, and then Data goes, what are your intentions with my daughter, bro? And Riker goes, your daughter? Holy mackerel. And then he goes, nice to meet you. And then he rolls right out. So it was like a little bit of a, I don't know, it was funny. It was just a little comedic scene. I mean, it gets to balance this episode out. They needed that. And there, uh, there was like a funny guys at the end of the bar, uh, like, uh, I don't know, just watching the whole thing unfold. It's worth watching. Also, I put like, this is right, like when Riker gets back, his first stop is 10 forward. Because he checked in with Picard, and they said, well, geez, I need, like, about a half hour or whatever. So Riker goes, well, let me see what's uh, going on in 10 forward. You know, I get that Riker swagger. Let me see how it does up there. And then we have a scene with uh, Wall where she's kind of feeling some frustration and confusion about humans, which we used for the opening. Where she goes, geez, like, is this what we do, Dad? We just observe humans, but we don't, we can't, uh, and we emulate them. We don't have uh, emotions. And she's like, just what a ripoff. You know, basically this is a total ripoff. You know, we're just copying humans. And uh, he goes, well, he goes, it's a struggle. Like, uh, we're trying to be good people and uh, it's not easy. And that yields its own rewards. And then he teaches about holding hands, a symbolic gesture of affection. And even as a teacher that you hold palm to palm, like she was holding it the other way, which is pretty good. Uh, also, I, well, a couple of things back. I forgot when they're at the bar, Lol still stands on her tippy toes to observe things with her kind of chin up. Uh, 2631, that's when Riker rolls in. And let's see. Uh, like, oh, they they like also kind of look like they were going to short circuit when they're holding hands a little bit. It was a nice moment, but also it was like uh, something off. Then there's an ad break. Then we have the Admiral and Picard drink, sipping a couple Earl Greys. Uh, Picard stands while the Admiral sits. Uh, there's a book. The book's open. I couldn't tell if it was open to pages. Uh, Picard's book under glass, like if it was related to the episode. Uh, but they're going back and forth. You know, those two are not getting along. And, you know, he goes, you know, basically the Admiral's like, my way or the highway. And Picard goes, I thought you were going to form an opinion. Uh he goes, I don't need opinions. I know what I'm doing. And Picard goes, I get your concerns, but why don't you have an open mind about it? Uh, Wall and Data staying together during their formative years and then uh, sending her off. And he goes, well, that's not satisfactory. And he goes, uh, they, you know, they're both, they're both like, what's best for Wall? And then Haftel says, well, you got a sentimental attitude for androids. He stands up and Picard goes, they're sentient beings, bro. I was at a trial where we, you know, set up their rights and privileges. And Haftel says, yeah, great. Anyway, Lal's actually a step forward. Uh, and we got to control things. Uh, and Picard goes, data is. And, and then he says, in isolation, so they go back in force. Uh, then they go to the lab. Data's testing the thing on his forehead that he uses to transfer stuff to Lal's brain. And then there's interesting shots because Admiral and Data are talking across the Lal lift, I called it, the thing that lifts Lal up. Uh, and then the Admiral, a couple times he tries to fool Data. 
Yeah, first they're talking about a program, and he goes, huh, so uh, you're doing a great job. You know, they talk about the uh, her feelings and using uh, whatever you call those things, uh, contractions. And he goes, geez, you're a good father, so wouldn't it be great if, uh, you know, with this new stuff that's happening, you know, you had her uh, where there's a lot better training people? And Data goes, uh, well, I'll need to model, parents model, bro. And I'm the only model available, modeling behavior. And then he goes, well, you don't really even, you're not the best model for behavioral norms. Uh, and then he goes, where's the lol anyway? And also I was wondering where the heck the robotics guy is in this episode. He doesn't come up once. Uh, also, I forgot his name, so it's a good thing he didn't come up. But he does come back up in Data's day. So uh, then they go to this, he, this admiral's like a teetotaler, but he's not uh he goes, what, you have Lol in a bar? So they go up there, and he's all he's been out of shape. Uh, Guinan goes, dude, this isn't your first bar. So who who are you? You know, he goes, what's she going to learn? Uh, nothing about being human. And he's all been out of shape. He stares at Wall like uh, Lol, and he says, I want that thing out of here, or Android out of here. Uh, that's when Guinan says, oh, Admiral, you've, you know, you've been in your first uh and then there's like a nice close at the end, and Guinan, who's like, uh, I don't know, I like that close up of Whoopi. Then they have a conference. At first, there's like an overhead of shot of Picard and the Admiral, like shot all the way from above. Uh, then Lal comes in, and then the like Admiral's again trying to play politician. Hey, Lal, great to meet you. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, got this great spot on Galore 4. I think you're going to love it. And Picard goes, what he means is they want to move you there. And Law goes, am I in trouble? He goes, oh, no, no, no. Broaden your experience. Uh, Starship's too small for you, right? And she goes, oh, right. And he goes, great. Uh, And Law goes, yeah, when I've learned everything there is on the Starship, then I can come to Galar 4. He goes, "Uh, no. And Picard goes, Admiral thinks you need more guidance than your father. And like Admiral goes, yeah, I love your father. She goes, it doesn't, Lal says, you don't sound like it. Uh, and he goes, she's adversarial. And she goes, no, it's a fact. You, you know, I, you know, analyze your voice patterns or whatever. And then he says, I don't think your father taught you selective judgment. You know, keeping your mouth, like in this, this, this one, I was like, this admiral's unbelievable. He goes, we could teach you that, uh, you know, to quell your opinions. Uh, and she goes, my father's got it, bro. And he goes, uh. He goes, I don't think he does. And she goes, are you asking me? He goes, no. And then she goes, why are you finishing your sentences with question marks? And she goes, that was rhetorical. That part didn't happen, but it could have. Subtextually, it did. And uh, she she goes, I, I, she just ignores him. Because uh, Picard says, well, what are your wishes? Well, she goes, I wish to remain here, Captain Picard. And he goes, okay, I'll see you later. And then everything kind of, like, she's looking up at Picard. Then she leaves, and she's sad, and uh, she's walking. And we see Troy's room. She's doing some flower arrangements, and Lal comes in. She's very not happy, upset. Troy's very em- empathetic. She says, uh, geez, Lal, you're not, you're not feeling great, are you? Uh, she, re- she rephrases Lal's language. And Lala goes, I'm feeling something. She's touching her gut, her sternum. She goes, how is that possible? And Troy goes, I don't know. And she goes, she goes, oh, this is what it means to feel. This is what it means to feel. 
And then Lol heads off, uh, you know, like just muttering, and Troy follows her. Then there's an ad break. Then there's another conference. So a lot of conferences with the resistant Admiral. This one's with Data and uh, Picard. And, again, Admiral tries this BS. He goes, you're doing a great job, uh, Data. So good. You, we need to take your daughter with us. And he goes, why? He goes, one irrefutable thing. Uh, there's only two suing androids, and we can't have you both in the same place. You know, just like a doubt, you know, just like a computer backups. And Picard goes, that's a great one, a great one, but uh, best place for Lull is still at Data's side. And he goes, well, you're not a parent, Captain. Uh, you know, I learned, if, 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 and this is what I was watching this with my daughter. This is what Haftel says. He goes, you're not a parent, Captain. I am. I've learned that with difficulty, there comes a time when all parents must give their children up for their own good. And my daughter shouted. She goes, Lull's two days, two days old. So even my daughter didn't like the admiral. It's also true. And Picard goes, this isn't the time. She, he agrees. Uh, the umbilical cord is virtually uncut. The child depends on him. And then he goes, no, no, no. He goes, uh, he goes it'd be better data if Lal thinks she wanted, you know, the old uh, uh, trope. He goes, break up with her, send her away, even though we're forcing you. And then Data says, listen, dude, when I came up with Lal, I wanted her to become a member of Starfleet uh, to give back. Uh, but she's my child. I'm not volunteering her up. Uh, it would violate every parenting lesson I know. It brought life into my world. It's my duty to guide her through these years and prepare her to be a contributing member of society. No one can relieve me from that obligation. I'm her father. And Haftel says, uh, yeah, well, I don't care. And Data almost, uh, let's see, when that happens, Data does something. Yeah, I put another load of BS from the Admiral. Uh, Picard at some point says, damn it, I don't know when that is. Uh, maybe I said it. Uh, uh, Picard, oh, it's very testy. But when he says, I'm regretting, we're just going to take her. Data, like, twitches and pops up in his chair. But he's also, like, ready to take orders. And Picard goes, belay that order. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, I'll, Picard goes, I'm going to talk to Starfleet. And Haftel says, I am Starfleet. Uh, and then Picard says, hold your ground, Data. No way. And Haftel says, uh, you're jeopardizing your career, command your career. And Picard smiles, uh, with total confidence, he goes, there's times when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. They're sentient, and you got to acknowledge their freedom and their liberties. And they gets mildly political. Hand a child over to the state, not while I'm his captain. He goes, you can, he goes, we can, we'll do it together, uh, Admiral Haftel. And it made me think about, uh, like, fan fiction kind of in some sense of, like, uh, is Picard this within Starfleet? Is Picard like a rebellious figure? And they're like, could you, they're like, what's beyond Deep Space Nine? Not, I haven't seen Deep Space Nine, but they're like, what's beyond? Like, where's the outer base? Send Picard. Can you? Where's the? You know, send him out beyond the uh, politics. But sometimes he, you know, somehow because he's a good person, he finds his way into these situations uh, so he can resolve them. But then Troy calls right when everything's tense. We got data. You got to get down to the lab. Uh, you know, so something's up with the law. 
then they're in the lab, and uh, like Troy's like, it's always malfunctioning. And Data goes, uh, well, she's supposed to return to the lab. And Lal's eyes are open, but she's not seeing. She goes, Father? He goes, yes, Lal, I'm here. And they're talking about how she became emotionally aware. And Ricardo goes, that's a malfunction, huh? Weird. But it's causing some uh, system failures. And Data goes, it doesn't look great. And again, just something about Data's humanity triggers the humanity in these other characters. Uh, because Half-Tell says, let me help, please. Uh, and then he goes, excuse us, Data, Commander Data, and I have much work to do. Then we have a call back to the opening of the episode because Jordy, Troy, and Wesley are waiting outside the doors. And the commander comes out. He's wringing his hands uh, like a surgeon, stressed. And he goes, he goes we tried our best with this, with this android. Uh, uh, but he goes, uh, like, uh, he goes oh, she, she, uh, she's been uploaded to the great farm in the, the great digital farm in the sky. And let's see, Admiral changes his tune. Oh, at the very end, the Admiral holds up his hand. He says, his, he's talking about Data. His hands were moving so fast, he refused to give up. Uh, uh, then we have Data and Wall spending the last moments uh, looking into one another's eyes. Uh, Data goes, yeah, I can't reboot you. Uh, goodbye, Wall. And Wall says, I feel. And he goes, what, did you, what, what do you feel, Wall? And she goes, I love you, Father. And Daddy says, I wish I could feel it with you. And she goes, I'll feel it for both of us. Thanks, Dad, uh, for bringing me new existence. And then she kind of does a run through. She goes, flirting, laughter, painting, family, female, human. And then she gets uploaded to the great cloud at the farm. The clouds above the great farm in the sky, I guess. And again, this is like one of my fun, funny things about Star Trek is that it's like uh, so pro-human. I don't know if they're send, if they're not sending this in outer space about how great humans are. They should be because their last word is human. It just I starred that. I, again, I don't think this is human. I don't think you can use jingoism for all of humanity because I think it just means pro one country. But, you know, get, anyway, it's got uh, satellites shooting his stuff into outer space. Get these going uh, so that, uh, you know, propaganda, so people think we're great or other. So uh, then Data goes to the bridge, uh, and everybody looks up, uh, and Data said, yeah, Lull's uh, in the big farm. And Picard goes, the entire crew's saddened by your loss, Mr. Data. And Data goes, ew. He goes, thanks, uh, but she's here. And he points his, to his brain. And he goes, her presence so enriched my life that I, you know, I, I uploaded her into my in my brain. I transferred her memories into mine. And Sophia goes, that is weird. My, like, and I agreed with her. I said, well, that's a little weird. Um, and then it's straight back to work uh, with this crew. He goes, Mr. Data, Picard says, Mr. Data, take your position. Mr. Crusher, lay in a course for... Uh, Otar 2, and, uh, you know, they say, course is set, engage, but Data has a long, like, three-second stare, a uh, thousand-league stare into space, uh, and that episode comes to a close, and, you know, we've learned that, uh, you know, like, like uh, Dr. Crusher gives great advice, uh, you know, we've learned uh, that this crew has a lot of assets, uh, all right, good night.
I want to say thanks and good night to some people who are showing uh, Patreon or on PayPal. Julie, thanks and good night. Andrea, thanks and good night. Nancy, thanks and good night. Thanks and good night to Monica. Thanks and good night to Thomas. Uh, thanks and good night to Renee. Thank you and good night to Lori. Uh, thank you and good night to Julie Z with an E. And then thanks and good night to Julie I. Uh, with a D, thanks and good night. Thanks and good night to David. Thank you and good night to Victoria. Uh, thank you and good night to Raina. Thank you and good night to Carol. Good night and thanks to Donna. Uh, thanks and good night to Melissa. Uh, good night and thank you to Rebecca. Uh, good night and thank you to Hannah or Hannah. Hannah or Hannah. And then over on Venmo, I say thanks to good, good night and good night to Nicole and Julianne. And thanks and good night to Laura P. Thanks and good night to Allison P. Different P, but you know, and thanks and good night to Maddie. And good night and thank you to Melissa. Thanks uh, for the support. And I would say thanks and good night for iTunes reviews from CMA2122. Subscribe. I almost never make it past the explanations at the beginning. Distracts my thoughts and puts me at ease. Uh, amazing stuff. Thank you. Uh, I don't do reviews, uh, says Steve uh, Y123456. But then Steve goes on to say thank you. Uh, five stars. Thanks, Steve. Uh, LEP says 100% success rating. One of my favorite podcasts, and I listen to a lot of them because without fail, it puts me asleep and never been able to fall asleep so easily or stresslessly before. So I'm happy to recommend it. Uh, 20 out of 20 times. Thank you so much, Allie. And how about Sarberger? Sarberger. Uh, the best way to fall asleep. I've had trouble falling asleep since I was a child. Tried so many things and no success to this podcast. Scoot's voice is the best. I listen to it when I'm trying to fall asleep. Thanks. Thank you. How about watch tan? Don't know how, but it works. And <laughs> good, good, good things. Neither do I use this on long airplane rides, hotels, and even my own bed. Took a few times, but now it works without fail. Thanks, Scooter. Your dream. Thanks, watch tan. How about Simon from the UK? Never fails to put me to sleep. This is my go-to when I wake up and my mind's running. Thanks, Simon. And then from the NBA, Kyle. Kyle NBA. Love it when I can't sleep without it. The best. Thanks. And then V-San from Canada. Never finished an episode, and that's a good thing. Been dealing with insomnia, but fall asleep within 15 to 20 minutes. Thank you. And then speaking of the Beatles, uh, Hey Judette says, uh, Judy, 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 sleep. Uh, uh, so relaxing and funny. If you find yourself staying awake till the end, you won't be that disappointed you didn't fall asleep. Give it a few uh, listens on my second one. I fell asleep. Thanks. Uh, at Barajas uh, says, uh, great and effective. Uh, have issues with insomnia. Podcast has helped immensely. I'm not sure I've ever stayed awake longer than 15 minutes. Great job, Scooter. You're improving the quality of my life. Wow, thank you. And finally, VV for sure it, uh, for sure it, uh, uh, best podcast, most value. Started listening to this podcast on a whim because I have trouble overthinking while going to bed. The podcast helps me relax and I stay up all night thinking. Oh, I like this. It's the elbow grease that quiets the cogs in my brain. Thanks, Scoots. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Vivi Fusurit. Thank you for sure.
And thanks to everyone who uh, reviews the podcast or does anything. You can do that over at uh, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. And that's it. Good night. All right. So we're talking about Season 5, Episode 24. Uh, the next phase is what we're going to be talking about next. Uh, and it uh, starts with the Enterprise. Mid, we're in, like this one. We're mid action. I forgot. I read. Uh, I forgot what that's called. Mise, it's not mise en place or mise en scene, uh, but there's a word for it when you open in the middle of the action. And they're on their way to try to help a Romulan vessel. Riker's even in action. Uh, so Picard, Picard and Data are working on it. Uh, then we're, I think Riker's down. Yeah, Riker, like, they're walking. As soon as he comes on screen, they're moving. He's with uh, Jordy and Worf and Roe, Ensign Roe. I don't know if we've seen Ensign Roe yet. Uh, I, I did see the episode Ensign Roe, but we haven't covered it on this uh, thing. Uh, but Ensign Rose a little bit rebellious. Uh, she's wanting to bring a, a phaser with her. But Riker's like, no, 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 we're, we're on a rescue mission. And let's see, let me give you the, there's not a commander's captain's log. We know there's a Romulan ship. It's in, having an overload. And they're in trouble. Then Riker, they transport over. Then they transport over. We see the ships in, like, uh, it's, had, it's had a little uh, accident. Boo. Someone spilled something. And they also like when you know when you over like overboil something or something like it like that. And uh, the, the uh, let's see, uh, they they phase in or they transport in Riker, Worf, uh, Roe, and Jordy. Sorry, Commander LaForge. And we see oh we see people coughing a little bit. Uh, they said, "What did you burn the toast?" Uh, and there's the extinguishers. They say, well, if you burn the toast, we got to, like, uh, uh, Riker, let's see, what does Riker say? He says, hey, we're from Enterprise. We got your call. And one of the uh, Romulans says, the Enterprise, hey, oh, boy. You guys are, he doesn't say you guys are legends, but he says, by that swagger, his eyes said this, by that swagger, I can see you maybe, maybe you're, uh, that Riker dude, uh, no, he said it like Enterprise. I said I put WTF, or is it a like? Sometimes people get irritated with my notes, but this is the truth. It looks like I wrote S U S P I C A C E. So super su- su- suspicase. WTF? Like, why do you say uh, the Enterprise, uh, or is it a suspicious or something? Maybe that's what I said. Uh, Jordy and Roe, they go right to work on engine. They don't ask anybody where anything is or anything. And it's underneath like a console. Weird spot for like a critical engine part. It's like almost like, a, you know, like it's it's just weird. It's like built into the base of some console. But they start working on it oh, instantly, as soon as they get in. And then, then they say, where are your replicators at? Which brings up a great Star Trek question I don't have an answer to, but I'm sure there is one about the rules of the world. Is what can and can't you replicate? Because like, obviously I guess they can't replicate the engine. But at first I thought they were going to do that. Also, this one has been answered because you can't replicate love, I guess. Apparently I asked that on a secret forum. And I got an answer instantly that you can't replicate love. <laughs> so... 
but I'm not sure about engines. Uh, so that's interesting. Riker's a little bit testy, or is he just loud and authoritative? I don't know. But he's giving out orders. Uh, he's like, where are the replicators? Who's in charge? They say they're offline. And then they say, who's in charge? They say, well, the science officer now, the captain's out. He was, uh, he, he went out for breakfast because his toast was burnt. A big farm breakfast, as you humans say. And then Riker says, well, geez, we got to, I think they were going to, they said, Riker says, we're going to move the generator back to replicate it. So Jordy and Roe, uh, maybe, oh, that must be the backup generator. So Jordy and Roe do that. They call uh, Brosimer or something, uh, a, new, a chief I'm unfamiliar with. And then they go, they, they're, they're going to head back uh, to people in a piece of equipment, Jordy says. Uh, but it's a no-go. The, the transfer, the uh, energizing and the... Uh, why can't I think of these things? Like, this is really, this is a, like, uh, whatever the, tra- the transporting does not work. They don't transport in and they don't, they, they transport out, but they don't go in. And last time we saw this happen was with that ambassador, and that was like an inside job. But this one, at least they say, uh, Riker says that she, they say, uh, they, they didn't get to, first they say, okay, we can't get them to the Enterprise, so let's just send them back. And then Riker's like, where are they? And the chief says, well, I don't got them. Riker says, where are they? And she goes, I can't find them. And then she does a little bit more, and they, she says, we've lost them. And I think that was the open. Uh, yeah, because then it opens on the bridge with a close-up of Captain Picard's hands behind his back, tapping, like, nervously, but he's looking for answers. Fixied John looks to Troy. I don't know what that means. Uh, Fixied John... You know, he puts his knee up, he's standing behind Data, he says, Data, can you run, uh, uh, like, uh, to, to figure it out and uh, uh, do a diagnostic? And he goes, uh, he goes, no, find them? He goes, no, I can't find them. And he goes, Counselor Troy? She goes, no. She just shakes her head. And he calls Riker, and Riker's like, Captain, you know, I realize there's a lot going on, but we've got, we need some, uh, we need a graviton generator. I need crew over here. And Picard says, you know, Data, like, try, like, try, try to figure it out another time, but, like, uh, get over there for now because uh, we need some engineers on that ship. And then he says, uh, uh, Mr. McDowell, uh, uh, get, get call the shuttle bay and have all ships and pilots uh, standing by. That really caught my attention. I said, holy uh, fan fiction. I'm not really familiar with the life of a, like a shuttle. I guess that could be a sleep with me uh, fan fiction. Uh, the life of a shuttle pilot. Let's see. So Riker business at hand. Yeah, they said, wow, that is some fine fic- fan fiction. Uh, Riker and the science officer are on the uh, Romulan ship trying to fix things. And then Worf's like, dude, we're sealed off in here. We like, uh, we can't get to the rest of the ship. There's like, uh, like 76 Romulans around. And they're like, we got some Mikols or something. Like, and they say, well, how are we going to stop this overload? And they're like, we don't know. We can't get to the main mainframe. And Riker's like, we got to ditch the engine core is what we've got to do. 
He goes, do you have an auto-eject system? Yeah, they said, yeah, but it's not auto and it's not ejecting right now. we got to do it manually. So he says, Worf, uh, you two, uh, he goes, get, help him, get on it, because uh, we got to seal the ejection chamber or whatever. And they're like, we got one minute. Uh, and Worf and this dude, uh, or Romulan or whatever, they have to like clean up a bunch of broken stuff. Uh, yeah, so they can do this manual thing. Very much like this is a, uh, oh, there's a good scene coming up in a second. But very much like uh, turning the keys at the same time. They both have to pull these levers at the same time. So they have to time that. It, this is worth it. So if you're listening and you have a pen, 7 minutes and 18 seconds, Worf uh, does a dramatic and intense uh, hair throw. Like he shakes his mane. I'm about to watch it. I'm at 7.01 right now. And there's a lot of activity on the ship. It's on mute uh, as I watch it here. But uh, right now, Riker's talking to one of the, uh, I don't know if Romulans are male and female, but uh, another Romulan officer. And here we go. Worf's about to pull pull his end. It's a little bit after 718, I think. There it was, uh, 720 something. He like turns his head dramatically, and it it, it fly, his hair flies. Great, great scene. Worth it. Wor- worth it. Uh, you know, you can watch this on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And then Worf and the science officer try to open this door. And again, I don't know if Riker was in the writers' room or what, but uh, like Worf and this dude they're trying to move this pylon, and then uh, uh, they're like, "Hurry up!" You know. Uh, uh, oh, also, Worf was really fast at doing his part of the job, but the Romulan was slow. But they can't get this door, uh, this pylon, out of the way. And then Riker comes over and goes, oh, dude, I, could, I realize you're from the warrior, you know, whatever Worf is. But he says, I'll get it. And Riker, like, pulls this giant pylon, you know, with their help. Uh, but then they try to close these doors, and they can't do it right when Data shows up with his super strength. Uh Right in time, and he, like, you can hear him bending the metal or, you know, making the engines go in reverse as he slides these, in, like, these doors close, and then the engine gets ejected, and it makes some fireworks, uh, and the Romulans and the humans look at each other, and they say, whew, and Riker goes, well, we're still here, and the Romulan goes, yep, and Riker go, calls to report to Picard, uh, then Picard's like, I got to head to sick bay at 9.05, nine minutes, five seconds about. Uh, this confused me the first watch through. So this is spoiler alert, but uh, like Roe is lying on the ground and Picard walks right by her legs. Also, she's wearing like a super sweet headband, really looks good and functional in more than one way. But she's sleeping on the floor. She kind of wakes up. She's a little bit out of it. Her communicator doesn't work, so and she sounds gruff because she just woke up. And she goes down to sick bay too, but the door won't open, so then she has to sneak in when someone leaves. And she's kind of walking around, and no one notices her. Like, uh, this is Twilight, twi- very Twilight Zone. Like, she's, like, uh, looking at people, like like, almost like she's not there, or they're ignoring her on purpose. Which I think is like would have been her first instinct is like somehow she's getting shunned or something. And she's like, No one is anybody gonna help me here? And no one does. Uh 
and she tries talking all that, uh, the, the, like, I don't know, are these, uh, I don't know what the term is for med techs. I don't know what their term is. Uh, uh, and actually, she's bugging them. They're, like, right in the middle of, like, working on somebody. So I said, what the heck, Ensign Rowe? No wonder they're ignoring you. Haven't you watched any ER before? Uh, but then we have Picard and Crusher talking. And Picard is, like, this was a little bit, bit like, the tone was slightly off here. Because Picard's like, well, Geordi uh, and Rowe are gone. It's sad, but let's just close that case and move on to the next uh, the next task in hand. And Crusher's like, John Luke, like, no, 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 we haven't looked at, we haven't double-checked everything. And he has, says, actually, we have, it was quick. They're uh, totally gone. Uh, they didn't rematerialize. It's too bad. And maybe this is just his way of dealing with his grief. And Crusher says, let's just double check. He goes, no, Beverly, write it up. Uh, just like on TV shows, uh, write up that certificate. And she goes, well, what about Ensign Rowe? Who's her first contact? Uh, and Rowe's there watching this. And Picard just seems resigned the whole time. Uh, and Rowe's trying to get his attention and she says, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. She says about 50 times, uh, and then Picard just walks right through her like she's uh, phased out the next phase or, or like a Casper-like person. And there's a few seconds of like kind of her reaction when that happens, and she looks left, she looks right, she looks left. Uh, then we go to a commercial, and Dr. Crusher is using like a, She's working on a pad, like a tablet and her desktop, uh, but their desktops are like one-handed, uh, I've noticed. Uh, but Rose trying to get uh, Dr. Crusher's attention because she's writing up uh, uh, the paperwork on uh, Roe, Dr. Crusher is. And she goes to like, she gets so irritated, Dr. Crusher won't, uh, she goes to like a uh, uh, put her hand down hard on uh, Dr. Crusher's computer, but she phases right through it. And then she kind of examines her hand. She tests that she's like, uh, I don't know what the word is, ethereal? Uh, she's not solid, I would say. And let's see. Uh, then she looks and sees what Dr. Crusher's typing up. Uh, and then other ship oh then we're on the other ship and they say Riker goes or the dude uh, silence science dude says we're ready commander and then they get uh 400 ki- kilos or something columns of uh, power from the enterprise via beam and all the lights come on everybody's uh smiling but there's a long uh, stare by at Riker by the science officer for some uh, look shady then Picard and Data are uh, on the bridge talking, and uh, they say, well, geez, we're working on this engine replacement. Don't worry. We're talking with Riker. Don't worry. We'll get that under, you know, it'll it'll get them moving. And Data says, hey, uh, anomaly something. I don't know what that says. Data. Oh, anomalous energy fluctuation. Uh, that's what did it. And then Cap- Data says, Captain, I have a personal favor to ask you. You know, Jordy was my best friend. I would like to do this memorial. Can I do so? And Picard says, permission granted. Make whatever arrangements seem appropriate. And Picard has kind of a serious face, of course. Uh, 
He goes, you know, do it. Then we're back on the other ship. We got a stern, what does that say? Stern look on ship. Uh, but there's some collaboration. Everybody's tapping, typing. One of the uh, Romulans very quickly. But Worf looks around and there's something he doesn't like. And he says, uh, Commander, the Romulans want a computer. He goes, we can't give them Federation technology. Unaccess- unacceptable security risk. And Riker goes, what about those ones with uh, Windows XP on them or uh, Snow Leopard? And he goes, you know, 30 or 40 years, like, uh, even worse than that, it'd be like, uh, I don't even know. But uh, they say, what about a 30 or 40-year-old computer? And Worf goes, that's satisfactory. He goes, okay, thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, I just liked that scene, maybe just because I like Worf so much, but it was... Uh, just stuck out to me a little bit out of the flow, too. Oh, he also lowered his voice. He goes, Commander, the Romulans want a computer. Yeah, then we have Geordi in engineering. No one can see him. So Roll rolls up. She goes, dude. Uh, he goes, she goes, yeah, I'm glad to see you. He goes, I'm not here. She goes, yep. Geordi uh, goes, I can't figure it out. We were transporting. And now we just float around through stuff. Uh but they can touch hands, and they do the very typical hand-to-hand uh, through the window thing. But this time it's hand-to-hand, like on the scene. And he goes, Jordy goes, well, we're solid to each other. And Roy goes, it's nothing like I imagined. And Jordy goes, what do you mean? She goes, dude, we transported out. We never tra- we transported to the big farm. And Jordy goes, no. Are you kidding me? She goes, no, no, we got lost in transporter malfunction. And Jordy goes, so we're floating around here? And she goes, yeah, it's like a reverse, uh, what's his name's kind of movie. And Jordy goes, uh, the, the, whoa, the one, yeah, with Bruce Willis? She goes, yeah. And she goes, but I don't believe in that. We believed in Borjas or something. But she goes, whatever you want to use, uh, and Jordy goes, I got clothes on. In my in my dreams, I was nude. I guess is what Jordy's saying, because he goes, I mean, he goes, I, you know, I would have had sight and not had clothes on if I was uh, in the big farm. And Ro goes, well, I don't know, Jordy. I've never, I've never. Been. She goes, I've never been. It was a great line. The real line is really good. But she goes, uh, never been to the big farm in the sky before. And Jordy goes, well, we're not. And she goes, well, Dr. Crusher signed off on it, uh, so we are. And he goes, uh, I'm not ready for that. So so what is that, refusal or whatever? And Ro goes, well, you know, she goes, that's one of the stages of becoming a Boros is a refusal. And Jordy goes, well, you can, you know, do some whatever breathing. I'm going to get it to the transporter and figure out what's going on. Uh, let's see, solid hand to hand, you know, touching. Jordy's basically like, hell no. Uh, uh, 1430. What is that? Uh, I put, we were toast. I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, so then, yeah, they said to go, there's an ad break after Jordy says, well, I'm going to figure this out. Then Data and Brosmer talking, the chief, uh, and Jordy's just kind of sitting on the edge of the transporter, listening in, is is kind of leaning his uh, head uh, against his hand. And Data's on the case. Uh, says something with the Romulan ship. Uh, and she goes, but that was before we got here. Because yeah, there's something Chronotrons in the air. 
And Jordy goes, what do you say in Quran? I don't know what they're called, but, uh, you know, the transporter being beamed them aboard the ship. I think they got caught. Some kind of chroniton emissions, uh, not dangerous to humans, but clearly, uh, not great for transporters. And then Jordy tries to call Roe, but obviously he can't, uh, no dice. Rose riding the lift, uh, and she says, thanks for the ride. This well, we'll talk about it later. And she goes and stands on the bridge, uh, and she says, she's, I'm here to say goodbye. She says, everybody, she touches her chair. She touches her workstation, which didn't make sense because, I mean, a hippie in, uh, whatever continuity, but her hands did not face through those. As a matter of fact, it would WTF solid exclamation point, question exclamation point. Uh, then Riker and Picard come on, uh, they're talking. Rose starts listening in. They go in the ready room. Uh, they're trying to figure out what the Romulans are doing out there. And, you know, they're, they're Riker and Picard are like, they're up to something. And then Riker, Picard goes, by the way, you know, we're working on a memorial service. Riker goes, I'll be there. Rose goes, me too. And the record goes, I got a few words to say. And Vicar goes, oh, that Jordy LaForge, I known, you knew him a long time. He goes, no, Ensign Rowe, I was going to talk about her. And she goes, Rowe's like, what? Vicar uh, goes, fine, tell Data. He goes to Mr. Data, but instead of Commander, Lieutenant Data, maybe he switches back and forth, I guess. And Ro goes, what are you going to say about me? There's like a little moment, you know, she's like, uh, what's up with Riker? A little mystery never gets resolved in this episode. I don't know on the series it gets resolved. I guess that's a spoiler. But uh, And then uh, she she's alone with the captain. She says, she's captain, uh, you know, and still like, uh, you're so impressive. Uh, but I wanted to say thanks for trusting me when no one else would. And Jordy breaks up to that moment. He goes, you've got to listen. Data's taking a shuttle to Romulan. He goes, we got to go. And she goes, why? And he goes, I think I'm on the case. Uh, and she goes, the denial case? Uh, and he goes, listen, uh, why don't we just try to do this? Even if you're right, it doesn't make a difference. And she goes, hmm, okay. Oh, Ro laughs. She had a nice laugh at first when she was going to tell the captain. She's like, you're so intimidating even when I'm not here. Uh, then they're on the shuttle, and there's a short scene with, uh, oh, there's a shot of, like, uh, Dayton Wharf talking. But we pull back, we see Jordy and Ro listening in. And actually, even Data had a robotic, or Worf has a robotic thing, because uh, Data's like, I'm working on a service, and Worf says, what kind of service? And he goes, a memorial service, uh. And then Worf says, okay, there's a weird, uh, like, uh, mate, like, he goes, Shuttlecraft 4 hasn't cleared the Romulan ship. Uh, you think this was to give him time to talk? And Data goes, well, I don't know what service. And Worf goes, you know, these humans, they're lame, and they have these, like, solemn services. Uh, uh, so dull. And he goes, I guess that's what you'd probably do. Uh, he goes, but he, and then... Uh, Ensign Rowe goes, well, Rowe's not human. She's Bajoran, uh, and I'd like to respect her beliefs. Uh, but it's very complicated, the Bajoran. And, and Rowe goes, please don't do the chanting. And Worf goes, uh, yeah, Bajoran uh, farm chant is two hours long. And Data goes, well, I don't know if a you know, human or Bajoran rights are fitting. 
And I checked 5,000 other cultures. It didn't seem right. Uh, and then Wolfgo says, Shuttlecraft 4 is uh, cleared. Let's get moving, Data says. And Data goes, well, we have to have a farewell ceremony. I never knew what a friend was till I met Jordy. And he treated me as an equal, you know. He accepted me for what I am. And that I've learned is friendship. But I don't know how to say goodbye to that either. And Worf goes, well, Commander, uh, uh, well, first Ro goes, she's he's almost human. And uh, Worf goes, I'm not the proper person to advise you about this. And he, he says, uh, why? The data says, why? He goes, well, I'm happy for your little forge. Uh, for a Klingon, it's a joy, joyful time. Uh, passing on duty means you're honored. He goes, it's time to celebrate. Uh, and then Data goes, okay, let's dock. Uh, and then uh, Jordy says, Data, you go, I think you're jumping the gun anyway. We're, we're coming back, buddy. Uh, also, Data, when Worf said, you know, I don't know if it's time for celebration, Data, like, uh, blinks, like, almost stunned. It was the first time I noticed that, uh, like, a very, very human reaction. And thinking about uh, the episode of LOL. Uh, I don't know, it just stuck out to me. Uh, Data was stunned and blinking. Uh, then at 2418, there's like a mystery dude in the captain's chair just kind of sitting there staring, which, you know, these are the kind of things when you watch an episode a bunch of times you catch. Uh, but then right after that's hilarious, Data, or Jordy sticks his head in, uh, into like a computer console, like phases right into it and looks around. And then we see the captain's chair, silent person again, silent uh, Romulan. That's the new Jean Lacar, Jean Lacar novel, the silent Romulan. It was uh, like uh, it was uh, like a bigger universe, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, bigger universe one. Uh, let's see, interviewing. Oh, Data's interviewing people while they. Jordy uh, peeks his head in the thing. Uh, and they say, Jesus, what do you, what's this interview about? They say, J- 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 Data's like a safety check. Uh, and they said, he said, well, what went wrong? And they said, well, like, uh, even our cloaking device got busted. Data goes, oh, that's what the chronotan fields are. They're everywhere. And we got to get rid of those emissions because uh, we don't know what will happen with the new engine core. And then Jordy goes to row. There's some kind of uh, phase inverter in here. Changes the structure of matter, uh, and then says, oh, wait a second, uh, we heard the Klingons were working on a phase inverter cloaking device years ago. Maybe, uh, you know, then a ship could, like, hide inside a planet, you know, because it's a phased matter, and, you know, no one could mess with it. And uh, uh, Ro goes, well, how far did they get? And they said, not very far, but maybe the Romulans are working on it now. And Ro goes, and that would explain the chronoton fields. And then Jordy says, and us too. Ro goes, you mean we're cloaked? She goes, no, full, phased and cloaked, Jordy says. Uh, we don't have any substance. That's funny. And Ro goes, well, that would mean we're not, uh, like, uh, passed to the farm. And we go, yeah, no. It would mean that. Then uh, Data gets called. Uh, well, Jordy goes, then there's a way out. If there, if we're phased, we can unphase. Uh, and then Data's working about the emissions, and the Romulans are like, don't worry. 
And then Worf's like, can I talk to you? And then uh, we see the captain again. Uh, or maybe not yet, but um, then the, uh, like, Romulans are conspiring against the Enterprise. They're like, let's load up their power beam with a bunch of junk. It'll mess up their ship, uh, and they won't even know it. Uh, send them all to the big farm. And Jordy and Ro are in the background listening over their shoulders. And Jordy's like, we got to get to the Enterprise. Then everyone breaks up, and then the camera goes on to the dude in the captain's chair. He's got some serious eyebrow peeking going. And he's looking thoughtful. His eyes are moving. And then he follows uh, Jordy and Roe. And they phase, he phases through a console. Double exclamation point. Head break. So that was a pretty, pretty big reveal. And there we see the like uh, exterior of the two ships with the energy beam. That looks cool. Then we see the Romulan dude, the captain, I assume, coming out of the shuttle bay. Uh, Jordy and Roe are looking at the uh, read. Oh, we're looking at readouts. Uh, well, data, uh, like, uh, and Bossmer, Brossmer, whatever, talk about uh, chroniton fields, uh, real boring. Uh, but it reveals that, uh, as Jordy and Roe watch, it's like, oh, wait, we're leaving chroniton footprints everywhere. Uh, so everyone's trying to figure it out at the same time in different ways or in parallel. So it was really boring. I don't know why I said that. Uh, and they said, Jesus, could we have, like, narrow things down to track this? Uh, and Bossmer says, I'll, I'll look into it. Uh, and we see the Romulan. Everybody splits up. And we see the Romulan on the Enterprise looking around. Uh, then Jordy and Data, they go through the credits. They kind of reestablish uh, the exposition again so everybody understands uh and they're trying to figure it out with talking. Uh, so they re-go through the chroniton fields and the phasing and, like, trying to find how we're going to rephase them. Because uh, Jordy talks about the chroniton fields and the wall. Then uh, you're trying to get Jada's attention by phasing everything, phasing through everything. Uh, then we see, we switch back to the, the Romulan commander and Roe, and he surprises Roe. He says, yeah, don't move. I can see you. He's got his phaser. And she goes, what, what the heck is? She goes, who are you? He goes, uh, "He goes, where's the dude, the scientific officer with uh, those with you? He said he could phase back. He goes, yeah, this works, by the way. Where, Where is he? Where is the one like us? Uh, he, they call them disruptors, though, not phasers. Then we see Jordy messing with Data again. He goes, stop being so rational, Data. Use your imagination. And then Data does some kind of like, whatever they're going to do to clean up the chroniton fields, and it kind of defazes Jordy, but only a tiny bit, onion fields or something. And then Jordy's like, okay, that's going to work if you get a, if you up to power. Also, when Data gets done, he wrist flicks closed his, like, scanner. I thought it was a really cool move, uh, but Jordy's like, you got to keep going. Then this is around 31 minutes. And we, this is a really good scene, a really fun. Roe Ro and the Romulan, she's leading him to find Jordy. And then she, like, this is the most action. Like, this is a really action-packed, fun 1980s scene, even though I think it took place in the 90s. Because uh, she does some kung fu. And then we have this awesome chase scene, really awesome chase scene. I'm not, like, being facetious. Uh, really fun. 
because she runs through a wall and then the like Romulan chases her. Uh, then we're back with Data and Jordy. Three hundred percent. What does that mean? Oh, because he fires after her with his disruptor, which raises the chroniton field three hundred percent. Yeah, but then it's really like I don't know if anybody's familiar with the eighties movie. Maybe it was the nineties. I guess it was maybe a nineties movie, The Naked Gun, or movies like that. But this chase scene is like that movie. It just with daytime TV. So, Jordy uh, and Data are trying to follow the chroniton fields, and they run through row and the uh, they're chasing each other through walls. She they run into a woman. She was just getting out of the shower. She's in a towel brushing her hair, and I said that's like like if she's in like a iridescent towel. Then there's a dude doing push-ups, uh, close push-ups too. They call them prison cell push-ups. And he's just working out. They run right, they phase right through him as he's doing his workout. And great, he's really good at push-ups. I said, man, that dude is in shape. Uh, doesn't quite do him to full uh, height, but whatever. I can't do him that that many, I don't think. Uh, let's see, Jordy and uh, they follow the thing. Uh, then, yeah, date and Jordy again. Then there's a romantic candle at dinner in row and the dude, uh, like the couple are feeding each other, and the guy finally trips up Row, and then they battle, and then the doorbell rings, and Data's like, "Hey, I'm conducting a survey about chroniton fields. Uh, I know you're in the middle of this romantic dinner." Meanwhile, Row and the um, Romulan are like in the middle of uh, you know kung fu action, and then Geordi looks up, and he's like, "Whoa." And he kind of pushes the guy, but the guy phases through the exterior wall, and he's out uh, out in the vacuum, which kind of, uh, I mean, it brings up some questions, but, but it was also like this homage moment. Like, if you see it, it's like an homage to other moments in other movies, or movies have homaged it, I don't know. Uh, but he goes out to space, he loses his uh, disruptor. And they watch him. They they watch his homage moment. Uh, thanks. Uh, any put, what does this mean? Thanks anytime. Oh, that's what Rose says to Jordy. And then there's an ad. Then we're on the bridge, uh, but they don't know about the booby trap. Uh, the Romulans is set, and the Romulans is like, "We're good to go." Thanks so much, Captain Picard. And Captain Picard's like, "Oh, totally our pleasure. Uh, so good to help you. Hopefully, this will make our relations better." And this is great, you know, like step forward in human Romulan relations. Uh, have a safe trip. Uh, and then Picard says, let's head for Gradius uh, system, warp six. And Jordy's uh, like, don't, don't, don't. But, and then Rose's like, don't. But then uh, the chief is like, uh, yeah, we're still doing decon of this chroniton fields. Jordy uh, and Ro are so happy they hold hands. Uh, uh, kind of like a, a bridge, uh, like oh, in a victory they put yeah, and then they 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 will have to go somewhere. Oh, they say, okay, we got to figure this out now because now the clock is really ticking. Uh, so they say we got to go somewhere where there's uh, a lot of people. And Picard says, well, if we're not going to go to warp, I might as well go uh, uh, to the service. And Riker goes, yeah, it's time, buddy. And then they say, Roe and uh, Jordy say, okay, like, uh, let's send forward. Let's do that. Uh, there's a short choke oh, when Picard's ready to go. He pulls his shirt down. Uh, he goes, you have the bridge, McDowell. 
Uh, oh, yeah, Riker says, it's time, sir. Uh, so they say, oh, 10-4, the Jordy says, perfect. Uh, they get on the left. They put a star here because Jordy and Roe rush on at the last second, which I said, Why? if you can face her stuff, I don't get it. Uh, but then it's deck 10, and then it's a time for a private conversation. Of course, that's being listened into. And regards like, oh, yeah, I remember when I first met uh, young Jordy LaForge, uh, you know, he said this floor looks like it's a mess in, or something. You know, he stayed up all night making it more efficient. Uh, and I said, I got to get this guy to work for me. And he goes, you know what you're going to say about Instant Row? And Riker goes, yeah, it wasn't easy. He doesn't say anything more. Row's like, what? Uh, what wasn't easy? And he goes, Picard goes, yeah, it's never easy like this, number one. Uh, let's see. Oh, and Roe was so serious. No, uh, somebody was so serious. Oh, Riker has a serious face. Yes, it wasn't easy. And then we go, they go to Dyke 10 or the 10 4. There's a Dixieland jazz party going on. Some people are in uniform and some are in casual dress. Uh, Jordy is very happy about this. He is so happy. He goes, This is uh, great. Uh, he goes, They're having a party for us. And Roe goes, Yeah, that's not, uh, not cool. And Jordy goes, let's get started. And Rose starts shooting the disruptor off. Uh, and she starts having fun with the disruptor. It's very comedic. Uh, 3748. Uh, 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 Riker, goes, Riker and uh, Picard get there. Riker goes, well, this is unusual. And Riker's jamming already. His head's bopping. He goes, yeah, I like it. And then he picks up a trombone and starts jamming with the jazz band. Uh, unbelievable. And Roe uh, goes up to him and she goes, now I'll never know what you're going to say about me. And she fires the disruptor, but it phases through him at Riker. Then uh, Data says uh, uh, to Dr. Crusher, what do you think about this? Is this appropriate? She goes, yeah, everybody's sharing. She goes, this is great. Great job, Data. And then Brossom recalls, she goes, this is tons of crimes on fields up there. Should I wait? And Jordy goes, or I mean, Data goes, no, they're harmless. Uh, and she goes, oh. And then uh, they, like, uh, Jordy and um, Roe try to hold each other. And they almost come back, but it's not powerful enough. They go, Worf, Worf, can you hear us? Uh, we're right here. And they say, geez, we got to make it stronger then. Then Picard and uh, Crusher are talking about something with Roe at Garon 4, that she would have been a lieutenant commander if whatever happened. Then McDowell calls and he says, we got to get to Gradius 4, you know, diplomatic situation. And Picard goes, uh, all right, we got to get moving. And then Jordy's like, the clock is ticking, it's about to gong. Uh, and Roe goes, I could overload the disruptor. And Jordy's like, do it, do it. And Picard goes, I want to get moving. And Data goes, okay, let's, uh, I think we're clear. Then the disruptor goes up. Uh, oh, wait, let's see. I missed a couple of things. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, here we go. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. I lost my spot here. Trombone. Uh, Data asks if it's okay. Uh, tons of credits on. Here we go. And uh, looks like an ice bath uh, is like w when they flood the when they do the chronotons. Uh, I guess it looks like those two are in an ice bath. Uh, and uh, the, the, 
is this, I guess, no, this is the first time. And then, because the, Worf's at the fruit, he's at the fruit plate. He's eating fruit at the fruit plate, drinking prune juice. Sorry, I jumped out of out of phase there. And then um, then they flood the thing after the disruptor blows. Roe and Jordy hug, and they're standing in front of Cap- Captain Picard and Data, holding one another. They kind of appear in and out. Uh, and Data says, geez, did you see that? Uh or maybe Picard says it, and Data says, yes, sir. And then, uh, like, they kiss, they kind of phase in, and they phase back out. And then Jordy's like, come on, Data, put it together. And Picard goes, those weren't uh, people from the big farm. What was that? Uh, Data goes, I think I figured it out. And Jordy goes, please. Uh, he goes, the Chronoton fields, he goes, they're cloaked. Uh, Picard goes, so they're okay? He goes, yeah, they're here. They're just cloaked. Uh, we'll just do a super onion sweep. Uh, and they do that, and then Roe and Jordy they fall fall to the floor, but they get back, and then the party stops. Uh, and Jordy goes, "Data, do you see us?" He goes, "Of course uh, I do." And then Jordy goes, calls engineering right away. He goes, "Turn off the warp engines. There's a muon wave, you know, in the dilithium chamber. It's total fix." And there's a big hug. Uh, there's a great, there's a shot of a wharf reaction and a Riker reaction. Riker's reaction shots while he's on the trombone. Uh, that's all in this scene. Big hug. Everybody's so happy. Data and Jordy have a moment where uh, uh, Jordy puts his hand on Data's shoulder and he goes, It looks like a good, great party. And Data goes, Jordy, it is good to see you. And he goes, Thanks, Data. He goes, This was a great, great one. You did a great job. Uh, Sending me off, uh, so everything's a okay. Then we, then we're at ten post party moment in the ten forward. And this reminded me, my parents didn't have a ton of parties when I was little, but I remember the few times they did, we would be, we weren't allowed to go. Like I think it was just my mom's brothers and sisters and stuff. Uh, my parents would have been in their 20, late twenties or something, I think. Uh, so probably pretty good parties, but we would be forced to go to bed and stay in our rooms and not leave our rooms. Sometimes we'd sneak in, and maybe if we did, but it was so boring. Uh, watching adults drink and talk. Anyway, it was still boring, except for the, you know, obviously the one part that wasn't boring. You know, you know, and did it for me. But uh, but the coolest part was the next day, much like this scene with Roe. In Jordy, where the leftovers from the party, we could go upstairs and watch Saturday cartoons and anything left from the party, like Melba toast or something strange, like that. We that would be the only time in our lives till we were adults, or you know, you had that snack mix once that was big, like uh, that you'd have something like that. So that's something I remember that that scene reminded me of. Uh, so they're alone. It's a post party. And Jordy's eating rolls, and Rose like, you won't stop eating because we haven't eaten in two days. Uh, and he goes, what's wrong? And she she goes, nothing. And Jordy goes, come on. And she goes, well, I had these pejorant beliefs. Uh, and I kind of practiced it, but not totally. It didn't believe in the life after life thing. But then I found myself in a situation where I was confronted with these beliefs, uh, and it made me like feel like a, a fool or arrogant uh, for discounting everything I've been taught. Uh, now I don't know what to believe. And I felt like this was kind of a cheap shot by Jordy and passive-aggressive. But really, you had to lighten, lighten the mood to end it. Uh, 
And, you know, I think Star Trek is great at raising questions, which is must be much better than answering them anyway. And I guess you wouldn't respond to something like a metaphysical question for Roe, but I just didn't like Jordy goes, well, he goes, maybe we should develop our own interface device. If it can teach Roe Laren humility, it can do anything. But I guess like humility is an important thing to have. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, 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 I didn't appreciate it for some reason. So, oh, also Roe has, when she's trying to make her point, she takes a breadstick. They had breadsticks. That's another thing that you'd find after an adult party in the 1980s or whatever uh, that you could eat while having car- watching cartoons. Uh but she takes a breadstick and kind of holds it while she's making a point. She doesn't use it as a pointer or anything. It's just holding it close to the table. So great, great, great episode. I really, um, uh, I don't know. I watched this one. I think uh, my schedule was weird the past two weeks. So I may watch this one one or two more times than normal uh, just because of my obsession and stuff. But, uh, yeah, great, good, 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 a good, good episode. Really good one. And so I think that's it. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, the next phase. Good night. Uh, I want to thank everybody with the kindness on uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, Kennedy, uh, Danny, Uma, Clementine. Thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Roland, thanks, and good night. Stargy, thank you, and good night. Nikki, thanks, and good night. Uh, Chrissy K, thanks and good night. Queen Ivy, thanks and good night. D to the W, uh, thanks. Uh, Nikki again. Sam B, thanks and good night. Uh, Lena G, thank you and good night. Uh, Princess P, thanks and good night. User, thanks and good night. Uh, Kyla KK, thanks and good night. Corinne, thank you and good night. Uh, David D, thanks and good night. Betsy, thank you and good night. Uh, hey J, thanks and good night. Mikey, Megan G, thank you and good night. Princess P, thanks and good night. Uh, Faria, thank you and good night. Betsy, thanks and good night. Uh, Brittany, thanks and good night. Stephanie, thank you. Say, thanks. Yeah, Callie, thanks and good night. Melanie, thanks and good night. Lupa, thanks and good night. Revere, thanks and good night. Awesome, thanks and good night. Trav, thank you and good night. Uh, Dog, thanks and good night. Osa, thanks and good night. Will, thank you and good night. Crazy Cat Girl, thanks and good night. Suri, thank you and good night. Carlito, thank you and good night. Thomas, thanks and good night. Uh, Ellen, thanks and good night. Uh, Perrin, thanks and good night. Uh, Abs, thanks and good night. Maddie, thanks and good night. Uh, say what, thank you and good night. Actually, thanks and good night. Uh, uh, Dana, thank you and good night. Uh, Heba, thanks and good night. Corrosive, thanks and good night. Daniel, thanks and good night. Uh, Blaze, thanks and good night. Uh, Damien, thanks and good night. Aaron, thanks and good night. Nikki, thanks and good night. Uh, Eggnog, thanks and good night. Uh, Afa, thanks and good night. Revere, thanks and good night. 
Uh, Brian, thanks and good night. T Monk, thanks and good night. Roar, thanks and good night. Katie, thanks and good night. Uh, Marzipan, thanks and good night. Fluffy, a chicken unicorn dog, thanks and good night. Carlos, thanks and good night. Roar, Nona, thank you and good night. Pro Gamer, thanks and good night. Uh, Cake, thanks and good night. Uh, Deborah, thank you and good night. Dragon Size, thanks. Dennis, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, Living, thank you and good night. KT, thanks and good night. Uh, Allie, thanks and good night. Uh, G Man, thanks and good night. Uh, Name, thanks and good night. Daniel, thanks and good night. Uh, Ryan, thanks and good night. Gemma, thanks and good night. Film Music, thanks and good night. Tony, thanks and good night. And the Hall, thanks and good night. Rant, thanks. Hayden, thanks. Uh, Red Riding, thank you. Leanne, thank you. Uh, Tiana, thanks and good night. Evie, thanks and good night. Last Match, thanks. Uh, Mark, thanks. Uh, Memes, thanks. Uh, Bingo, thanks. Uh, Alyssa, thanks. Uh, Sean, thanks. Uh, Gab, thanks. Abigail, thank you. Jenny, thank you. Uh, Zoo, thanks. Big G, thanks. Uh, Tempest, thank you. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks. Uh, uh, Joey, thanks. Uh, Superfly, thanks. Uh, Trayvon, thanks. Eric, thanks. Kelly, thank you. Gail, thank you. Evie, thank you. Crystal, thanks. Uh, Kyle, thank you. Uh, Renee, thanks. Uh, Justine, thank you. Nico, thanks. Artie, thanks. And Farrell, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, everybody on YouTube. Thanks and good night. All right, so hey, everybody, we're talking about episode 22, season 5, Imaginary Friend. And you know what? This was an interesting one for me, like uh, watching it many times, because at first, on, uh, at the first two watches, maybe it was only, yeah, maybe, or maybe it was the first watch, I said, whoa, this is not a strong episode. It was a joyous episode to watch, because uh, I think the, the first time I watched it, I watched it with my daughter. And she was crack like there's just some like crack up scenes. So if you get a chance to watch this episode with your kid, uh, do it. And some great acting, some great child acting. So really a good episode. But it like uh, that was after the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. It's running now in the background. Uh, but yeah, after like the second or third time, maybe it was the third time I said, actually, holy cow, like. Uh, this episode's better than I thought it was. I, could, I thought it was a dud. I'll be, like I said, what a dud. Uh, and I said, well, well like, uh, I guess you got to have some duds. But I, I don't think that anymore. I mean, it's not the strongest episode ever. But uh, maybe we should move on. In case they just lost, everybody said, well, that was my favorite episode. Thanks. I didn't say it was the worst, okay? Uh, but it opens with uh, Counselor Troy uh, and a young girl named Clara. And they're talking about their favorite foods, uh, all healthy. They seem like yogurt and raisin salad, chocolate chip pancakes, uh, and in addition, they said purple omelets. That was one of the other things. That's one of Clara's specialties. She puts grape juice in there to make them purple. 
But I, I, I don't know, like, I guess I already have found an issue with this. Like, do you tell this to the uh, inverter or whatever the heck it's called, the uh, replicator? But the whole time, so Troy and this young girl are talking, the whole time there's a man sitting in the background in the next room at, like, his desk. Uh, and he's like, one hand, let me get to my notes. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, purple omelets. Uh, oh, yeah, he's typing on some a netbook. Uh, four, he was doing four-finger typing, the dad, on a netbook. Now, I don't know if anybody, like, like uh, what is that, 2000? says for all the way back to 2007, maybe, that netbooks were a thing. And so maybe not everybody knows what it. Now there's, like, Chromebooks. But these were, uh, I don't know, they used some sort of windows, lightweight windows on there. And they were for basically like watching video, like watching, you know, just basic internet tasks. Now I bought one. I bought a Dell 10 uh, because you could install, uh, I don't know if you could get Leopard on there. I think you could. And and so I it like uh, I made it to a little mini Macintosh. And it worked great till I accidentally, like I had a couple of drinks and I tried upgrading it when I had a couple of drinks. And that was like a... I don't think, maybe I didn't, uh, but yeah, we, like, uh, so he looks like, it, and, I, and I said, four-finger typing in the future, huh? But he's also pretending to uh, look. Isabella has sugar in her tea, so they're having tea. I said, really, you're going to give her sugar in her tea? I don't know, I don't know about that, Counselor Troy, but, you know, I, what do I know is what she probably would say. <laughs> she'd probably say more than that. But yeah, the dad's outside of, uh, who focus listening in at 33 seconds. If you really want to watch this, the dad has some sort of Twitch or if I couldn't tell if it was a Twitch or a secret message for Troy, uh, but he has this rear weird movement. Uh, like I said, you couldn't tell if he said, okay, sessions over Troy or if he was just a uh, uh, thing. And then, uh, he says, uh, honey, he has a weird way of saying Keiko, or maybe I have a weird way of hearing and saying Keiko. But Clara's got to get to work helping out at the uh, Arboretum with Keiko. But that's the way he said it. Uh, so he kind of interrupts. Their, uh, and I said, is this a professional visit or like a preliminary visit? See how I got that out. Also, Isabel was in all forest green. She had green tights, a green dress, green shoes on, like, a, like a elven, an elven outfit. She wasn't a very elvish child. I guess you could probably say that about any child, but she wasn't super elvish other than her outfits. I mean, the Vulcans, I guess only their ears are elvish. I don't know how logical are elves. Uh, the elves live by the heart and nature, right? Okay, let's stay away from elves stereotype scoots. First off, not all elves wear green. Oh, really? Name one elf that doesn't just wear green. Okay, how about we just do a podcast? Okay, yeah. So the oh, also the like uh, again, I don't want to throw on criticisms, but this this show usually where it looks really good in three uh, like uh, HD, and I don't know anything about shooting TV shows or you know like, uh, but I do feel like the focus on Troy was softer than the one on the dad, or my eyes are like I need to start need to look into glasses. Because Troy was out of focus, and they went to the dad, and he was too in focus. Uh, and so then and then there's a shot. So the dad and Troy talk about Clara. Um, 
you know, having trouble making friends on the ship and her imaginary friend. Like, the whole idea is that Claire has an imaginary friend named Isabella, who she talks to, and the dad's concerned about that. And then, you know, Troy's like, maybe she, you know, you just keep transferring to ship to ship. Maybe she needs some friends. And I said, maybe the dad needs to quick to, like, messing up his job and, you know, getting transferred. But, you know... Luckily, like I said, I, my all my applications to Starfleet have been like they 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 actually send them back in time through some sort of warp. Uh, right as I start writing, they say don't buy, save the ink, and they then they say also pro tip: we don't accept pictogram uh, applications. I said no, that's my handwriting. And they, another one said in, only in English, uh, and they said that was in English, uh, Jeepers. Uh, so let's see. Enough. I'm not joking. So then there's a shot of the Enterprise, a cool pink nebula, a D action. I don't know what that is on deck. On deck, uh, and the orange light ball. Uh, but yeah, they're like Jordy Riker and Picard and the dude are talking about the dad. They think are talking about uh, this cloud they're going to study. Uh, it's formed around a neutron star, according to the cap- captain's log. So they're going to figure some stuff out about it. But this red, uh, uh, it looked like a Himalayan sea salt lamp. You know what that looks like? Like an orange light ball. It comes out just as a tour of the ship, this little round piece of orange uh, that looks like a small sea salt lamp. Uh, or, yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like to me. And, oh, 3.15, they liked this scene, like, uh, Jordy and Data are walking, and they're doing some tech talk. It could have been a podcast. They're talking lateral units. Uh, and whatever Jordy says, Data does this awesome, hmm, like, uh, let's see, what do they say? Data says something about the lateral sensors. Jordy says, well, we could get some hours with the thermal inframatarium or something. And at some point, Jade, I just liked how Data said, hmm. Uh, like he was impressed and surprised at the same time and like unimpressed. Uh, like that's what his hum said to me. He was surprised, impressed, and unimpressed. Oh, also, like it reminded me of, uh, uh, remember the Olympics? Not the last ones, but the ones four years before that, uh, whatever year it is, 20, 2012, uh, the women's gymnastics team. Uh, there was this one gym, gymnast, uh, and she made a face that became a big meme. Even Obama, remember she was standing next to President Obama and they're both making the face like this unimpressed face. And you could do that like because she was unimpressed, I think. I think she was the Volter, which is weird because we had that episode recently with Vault Minor. She was a major Volter, she, I think. Uh, and uh, she was unimpressed. Data's hum said that to him. Hmm. said the same thing as her face. uh then there's a great scene, three minutes and 30 seconds. Do yourself a favor, watch this. I put a holy gossip, Dr. Crusher. Not really gr- uh, <laughs> gossip is so much she wants details. Uh, and she's with uh, Organic. I don't know what that says. Uh, Ogawa. Oh, my, my handwriting's bad. But her, Crusher and o- Ogawa are working, and they're talking about Ogawa's recent date or something. It's like mid-discussion. Crush is like, well, what happened after dinner? 
And she said, we went to, she's giggling, Ogawa. And she says, well, we went to the holodeck and took a walk on the Champs-Salis or something. And then they're also working. So Crusher says, let's check the neural scanner. And then she says, and then what happened? And then also the Himalayan salt lamps touring. And Crusher's like, and what happened in Paris, huh? And Ogawa doesn't want to answer. She's like, she goes, uh, this is interesting because uh, Riker was just on Risa. That's where he picked up that game. She says, he wants me to go to Risa with him on shore leave. And Crusher goes, do it. No, do it for sure. And Ogawa goes, that's too uninhibited for me. Uh, I'm not really into that scene. Uh, and I said, holy cow, wh- wh- how can I book a ticket to Risa? I did it. I Googled that and then... Uh, don't Google it, because uh, tickets are very expensive. Uh, and also, I don't need any other people going like uh, to you know mess up my game. I don't have a game, so I don't need anybody with game going. Also, I don't know what game is. So, but uh, so she says that's not really my scene. This and then Crusher goes, hmm. What about Tavana Minor or something? She goes, there's a Jorky River cruise. Iridescent currents are beautiful. And then uh, uh, Ogawa just cracks up. Like, uh, I just loved it. She goes, like, but she, Reese is wild. I put uh, Tavella Minor, Iridescent Currents, 420. That's when Ogawa, right at 420, believe that? And I put, uh, she cracks up. She's in L-O-V-E. First comes love, then comes uh, marriage, then comes Ogawa's date in the baby carriage. Uh, then we go to the Arbor- Arboretum. And a glowing light's still going. And a girl, uh, Clara's there. And then her, like, uh, um, she's planting. And she's planting with her imag- invisible imaginary friend. And uh, she's kind of like, uh, she goes into flow and makes a, oh, the, a flower. The, so the Simulean salt lamp goes into a flower, then makes a flower, image of a flower. And then it goes right into Claire's brain while she's talking to her imaginary friend planting, you know, just, uh, she actually was in flow state. I hear, I hear people use that term. And I would say if you're talking to your imaginary friend planting flowers, that's flow state, it, like in a good way. She's just totally like, like enjoying life. Uh, might not, you might say it's not real life. I'd say, well, get a life then. So then, uh, tw- there's a little twinkle, twinkle harmony. And all of a sudden, uh, Clara's like, uh, here's something. I think maybe the twinkle, tw- oh no, she's singing twinkle, twinkle. Yeah, that's what it is. She goes, twinkle, twinkle. And then someone else is singing and she goes, somebody there? Hello. And then, uh, this gr- other girl appears, this blonde girl. And to say she has dead eyes in this case would be an understatement. Like, this girl, like, I rarely hear, I mean, my daughter laughs a lot, but, like, 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 she had this laugh, like, uh, she, she, we couldn't believe it. We were cracking up, like, uh, she's just such a, it's really good acting, and it fits the character so well. Uh, she also has, like, she doesn't move her arms a lot. Remember, those of you that watch Game of Thrones will remember the two, uh, Seasons we had at the House of Black and White in um, Bravos, I think that's where that is. And we, like, uh, the girl that looked a little bit um, like Lena Dunham, I said, well, she looks a little bit like Lena Dunham. 
and she didn't like not that Lena Dunham doesn't I don't know any Lena Dunham must move her arms but this character didn't you move her arms a little bit very much in in uh, Game of Thrones she just kept her arms her arms were very static and this girl talk about reach and scoots with this girl on uh, the Enterprise her like uh, this imaginary friend come to life I guess. She doesn't do a lot of arm movement either, barely, like uh, dead eyes and low arm movement. And she goes, hello, Clara, like, uh, like, like, like when she said that, like, you know, when kids like uh, double over with laughter, I think that's what they call it. Like, uh, like, like it's delightful. This is a, like, I guess like I'll remember this episode for the rest of my life. And uh, then there's the opening. Then we go back, right back. And then Claire's talking to her friend. Uh, emotional strength, like uh, she almost could be a podcaster, but she's just a little bit uh, too weird. I mean, I know I'm weird, but she's like too weird, you know. Uh, so they're talking. Uh, Claire, like, uh, in Claire, she's like, uh, let's see, I get into more details later. But she takes Claire by the hand. And she says, let's go do something fun or something. And Claire says, well, we got to finish planting. She goes, I'm tired of planting. You tell this girl is up to no good uh, because she was just a Himalayan salt crystal like five minutes earlier. And Claire says, I promised Keiko I'd plant these plants. She goes, don't worry about it. Let's go. And she goes, well, shouldn't I ask my dad? And she goes, you know, your dad won't worry. We'll tell him later. Come on. So she's pressure, peer pressure, I guess, or not. She's not Claire's peer, though. Technically, she's posing as a po- po- peer, posing peer pressure. Oh, also, there's so many uh, jokes in this. Data crushes a couple jokes so good. So they, but Claire takes this new girl who's never been in the uh, arboretum before by by the hand, and they leave. They walk right past an adult who I got to assume, I mean, maybe they have find your kid activated on the ship, but, uh, they, uh, she just, they just walk right by the only adult in charge, which I said, what the heck? Uh, and then, uh, we go to engineering and there's this, uh, jo- Jordy, uh, Clara's dad never caught his name, uh, like in- instant Sutter or something. Uh, but they're talking with Data about what are they going to name the nebula? Because Jordy's like, FGC-47, I don't like it. And Sutter says, what about Sutter's Cloud? And Data's like dropping facts. And Jordy goes, well, that's a little long. Uh, he goes, what about the LaForge Nebula, which is technically longer, Jordy? He goes, but it's funny. He goes, it has a majestic sound. And Data says, given the selections, I prefer FGC-47. It was just so good. Then there's a little quake on the ship, and Jordy's like, did we hit something? And Data checks. He goes, no. He goes, uh, feels like it, though. And then we go to the bridge, and they're like, the ship's uh, short, slowing down, velocity's down, but systems are normal. Very strange. And then Jordy, back, he's giving all these orders, and then he almost trips over Clara, who's shown up in engineering. Which brings up like a lot of questions behind the scenes, child care on the Enterprise questions, because uh, they're trying to fix this. And then Jordy's like, "What the heck?" And then Clara's dad's like, "This is the worst time, honey. What are you doing down here?" 
And he asked, you know, he's like, you got to go home. Why are you down here? And he says, Clara, now, now, then Clara's alone for a second. Then Isabella just appears, not like a, an interesting way. She doesn't fit like a, you'd have to see it like a, almost like she fills the air from top to bottom. Like she kind of stripes in, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, also, she had like a shark jumper on, like it had little uh, triangles, like a, uh, I don't know why I called it a shark. I don't know what a jumper is. Uh, I mean, I've heard it, the term used before, but I would say it's a jumper. I don't know if it actually is. It could just be a dress, uh, but it's blue. And uh, she goes, uh, wait here. And then she vanishes again. Uh, then we see Data working on stuff. Then everything resolves itself. He goes, huh, okay. And I said, is this all related to Isabella, like this part? I didn't, I never quite made the connection, even after the last step. Like, uh, I think I watched this thing like four or five times. But as soon as the ship starts working right, Isabella appears back with Clara. Clara's like, where did you go? And uh, there was smooth. I had to, oh, there was something I had to do. And then she takes Clara's hand, uh, like, uh, and then they walk off, uh, which is very, this is like all very evocative, the way they're using Isabella, you know, like to kind of fill in like uh, that we can fill in the emotion. We, we've all known children like this uh, or experienced by being led astray uh, by these like children have this like strange, uh, almost like a guru like grip, I'd say. And, I mean, she's kind of manipulating Clara, Clara, like, because they're, like, uh, she's her imaginary friend come to, like, to life. Uh, uh, then there's an ad break. Then Picard, Riker, Geordi, and Data are looking out the window at the nebula. And they're like, geez, this thing is unique. Uh, like, wh- like, first of all, like, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we don't know. Correct it itself. We've got and Picard's like, should we stick around? I mean, no one's recorded a, a phenomenon like this. And Riker's like, could be trouble. And yeah, Data says, I can't estimate the risks. And Jordy says, I'd like to collect some samples at least. And Picard says, all right, agreed. Like, proceed with caution, but get your samples. And then uh, this scene makes sense now after seeing it a few times. But uh, they're walking in the halls, Clara and Isabella. And they stop at the cargo bay, and Isabella says, we can't go in there, because Isabella says, okay. Clara says, we can't go in there. And then Isabella says, let's go someplace with a lot of people. And then Clara says, Isabella, why, this was a good scene, too. She says, why are you so serious lately? And Isabella goes, what do you mean? And she goes, you haven't even smiled once today. And then Isabel does this thing where she tries to force her face into a smile. It's at 1222. And it's just like so uh, uh, bizarre. Uh, uh, then they go running. Uh, she says, oh, she tries to smile. And then they, she said, this is precocious, actually. She goes, uh, you're my best. Clara says, you're my best friend, Isabel. She goes, Why? And then Calera says, I don't know, because we're friends and we share secrets. And uh, Isabel says, does everybody have a best friend? And Calera says, yeah, if they're lucky. But I didn't have one before you. And she says, why not? And she says, it's a long, it takes a while to make a friend. And my dad always moves around. She goes, how long? And Calera says, well, just uh, 
it's faster with imaginary friends. Uh, and Isabel says, Claire, I'm glad we're imaginary friends. And then they say, Claire says, let's race. And then they start running. And then they run right into Worf, uh, uh, which, you know, is always funny. War, like, Claire is, like, totally stunned when she's looking up at Worf. Uh, and says, uh, he says, there's no children allowed around here. He goes, what are you doing? Are you lost? Uh, and Claire, Claire says, we're only playing. Uh, sorry about that. And Worf goes, return to your quarters, uh, something. And then Claire says, thank you. And she laughs with relief that, you know, they're not in trouble. Oh, because Worf says, I won't, I'll forget all about this. And then Claire says, thank you. Laughs her for relief. Uh, and then she says, come on. Uh, and Worf makes this huh sound. Uh, huh. They put, uh, and then as soon as Worf walks away, you, the girls sneak back. Uh, then we go back to engineering. Jordy and the dad are talking about parenting. And he says, geez, don't worry. Claire's dad says, it weren't both your parents since Starfleet. And Jordy goes, oh, yeah. He goes, uh, you know, my father was an exozoologist, my mother, office, a commander, a command officer. And Sutter goes, that must have been tough. And Jordy has this, like, awkward laugh. Uh, we're a very telling laugh, actually. 1430. He goes, that's putting it mildly. He says, yeah, my parents were always on the move, you know, sometimes together, sometimes not. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'd be with my dad studying invertebrates, and sometimes I'd be out on the neutral zone with my mom. And Sutter said, was that tough? He goes, no, no, it's an adventure. He goes, it wasn't the ideal childhood, but uh, he goes, children are stronger than you think. As long as, again, this message comes up a lot, uh, as long as they know you love them, they can handle anything about life, like a very uh, uh, basic parenting advice in a good way. They can handle anything. And Sutter says, thanks, Commander. Uh, then we have another great jo Data joke. Guinan and Data are looking at the clouds of the nebula. And Guinan's like, well, that's a coral fish, a Samarian coral fish with its fin out. Uh, and Data goes, that's the fluid dynamic process uh, with rarefied gas. Uh, and then Guinan goes, no, it changed from a fish into a Mentonian sailing ship. And Guinan, Data goes, where? They so they're really teasing this shit one out. Uh, Guinan says, right there, those swirls. Uh, and Data goes, I don't see it. He goes, he goes, are you sure you're not projecting meaning onto random images? Uh, he goes, sometimes I notice that, and it's because people are thinking about certain things. He pauses, and he goes, besides, it's clearly a bunny rabbit. And again, like, when Data's really funny, he, like, kind of lifts his chin up. Uh, I, I don't know, uh... Uh, sometimes I don't I don't observe him enough to know when he's lifting his chin, but uh, and then Claire walks in, so Guinan goes over to help Claire. She goes, hey, she's what are you doing?" And Claire says, oh, "I wanted to sit, to show my imaginary friend to attend forward." And Guinan says, well, "This is adults only. We have hand except for Data's kid uh, who worked here." In uh, Wesley, I guess those two were in Starfleet, but uh, she goes, "You could be my guest, though." And she goes, do you want a papaya juice? A papaya, papaya. She says it's different, so maybe it's different with bubbles. And she, she says, two, one for, and she goes, no, no, my friend doesn't drink, uh, just one. And Claire goes, geez, you're way cooler than the other adults. Uh, they don't believe in Isabella. 
And Guy says, well, some people can't believe in things they can't see. They're preoccupied, you know, with uh, work and stuff. They don't know how important imaginary friends are, like us kids. Uh, and she, Claire says, well, how do you get it? And Claire says, or Guinan says, well, I had an imaginary friend. And this was cool, too, because Claire goes, well, what was her name? And she goes, it wasn't a girl. And she goes, it was a boy? And, and Guinan goes, no, no, no. It was a Tarkasian razor buddy with uh, brown fur, gold eyes, huge wings, and it was really fast, so fast no one could see it but me. And a great smile, and I would curl up on his furry belly, and he had the softest purr you ever heard. Uh, put me to sleep every night. Best friend I could ever have. Uh, and Clara says, so is Isabella. And I don't know if Troy got an alarm or a page, but she shows up. She's like, hey, Clara. Uh, and Clara goes, hi. And she again goes, oh, we were just all having a conversation uh, with Isabella. And Troy goes, why don't you, Isabella, you and Isabella take a walk with me? And Claire goes, I guess. Uh, and Guinan says, bye. Bye, Isabella. Bye, Clara. And let's see. No drink. Claire didn't drink any of her drink. Uh, Troy takes her hand, and I like to that. Uh, let's see. Really, I put really, really masterful uh, scene. I really like it when Guinan drops life lessons. Also, the drink was served in, a, like, a fishbowl-like glass. So they're, then they're in the hall. They're talking about Isabella. They get on the razor, uh, like, uh, elevator, deck 32. And Troy's like, this imaginary friend keeps getting you in trouble. You know, I'm, uh, like, uh, also a shrink, so this is probably uh, not a bad, greatest sign. She doesn't say all this, but but she says, she's who's making these poor decisions. And Claire says, uh, Isabella. And she goes, well, maybe I should talk to her because you're going to get the consequences. And she talks to like this blank space. She goes, Isabella, please don't get Claire in trouble. Uh, somebody shrugged. Maybe to, maybe Isabella. Yeah, we want to talk to Isabella. Then Claire shrugs. And then Claire says, you're talking to the wrong spots. Uh, so then Troy does it again, and then she goes, what did Isabella say? And Clara goes, Isabella said she didn't really like you or, uh, you know, get off my back. That's what she said. And Clara kind of looks away. Well, for, yeah, and then Clara, like, looks away. There's dramatic music. Then Troy and the dad go for a walk, and Troy's like, okay, uh, you know, now it's concern stage because uh, uh, she's doing – you know, she's deflecting and, and blaming and stuff. Uh, and he goes, yeah, she showed up at work, so she's messing up my work, too. And Troy goes, well, I think this is just like a, just like a little stage. Uh, maybe we got to get her some friends. She goes, what about the children's center? There's a ceramics class I could take Clara. And he says, okay, let's do that. Uh, and she goes, by the way, since you're her dad— uh, Maybe you could spend some time with her. So maybe she needs somebody to talk to. He goes, hmm, uh, interesting. Because I'm trying to get a nebula named after me, but but uh, I'll work on it. And uh, ceramics class, uh, I said, oh, color me mine. Uh, then we get a scene where Claire and Isabella are sitting in there's Claire's room. They're sitting apart. Uh, Isabella's holding a teddy bear, and Clara's kind of, like, working on her, like, a red puzzle, like, uh, made out of blocks. Uh, 
And Isabella says, geez, are you mad? I didn't mean to get you in trouble. And Claire goes, it's okay. Isabella says, are we still best friends? She goes, yeah, come help me work on this puzzle. And then this ends up being important. Isabella says, Clara, what's what's up with grown-ups? Uh, so bossy. And Clara says, well, they're, they're, you know, they're serious. Uh, and Isabella says, well, I wish they would go away. And then she says, I'm bored. Let's go to engineering again. And Clara goes, we can't. Uh, Isabel says, well, I thought we were best friends. Uh, Claire says, we are. And she says, why don't we do something fun? And Claire goes, we can't. Uh, and then Isabel says, you're always listening to the grown-ups. You don't care about me. And Claire says, that isn't true, which is very assertive. I like that. And then she tries. She goes, oh, well, if we are going to, you know, I only appeared to you because I thought we'd have fun together. Uh, Let's go to engineering just for a little while. No one will know. It's our seat, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, and then Troy rings the doorbell and she goes, hey, let's go to Color Me Mine. And Clara says, can Isabella come? She goes, no, no, maybe later, maybe next time. Oh, Color Me Mine, if you don't have kids, is like a place where you take kids. I think they have it with adults, too. And then you like, uh, you paint something and then they put it in the like, and then they glaze it for you. Try to avoid it at all costs. Uh, though I have like a nice um, Ariel, Little Mermaid for my daughter from there. Uh, so I liked the exposition there. Bore, like, I really think it was great uh, acting. Uh, Isabel has highly dilated pupils, so much so it was almost hypnotic uh, in the way her the tone of her voice. And she's very suggestive of the way she's kind of trying to get Claire to do what she wants. Uh, but I also wondered how did they get her pupils so dilated. Uh, yeah, and then she's saved by the doorbell. And uh, like uh, after they leave to go to ceramics, Isabella reappears, and there's like a slow pull in with uh, dramatic music, and her eyes turn red. Uh, then we see the Enterprise against the nebula, and the ship shakes again. And they say, okay, we're still getting in trouble here. The deeper we get into the nebula, and they say, well, what should we do? And they say, well, we don't know. It should be fine. Uh, Ship's shaking, but we're okay. And then they say, like, uh, they're trying to figure out how to keep the speed up. Uh, And Picard says, call LaForge. Riker, go down and see LaForge and figure this out. And let's see. Then they go down there. Um... And Jordy, the dad, and Riker are like, they. we could do a high-frequency warp field. These are plasma strands. And we'll get a resonant effect going with some drag coefficient. Uh, and they say, okay, let's try that out. Uh, Riker says, let's do it. I think that would make it appear, like appear more visibly, because right now it's not in the visible spectrum. Then we're in ceramics class, but I didn't know if it's ceramics or daycare because there was a bunch of kids in there doing different stuff. Uh, cool neon sculpture in there. And then Worf's kids there, Alexander Roshenko. Uh, and he's like making this like spiked cup for his father. All the kids are wearing space smocks. So they come over, they put a space smock on. Uh, Clara, I don't know if kids wear smocks anymore. I mean, I guess when you talk about the decline of the Western age or whatever, maybe it was like when we stopped wearing, putting smocks on our kids, or maybe it's just like, uh, 
I don't know. I remember having to wear a smock, though. And these smocks were pretty sweet. They had reflective, uh, they looked like they were tech fabrics, whatever that means. They looked softer than soft, too. And Alexander's very particular about how he spikes his cups for his dad. And, I, I mean, I don't mean to, like, throw shade on Alexander, but uh, I don't know what he's, like, uh, like uh, looked like he was putting too much time and not a lot of progress in this cup. And then we're on the bridge, and, like, they try that resonant thing so we can see the strands. It's a really great uh, lattice uh, effect of these red uh, 47 million strands uh, uh, resemblance or something, resonant, I don't know, but... Uh, it really looks cool, like, oh, resonant effect, uh, like, uh, it, uh, like, it just looked like three-dimensional in this cool way. And then they try to back out, uh, they're trying to get out of there. And then we go to Troy's quarter, she orders a hot chocolate, and then she goes to, like, her, com- like her computer, she says, let me see my schedule for next week. And, uh, like, uh, her hot chocolate gets just knocked over. I mean, by you-know-who, but she's invisible. This was interesting. Troy's, uh, like, closest towels all the way in the vanity outside her bathroom. And apparently she mixes her bath. Like, I guess, like, when you use a replicator for that, like, say, hey, give me a towel, you know, clean. Uh, I guess I don't understand the replicators, but, uh, I mean, you don't mix your bathroom towels with your, like, uh, you're like, in my opinion, I guess. Uh, but she has to go to her vanity, get a towel. She's confused. Then we go back to ceramics class, and Alexander is having a cool. He seems like a really cool, nice kid. And he's talking about tigers and uh, at the zoo with his dad and getting licked by a tiger. And then they're kind of working together. But as soon as Alexander gets up, uh, his cup gets knocked over. Again, it was clay, so I don't know what the drama was, but he says that he lost two weeks of work, and he thought Claire did it on purpose. So she says, no, I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, it was my invisible friend. He goes, there is no invisible people. Uh, then he gets hit by a piece of clay from behind. And uh, so then Claire is like... Uh, like, she's like, Isabella, cut it out, and then she runs out. You know, she's been publicly uh, embarrassed, you know, because the whole class was watching uh, watching this. And Alexander just seems like a really nice kid, so he must have been popular. Though no other kids were talking to him. And uh, then Clara goes to Arboretum. She's upset, and then there's like this, uh, I didn't write the time on this, but there's like a villain walk by Isabella like a slow walk into the Arboretum. And she goes, Clara, Clara, Clara. And she goes, why are you being such a jerk? Uh, and she just walks slowly up to her, real slow. And she goes, because you ran away and left me alone. I had to, to, to do stuff on my own. Clara goes, I don't like this. And Isabel goes, I'm trying to take good care of you, Clara. She goes, that's why I'm here, to take it like I like you. And, but then her eyes turn red, and she goes, also, I'm, like, getting ready to bring some other uh, uh, Himalayan salt-based peoples aboard the ship, uh, so that's going to be bad for everybody but, but me and you. Then we see the Enterprise in the middle of all the strands and the bridge, Data and Picard. Uh, the ship's still shaking again. 
And then Riker and Worf are all trying to fix it. You know, sensor sweeps the whole nine yards. And Data's like, can we war? Or Picard's like, Data, can we war? He goes, no, no, no. That's, uh, and Jordy's like, no way. And they say, okay, like, just steadily get us out of here. Um, then, uh, like, uh, Jordy and Riker turn around, steady as she goes. Okay, then we're in 10 forward, and Troy's picking at a piece of chocolate cake. Uh, Guinan goes, what's up? You're not eating chocolate cake. Must be something going on. Or there's something wrong with the cake. And Troy goes, no, I'm just thinking. And, and Guinan says, imaginary friend. She goes, uh, I wonder if it's a good idea to wean a kid off of, uh, you know, an imaginary friend, uh, like him taking away her imaginary friend, uh, part of her childhood. And Guinan goes, well, I don't know about that. I, I ha- still have my imaginary friend, uh, you know, Tarkasian Razor Buddy. And she goes, you know, used to, you know, make, give me reassurance. Uh, she goes, in the a vision of the body of it faded away, but the idea stayed behind. And I don't need to talk to him as often as I used to. And then Troy, the dad page is Troy. She, he's like, uh, you better get down here. And Guinan says, okay. Or that's right when Guinan says, you don't have to give up your magic friend. They say, get down here. Claire, Claire just, uh, you know, she, she's upset. And then there's a, like a long shot after Troy leaves of a thoughtful Guinan. Uh, then dad and Claire uh, is with Claire. Claire's holding like a Teletubby dinosaur, a turquoise Teletubby-like dinosaur. It has a star on its head. And I think that was before the Teletubbies, though. And uh, then Claire tries one more time saying, geez, I got an imaginary friend and she's trouble. Uh, and she said there's other Himalayan salt beams coming here or something. And Troy goes, no, no, it's just in your imagination. And Claire goes, no, it's not. Uh, and Troy goes, okay, uh, it is. Uh, she goes, and then they start walking around their, their quarters. And it kind of felt like this was a little bit uh, pandering. Troy's like, okay, let's go in here. Do you see her? Anybody? No. The girl shakes her head. Okay, let's look under your bed. Anything under your bed? No. Okay, let's look behind this chair. No. She goes, maybe she's just gone home, honey. Maybe she isn't here. Is she in the vanity? No, not there. She goes, maybe she knows you're friends with Alexander Roshenko. And Claire goes, maybe she's in the closet. And she goes, okay. And then Troy goes, anybody in here? And no one's in there. But then she turns around and Claire is there. And she like, uh, she like, or Isabel is there. And she like, uh. She says, here's some salt, uh, and then uh, Troy kind of uh, takes a nap, uh, and then there's this shot of, like, uh, satisfied Isabella with red eyes or something, and they go to an ad. They put, oh, her face was flush, and her stare was stone cold, or glare. And then we go to Med Bay. Troy's lying down. Crusher Picard and Claire's dad are there. And Troy's kind of like, it was like an 11 or 12-year-old girl in a blue dress. Uh, and then the dad says, Mr. Captain Picard, can I talk to you in private? Which was weird to me. But he said, Claire said there's other Himalayan salt-based like beings coming to the ship. Uh, so Picard like, looks to the left and he kind of thinks. And he calls Worf. Uh, 
He goes, there's some Himalayan salt-based aliens pretending to be 12-year-old girl on the ship. You seen any? And Worf goes, oh, yeah, running around earlier. And he goes, okay, like, keep an eye out for uh And he goes, all right, I'm on it. Uh, and then Ogawa comes out with uh, Clara, and Clara demanded to speak to Picard. And then there's, like, this zooming on Picard. And Clara says, geez, if you want me to, I can help you because this is my best friend. Uh, I realize she, maybe she's a Himalayan salt based being, but, uh, I want to help. And Picard says, you know, don't worry about it. I got it. But if we need you, we'll call you. And then Picard gets called to the bridge. What does this say? Shack bridge. Uh, I don't know. Picard gave, uh, Puts things on red alerts. Oh, uh, I don't know what that says. A shale bridge? Uh, but all this Himalayan salts start coming and they start feeding on the Enterprise's uh, shields. Uh, and we get some H-E double hot like uh, breakers. Like they're feeding on our damn shields. And uh, like more are coming. And they're like, we got eight minutes. What should we do? Anybody have any ideas? And then at 30 minutes and nine minutes, uh, we go to the Arboretum. That woman that wasn't paying attention to children, she's still working at the Arboretum, like uh, on the same project maybe. And then Clara comes in with Picard and Worf and the dad. And Clara walks in. She's calling to Isabella, but Isabella doesn't answer and then Picard comes in, and then Picard's like, uh, well, geez, you must be a poser. You weren't Claire's friend. You're only a poser. You know, you're just supposed to be kids' friends. So he tries that tactic, and then uh, she appears. Oh, no, first, uh, Trace Butler accidentally is a, tries, a, oh, then he tries butter. He goes, oh, yeah, so he goes from calling her poser, and then he tries butter. Says, I'm clearly you're an intelligent being. Uh, then she doesn't appear, and he goes, Oh, well, uh, I guess you were only bully when it was little kids. Uh, and then Claire says, Come on, Isabella, this is weird. And uh, then Isabella appears, uh, and Picard goes, What's up? What are you? And she goes, Well, I was here to determine if you guys are cool and see if you have pure energy. And Picard goes, like, the song? Is that why you're draining our shields? And she goes, oh, yeah, that's some good energy in there. And then Riker's like, dude, we're losing all our power. And Picard goes, well, we could share. We have other ways to share energy. Uh, and she goes, well, you're jerks. And Picard goes, what do you mean we're jerks? And she goes, look at the way you treated Clara. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And she goes, you wouldn't let her do what she wanted to or go where she wanted to. I think that's like an, a song from an advertisement. Uh, and then Picard brings it all together because uh, he says, uh, well, uh, he goes, you, don't you mean where you wanted her to go? And Isabella goes, who cares? And Picard says, well, uh, he goes, he goes, those aren't places for kids where you were trying to take her. And Isabella goes, well, I was in charge. And Picard goes, well, we don't know you. We didn't even know you were real. And she goes, well, I'm Claire's friend, uh, and you guys didn't want me to be friends with her. And Picard goes, oh, you're seeing this ship from a child's eyes, so it must seem unfair and restrictive. He goes, as adults, uh, we take care of kids, but we don't always think about how their impressions. Uh, 
He says, if you're judging us by the way we treat kids, he goes, that's a pretty good way because he goes, we really care for them deeply. And he takes, you know, Picard doesn't like kids, but he takes Claire under his arm and he goes, we're, we try to protect him. That's the way we, we do. And he goes, and then Claire, he goes, that's what rules do. They protect children. And Claire will do it when she has kids and says, Claire says, come on. It's all we're friends. Uh, leave us alone with your salt-based beings. And maybe we could still be friends. And then Isabella just turns into a, a salt, uh, like whatever, what else called? Salt lick or whatever they're called, a Himalayan salt lamp. And then it flies away. Then all the other uh, salt lamps fly away that were outside the ship feeding on the shield, apparently. Oh, also when she says, uh, hey, why don't we just be friends and leave us alone? When Clara says that. All of a sudden, like, the filters of the focus change, and Isabella was much more natural. Like, she had a natural glow to her. And then she smiles like a normal smile instead of the forced smile from the beginning, and then she turns into a salt lake and flies away, or whatever, salt lamp. Uh, and then all the strands disappear, and then uh, Ricard, then we're on the bridge, Ricard's like, what's up, uh... Number one, and Riker says, the strands are out. We could warp out here in 20 minutes. And Picard goes, make it an hour. He goes, send some warp power to these uh, nebulins. And Jordy goes, aye, aye, sir. And Picard had his legs crossed. He also, he did this, uh, I don't know how many people, a lot of people know who Mick Jagger is, right? You know, even somebody said they had moves like Mick Jagger like three years ago. So I assume so. He does this, like, Mick Jagger lifts thing, lifts thing after he says, uh, you know, after, when Jordy says, I, sir, I'm pretty sure, over to Riker. Uh, I mean, over to, yeah, Riker. Picard does, like, a Mick Jagger lips thing. I think, I didn't watch it, like, I missed it. Uh, so maybe I imagined it, or it came in a dream. Not, like, intentionally or ostentatiously, like a subconscious uh, thing. Then we're in Clara's room, and it's like the last day of summer camp suddenly. And there's music to match, like mixed in with the uh, Next Generation theme. I mean, literally like a after-school special, like uh, Isabel said, appears. She says, sorry about everything, Clara. And Clara goes, I, that's okay. And Isabel goes, well, I shouldn't have misled you. Uh, it wasn't really your Isabella. I was just like a construct of, you know like when adults project meaning on clouds. And Claire goes, well, for a while you were, my friend. And uh, Isabella goes, well, I've never had a friend before. You know, and then they do a pinky swear and all, you know, they make friendship bracelets and also friendship uh, pins. And uh, then they have to say goodbye. Claire says, well, I'm sorry, I got to go. And Isabella goes, well, do you think you're ever going to come back? And Claire goes, yeah, of course, one day. And she goes, I hope so. So do I. And the episode ends with friendship. Uh, good night. Right, I want to thank uh, some people sorting the show on Patreon. Zachary, Caroline, and Leah. Thanks and good night. Uh, Serena, uh, Jacqueline, and Pamela. Thank you and good night. Uh, Jeremy, Carrie, and Shannon, thank you and good night. Danielle, Abby, and Lisa, thank you and good night. Christina, Jeffrey, and Amelia, thank you and good night. Uh, thanks and good night to Nicolette, uh, Jonathan, and Jen. 
good night to the, and thank you to Anna, to Ash, and to Mark. Uh, thanks and good night to Lori, to Jeff, and Panina. Uh, good night and thank you to Chris and Joe and Elise. Uh, thanks and good night to Johnny, Aaron, and Josie. Thank you. Good night to John, to Jake, and Zachary. Uh, Caitlin, Jamie, and Diane, thanks and good night. Zorin, uh, that's, that's funny. That's uh, the name of the, um, from the James Bond movie. Uh, thanks and good night. Sean, Richard, and Jeremy, thanks and good night. Good night and thanks to Julie, to Mary, and to Hannah. Uh, good night and thanks to Nate, Patricia, and Meg. Uh, thank you and good night to Sarah, Blake, and Paul. Uh, good night and thanks to Gina, my buddy Nick, uh, and Benke. Uh, thanks and good night to Christine, to Jamie, and to Donna. Uh, thanks uh, to Kay with the double S, uh, Michaela, and Samantha. Uh, good night and good, thank you to Andres, uh, Holly, and Kate. Uh, thanks and good night to Amir, uh, Clemen, and Jansen, and Sari and Chantel. Thanks and good night. Thanks everybody supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, I want to say thanks and good night on Venmo uh, to Ashley M. Thanks and good night. Uh, Mary B, thanks and good night. Beth, Beth D, thank you and good night. Mary R, thanks and good night. Uh, people who supported the show on Venmo. Uh, over on uh, PayPal, I want to thanks, say thanks and good night to Michelle, to Dave, and Alyssa, thank you and good night. Lisa F, thanks and good night. L, thanks and good night. Uh, uh, thanks and good night to Bonnie. Good night and thank you to Jennifer. Uh, thanks and good night to John C. Uh, thanks and good night to Rana. Uh, good night and thank you to Tony. And thanks and good night to Lynn. So thanks and good night. Thanks for the support, everybody, and good night. All right, hey, everybody. It's uh, time to talk about uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, you know, and it goes. What does he say? So it goes. What it, oh, no, that's uh, that's the Carvana getting that. Uh, Commander, uh, it just almost said Commander Jordy LaForge. Holy fan fiction. We're talking about episode six, Rascals. Uh, nice little uh, title for episode. Let me see what, uh, like, uh, oh no, season six. Season six, episode uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven, about? It looks like about seven. I don't know. My old Kindle Fire is in uh, reboot mode. So let me get the episode going here, but uh, I really liked this. I really enjoyed this episode. Really, uh, like, a fun one. And uh, this is one you could probably watch with your kids, depending on, like, their view of, like, uh, like, uh, like I searched the Internet for most friendly kid uh, Star Trek episodes, and this was one that came up. But I'll tell you what, it was no child's play getting to the end of this episode for the crew of the Enterprise, if you pardon my uh, pun. Uh, it looks like it was episode four. Oh, boy, you won't notice a gap, but I'm back again. It is, it's episode seven. I said started episode four, which I've been watching, too. So that'll be a couple episodes from now you'll hear that. 
But yeah, according to Captain's log, Ensign Rowe, Keiko O'Brien, Guinan, and, and uh, Captain Command, Ca- is it Captain, I don't know, Commander Picard, uh, they're returning to uh, Enterprise after a fascinating visit to Marlonia. And those of you that remember Perfect Mate, you got a taste of this because Picard is so cute on this episode, too. He is, uh, on Merlonia, they had, I guess they had different, they were at an um, archaeological dig, or Picard was. And Picard is really, really uh, jazzed about what he did. He found some Merlonian, or no, is it Mer- Merlonian cookware? Yeah, some ancient Merlonian cookware. Uh, what does this say? Lick thumbs, like themis. Uh, I guess sometimes my handwriting is really bad. Like thumbs, uh, but he says he's like so happy. He's like, geez, oh, like the thumb, like the thimbles. That's what it was said. Like the thimbles from a perfect mate, uh, where Picard likes uh, these symbols. But these are, like, he's like, oh, look at these patterns on these things. Way more Brunian than Taguanian, which is close to Merlonian. And Guinan gives him a hard time. She says, you're on the most beautiful planet in the quadrant, and you spent your shore leave in a cave. And Picard says, of course. He goes, it was so rewarding. you got to look at these fragments. Nearly perfect condition. And 700 years old, which is how old Guinan's father is. Now, I don't want to point any fingers, but I said, John, look, are you allowed to be uh, taking uh, ancient pottery off planet? Uh, and again, I, I said, well, maybe this is a profession. Like, maybe he's showing. And then I said, well, he's touching them with his bare hands. Uh, but they probably, like, covered in some sort of, uh, you know, like a code, invisible coating. Guinan, I, I love when Guinan appreciates, like I do, uh, Jean-Luc's enthusiasm because she's just grinning as he's talking about it. Then we have this nice uh, moment that uh, Roe and Keiko share. I don't know if there's ever a callback to this moment that I can remember, uh, but maybe there is because uh, uh, Roe's uh, Keiko O'Brien has... Uh, like plants in her lap, and then Rose says, is that a Dravidium fractus or something? And Keiko goes, it's a Calamus or something. It's just a, you look at the shape of the leaves. She goes, I didn't know you liked plant biology. And Rose goes, well, I took one class about it. Keiko's really, really happy, not just like finding out you could be friends with someone, you know, that has, a, Luciana Rowe has this, a similar disposition to me. And it's like, like her, her, like, uh, I don't know, like very, like, uh, <laughs> she's very grouchy like I am, but in a different way than Worf. I, unfortunately, I have both of their grouchy feelings, her features. But she, then uh, Worf says, hey, by the way, Fermi, 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 which I think is someone famous, uh, uh, Rogos, go ahead. They go, we got a distressed stress call in Lago 7. And Picard says, what's up? Uh, what did they say? And Worf goes, the call got cut off. Uh, low signal. And Picard goes, let's lay a course and engage at warp 8. I didn't know these uh, shuttles could go and warp. Oh, no, no. He says, lay a course for them. They'll go to warp 8 as soon as he gets on. And then they say, aye, sir. And, uh, oh, it said, is the bro a secret plant fan? 
But then she also dismisses Keiko, I think, to cover up. She, like She's like, I don't want anybody knowing I'm a plant fan, Keiko. And let's see. Uh, what else? Uh, then the distress call comes. Call's cut off. Lay a course. Uh, Rose, like, Rose on it. She's like, we'll be there in three minutes. And then right as Rose starts driving or flying, there's like this weird blue energy field. And the ship's like doing lots of bouncing. And uh, I think at some point, I wonder if this is after the opening or before, Riker looks over at Worf, uh, and the ship's, this must have been after the opening. Oh, no, there wasn't. This is, I guess I thought the opening was there, but Riker goes in right when they're caught in this thing, and Worf's like, they're caught in an energy field, and, it's, uh, you know, ship's engines and life support are going out. And Riker goes, get get the ship, get the transporter ready, full impulse. Let's get them back once we're in range. And then they're on a shuttle rope, can't get a hold of the Enterprise. The whole ship's shaking. It's got like a effect, like a pool on a ceiling, like a swimming pool. You know, when it's reflection of a swimming pool. Roll and Picard are tra- Picard's like transfer the auxiliary power. The computer's like warning structural fa- failure. O'Brien is the one in the um, uh, transporter room, which again I said is like a conflict of interest in my opinion. Like it happens twice because his wife's on board. So they said, Riker's like, O'Brien, you got him? He's like, almost. And then he goes, I can't get a pattern lock. And then the shuttle, Riker's like, the shuttle's in trouble. You got to do it, Chief. And then O'Brien's like, well, I got them, but we're 40% short on mass, uh, which has got to be devastating. For O'Brien's like, I think we lost one of them, which the math doesn't add up. No offense, O'Brien, but it doesn't add up. 40% of four uh, does not equal one. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I'm also terrible at math. Uh, and then they energize, and then there's four, uh, like, uh, tweens. I guess back then I don't think they called them tweens, but this now it's clear they're tweens. And let's see, poor O'Brien, I put, uh, can't get a pattern lock. Uh, yeah, they warp him, and there's kids, uh, uh, tweens. O'Brien's look, he's got a real hot, like, like a wild look on his face. And then the lead, there's one male, and he, he's got a high voice. Uh, I mean, it's pretty instant that, that you know it's Picard, but he says, Thank you, Mr. O'Brien, in this like kind of scratchy, like tween voice, a tween male voice, two, thir- two minutes and 30 seconds. And I was thrown off by the clothes because Rose's sleeves are way too long, but then Keiko and Picard's clothes mostly fit, and same with uh, Guinan. And then Picard realizes uh, something's wrong off of O'Brien's look. He's like, wait a second, O'Brien's looking at me weird. He should be looking at me like, you know, subserviently or whatever. And he looks around, he realizes, uh, and then he swallows very hard. I like the swallow, and the episode opens now. And then after the opening, we're in the med bay, Roe's getting scanned, Ensign Roe. And I liked the shot. Roe, uh, Guinan, and Keiko are sitting like back to back to back in like, kind of like a triangle on one bed. I just liked that shot. I, I don't know. I liked how the, all three of them were back to back. They're all kids or tweens. And then Picard is with Crusher and... 
Who's he with? Crusher and Riker. And I put Holy Curls. And I thought this was interesting thinking about the pod, this podcast because uh, I guess it's the first season six episode I've ever seen, maybe. But Troy's hair is very different, I think. I don't know. I don't have a hair chart, but it seemed much curlier. And, uh, like, uh, I don't know. And I think about people that listen to the early podcast episodes uh, and then listen to newer ones without, like, going through, like, a slow transformation. Like, Worf was very different in season one, I think, and two. And then his look kind of changed. And same with Troy's hair in this one. It's like if you bounce around, it can throw you off. Where if you see the slow progression, you almost never notice. I mean, if this was the first episode of a season, it might throw you off that Troy's hair is different. But once you're in the season, you're not going to notice. And people get their hair, you know, they change hair all the time. So why can't they do that on a starship? But I'm just saying the sound of this podcast has changed uh, a little bit over time. Well, ideally, it's trying to get it better. And uh, I don't know, sometimes they hear, like, I'm more comfortable I am of more comfortable I am screwing up. Uh, it reflects the show. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, let's get back to this episode because it's getting away from me here on the in the screen. So holy curls. What happened to Sh- Shuttlecraft 1? Uh, Picard, young Picard asks in his high voice. Everyone's kind of weird, you know, weirded out. Uh, and Riker says it broke up. Data's salvaging it. Uh, and then Crusher goes, what do you think you passed through? And Riker goes, we're trying to figure it out, but a lot of interference. It's going to take time. And Picard says, no way. we got to deal with uh, leave a probe. we got to get to LIGO 7 for the rescue. And then he's like our, in command again. He goes, uh, let me know when you know something. Number one, you're with me. And Crusher's like, i got to run some tests, Captain. He goes, yeah, and those three. Sitting back to back to back, uh, they'll remain and assist you, Dr. Crusher. And they walk off. Uh, and Troy gives Riker a look. Uh, w- w- this was after what happened to Shuttlecraft 1. There's like a Crusher reaction when, to just uh, Picard speaking. Young Picard. Uh, Gene Luke, we'll call him. Gene, yeah, Gene Luke. Uh, and... Uh, then Troy looks at Riker, like they're all sharing a look. Uh, uh, the three of you, reunion is good, Picard. Oh, Picard says remain there. But as Picard leaves, he looks back before he gets to the door. Uh, and Troy, Troy and Crusher have these blank looks on their faces. Then we go to Guinan, and she's smiling, and Roe is very grumpy. She also has a great headband. She's like, geez, why, what do you want, Rose? Like, what are you smiling at? And Guyton goes, you're pretty cute as a kid. She goes, I don't want to be cute. Uh, and Guyton says, geez, were you this great, nice as a kid? She goes, uh, I was a refugee, by the way. So fun wasn't in my vocabulary. And Guyton totally put, she goes, well, we're not now. Uh, so... And Rogers, you know what's fun? Getting back to work, back to normal. Uh, then we have Picard and Riker on the on the lift, and Riker looks down. He's so uncomfortable, and that makes Picard feel awkward. Oh no, no, Riker looks down at Picard because he's so much taller. And they get on the bridge, and everyone is totally stunned. Flab- I'd say flabbergasted. This is like seven minutes into the episode. 
And Worf even, I mean, I guess this would make sense for his character. He looks at Riker, like, who has authority here? And Riker just nods at Worf. Uh, and then Crusher comes in. She kind of looks a little bit, uh, like Picard's trying to give out orders uh, and say, don't worry about it. Crusher's on it. I'm still in charge. And uh, Crusher comes to the bridge while he's saying that, and she's got an uncomfortable look on her face. And at some point she says, listen, can I talk to you privately, Gene Luke? Also, there's an ensign on there that looked pretty young. It, like, it just threw me off, uh, like a younger-looking ensign on the bridge. So then they go into his ready room or whatever they call it, and Jean- Jean Luke orders a girl gray hot, uh, which, like, it crushes really good. She just has this ridiculous look on her face, like, this is ridiculously uncomfortable. Her arms are crossed as John Luke uh, tries to have some tea, and he tries to be distracted. He hops on his computer, and then finally Crusher sits down. Because, uh, you know, they're just talking about, Jesus, what do you think? Get ready for this. We got to get ready for this rescue. And she says, Gene, Luke, we, we got to talk here. And he goes, talk. What do you want? Are you going to relieve me of duty? And she goes, I'd rather not do that. He goes, I'm still Gene, Luke, Picard. I'm John, Luke, Picard. But just call me Gene, Luke. Uh, for now, everything's normal, just not my body. And she, I think she knows really, like, there's a subtext this of, like, uh, puberty's coming. Like, cause she, and she went through it with Wesley. So maybe that's another thing. It's like, even if you're totally intact, what if those hormones start raging? But she goes out of you because she says this could be the first stage of a condition that may begin to affect your mind as well. And, like, uh, Picard says, yeah, but there's no evidence of that. And she says, well, check your chest. Does your chest have any hair? He says, not yet. And she says, okay. That part didn't happen, but it could have. And uh, she goes, well, here's what I know. The captain of the ship has gone and undergone an extreme physical transformation, and I don't know the effects of it yet. And she goes, he goes, what are you asking me to step down? And she goes, you are still Jean-Luc Picard, and you're also Jean-Luc Picard. What are you going to do? And he walks, and he doesn't have the same posture. Like, I don't know, maybe he slouches a little bit, this kid. I mean, for the most part, this acting, this child, these child actors are phenomenal. I mean, even John Luke, that's a difficult role uh, to play, or Gene Luke. But he says, he goes on the bridge, he says, yeah, Commander Riker, take command of the ship till further notice. And Riker says, understood. Uh, what other notes do I have? Uh, you know, he, I liked during the scene with Crusher and Ricardo how he kind of looks out a window. And Crusher, she almost walks up to him when she says, what I do know is that, like she says in almost a whisper, the commander of the ship is, you know, gone. And that was at 10 minutes uh, when he tells Riker to take over the ship. And there's like a like a look shot, breathes, moves his eye. I assume that means long shot. Uh, then we have Roe and Guinan walking. And Guinan's like, hey, what the hell? Let's go play. Uh, and guy Rove's like, I don't play. Like, I, like, I just want to go. I don't want to do anything. Uh, I want to control this situation. And guy like, we're young. Didn't you ever see like the one, like, uh, that TV show was made into a movie and they played kick the can and then they became young, how great it was. 
And Ro goes, I don't know. And she goes, it came out right around when this episode came out, I think. But Guinan go, Ro goes, go ahead and play without me. And Guinan goes, what are you going to go back to your room and pout? And Ro goes, I'm not 12. Uh, I don't care if I look 12. Uh, let me go back to my quarters and contemplate things. And that's not pouting. And, like, while she walks away, Guinan lets her go and then runs after her. And uh, what does this say? She's at 10.55. Oh, no, though. She says, okay, okay. But then Guinan skips after Rose. She's walking to her room to contemplate things. Then we have a great scene at 10. It starts at 10.55 with Keiko and Chief O'Brien. First, Keiko wants to spray her plants. She needs a stool just to reach her plant sprayer. And there's lots of awkward looks from O'Brien the whole time as she's doing it. And then she places an orchid on the table. And I said, what the hell? Is, has, has Sigmund Freud watched this episode? Because it said, what in the hell? And I think she even touched the, the, the plant. And then O'Brien goes, Jesus, how about some coffee? Uh, and she goes, I'll get He goes, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. Uh, and I said, what are you doing, chief? Kids can't have coffee. Like I had, I, I, I've tested that out as a kid and it didn't go well. Back when I was a campfire girl, like which I was, but we were the first, I think, group of uh, mixed male campfire, like uh, I think you had to sell peanut brittle at the gro- outside the grocery store. But at the time, the grocery store had free coffee, and I drank, like, four coffees. It, like, it was not pleasant. Uh, like, uh, like my body did not like having all that coffee. And all my friends were like, what are you doing? I said, I'm drinking. I think I even made, like, a half coffee, half tea, half cream. So I know it's a bad idea giving Keiko coffee. And Chief likes his black with double, double sweet but black. Uh, and Keiko takes hers with, uh, I think, sugar and cream, cream and sugar, one sugar, one cream, which I said, geez, uh, that's interesting that they replicates like that. And then they sit down as a married couple next to each other in sync. They put their cups up in sync, and then she tries to snuggle up with him for comfort. And that freaks Chief out. He goes, this is wrong. And she goes, I'm your wife, Miles O'Brien. And she kind of grabs him by the collar he goes, yeah, you're my wife, but you're 10. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess, uh, like, thinking about it from an empathetic way, it must be incredibly hard for O'Brien. And then even if you're thinking about the long term. And then Keiko gets, she goes, well, what does this mean? Is this it? Uh, and he goes, I didn't say that. But he goes, until they reverse this, uh, he goes, it's just difficult. Uh, and she goes, well, what if they can't reverse it? What does that mean? And then their daughter starts calling them. And she's in bed. Uh, also, I thought the acting was great. I thought w- the way the rhythm of her speech was very like uh, Keiko. And uh, then the daughter calls. She said, Mommy, Mommy. The daughter has like really nice purple blankets and sheets, uh, like kind of like a purple Kandinsky print. And then Keiko's a little, you know, the daughter doesn't recognize her mom. And O'Brien hugs hugs her. He says, don't worry, Keiko, it's going to be all right. I, I, I don't know how we're going to. And again, again, I love that the way they, uh, if you really pay attention to these Star Trek episodes, there's one lesson hopefully I'll learn. And it, the best one was um, that noir one, uh, which I can't think of the name of it, uh, with uh, Picard and, and Crusher and Data. 
and that other random dude, but uh, where he, like they're willing to say, I don't know the answers. Uh, I guess that's part of being an explorer. He says, geez, Keiko, I don't know how we're going to fix this, but we'll get through it. Uh, then we get our officer, first officer's log. Uh, they got to Lagos. They're looking for the science team. No progress on figuring out stuff with the, the crew, the shrunken crew. And we see Jean-Luc. He's touching his lymph nodes or his Adam's apple or in the mirror or something. 14.15 is the minutes. He's feeling his baby face, a lack of beard. And then he runs his hand through his hair, which he has really good hair, which I thought was funny. It was really witty casting, I think. Uh, and then he puts his jacket on, his doorbell rings, it's Troy. And she's like, I'm just here to see how you're doing. I mean, I guess I would always say, is this a professional visit? I mean, that would be my first question, which I would, so I would probably just not answer the door ever. But I liked also she stood behind him in the mirror and... Uh, you know, he's he's like, she's not great. First, he makes a joke. I'll have to talk to my tailor about my clothes. Uh, but he goes, you know, I look ridiculous. I feel ridiculous. Nobody respects me, right? And she goes, people that know you and were probably uh, will just eventually. But she goes, some people might not be able to accept a 12-year-old captain. I think this was before Doogie Hauser, though. Doogie Hauser may have changed the paradigm or, you know, this is this in the future, them, you know, saying, let's watch Doogie Hauser. That'll solve it. And I think there's a, another child comedy, oh, a child prodigy comedy with that guy from the third, that third rock. What's it called? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, my dad, I mean, dad's favorite TV show. It's a super, super smart club or whatever. I, I don't know what it's called, but it's uh, like Sheldon. That's what the new show's called. But, like, he's not really Doogie Hauser because he's an adult. Uh, I mean, for me, I would have just quit my job and, like, started a, I guess I'd become, like, a Han Solo, like a young Han, Han Solo. I mean, he could be such a grifter. But that's not, you know, John, Gene Luke or John Luke. They're a lot better than me. But he says, geez, I don't know. I guess I'll have to wait till I grow up again before I'm in charge. Uh, 10, 15 years. What do I do till then? Troy goes, you could do some other stuff. He goes, yeah, no, no, I'm, a, I'm not sitting behind a desk. Yeah, I'm a captain. And she goes, what about the academy? He goes, yeah, I'll be Wesley Crusher's roommate. Uh, he, he, at first he's mad, but then he goes, well, that has an appeal. But he goes, I've spent my life looking forward, and I don't want to go backward. And she goes, what about other stuff? He goes, like, quit. She goes, we'll take a sabbatical. You could get some of those uh, pottery or whatever you're into. And Picard's like, wait a second, you're right, Dr. Langford. I don't know if that's a possible romantic interest either. Said, geez, I could check out the ruins on Suvin floor, whatever, Suvin something four. You know, that would be cool. And Troy goes, geez, you're, in a way you're lucky. You have a chance to do what most people only dream about, a second childhood without the pain of growing up again, which is a little, uh, uh, a little bit confusing. A statement. Uh, let's see, crawling through cave. I really thought he was giving some great looks uh, and some of the stuff Troy said. The young actor that was playing Jean Luke. Uh, and then I thought Troy was really good because she has this jealous look on her face when she says that. Meanwhile, he's kind of just looking at the pots, the pottery. 
Then we have Crusher and Riker. They're giving us a lesson in like puberty and RVN. And she's like, we got a couple of options. Uh, she goes, we figure it out on these plants maybe first. Uh, she goes, or we could do nothing and wait till they grow up. Uh, or we could buffer them in the transporter. And I put, but why? Not sure why. Let me look at the dialogue here. Yeah, they could buffer them, replace the missing sequences. Uh, oh, she says, but we can't attempt that until we figure out why it happened first. Uh, which I don't know if they, like, not to spoil it, but I don't think they do figure it out. Uh, then O'Brien is looking through the wreckage. Jordy comes in. He goes, this stuff isn't tritanium anymore, and he crumbles up part of the ship. Uh, there's also a dude right at the ready for, for the sample that Jordy. Jordy's like, let me run some tests on it, and the guy's standing right behind him. Here you go, boss. Then we have a great first shot of Guinan's purple feet dangling, or this could be a purple-blue situation like that friggin' dress, but I would say bluish-purple. And she sighs. Again, it's so hard. I mean, I'm, I don't direct anything, but I watch enough stuff uh, with professional act, child actors or like my, one of my pet peeves uh, than child actors that act well. Uh, and he's just a really good, really good job. And, I mean, I watched this episode five or six times. So, uh, But Guinan is a size, and she stands up. She kind of looks at this bauble. A bubble-like bobble that is on Rose's table with some perfume bottles, it seemed like. And Guinan goes, this is so boring. And Rogue goes, what do you want to play with some dolls? And she goes, well, I just don't want to sit here while you sulk. Uh, and Rogue goes, this isn't your glorious second childhood. Our bodies, you know, this is, she goes, this is some force that changed our bodies. Aren't you bothered? And Guinan goes, sure, but it's out of my control, so we might as well enjoy it. Uh and you could tell Ro had a tough time because she goes, oh, being short and awkward is a gift. Uh, and Gannon goes, is there one part of childhood you didn't loathe? Uh, and Ro goes, it was a long, depressing period of my life, and I was grateful when it was over. So then Gannon goes, I bet you like jumping on beds and furniture and stuff. And Ro goes, no. And Gannon goes, oh, you did. The quiet ones always look so innocent, but they love jumping on beds. And Ro goes, yeah, I didn't have a lot of beds, by the way. Uh, and Gany goes, but when you did, you jumped on it. And Ro goes, no. And Gany goes, yeah. And so this is a good episode thematically, I think, or like whatever emotionally for like Ro. And then they jump on the bed like Tarkasian razor bee, razor buddies, uh, razor bee, razor bee buddies. And then we see O'Brien, Crusher, Riker, and Jordy trying to figure out what happened. And then Worf calls. He goes, we're in orbit around Lyco 7. And Riker heads to the bridge. He rolls up on date. He puts his leg up like that Riker move he likes to do, or he leans on his knee, which turns out, I guess he, like, uh, uh, Freaks had a lot of back issues, uh, and he's talking to Data about, you know, there's interference or something. And then out of nowhere, two uh, decloaked Klingon ships, Brown class, appear. And Rector goes, shields up, take us out of orbit. Uh, red alert, you know, like uh, they're into, like, uh, they're dealing with it. Uh, prepare to return. There's a quick shot. Oh, that was a quick shot of Picard. That's at 2345. 
Oh, because this is important shot, actually. 2345, Picard was like, uh, covers up something he was doing with a microscope uh, in a book. I, I, I thought it was interesting. He like he was using a microscope in a book, and he cover he was, he like tries to cover his tracks, like he was reading some like uh, like uh, Karma Sutra that's like engraved on pottery or something. I don't know. Uh, uh, then there's an ad break, and the ship it comes back. The ship's under fire. Wharf uh, and Data, you know, they're trying to deal with it. the shields are at thirteen percent. Life's force is sixty seven. Uh, they said, we got to get some more power. We're being, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? We're being boarded. And then Picard's heading towards the turbo lift. He runs right into a dude, uh, there who, uh, and then they're on the bridge. Uh, two people phase in. It's red, red energizer. And Worf takes a shot at one of them, misses. And then they, they, they get Worf, uh, stun him. Uh, Data j- d- jumps in the action. Riker dives out of the way, does like a roll dive, like 80s action movie style. But he also like does the, like where you lock your phone thing. He secures the ship's controls. Uh, and then it's Morden or something. I, I don't know. Let me look. There's, these are Ferengi that are doing it. I can never, for some reason, I can't remember that name, Ferengi, when I need it. Uh, but yeah, Riker scrambles the computer or whatever. So no one can control it. Oh, it's Morta. And they say, send all able-bodied people down to the planet, surface of the planets. Uh, then we see O'Brien's under guard, Jordy and a bunch of other people in their transporter room. We go back to the bridge. Worf's taking a little nap on the floor. And two of the Ferengi are arguing on whose fault it was that the computer got locked. And 2610, there's a really good entrance of the Ferengi leader. Very, uh, like, very, like, dramatic and good. He comes onto the uh, bridge grinning. He's holding his hands. His name is Damon. And he's like, enough. What's with this arguing? Where's the captain? And Riker says, uh, uh, I'm in charge of this ship or whatever. Um, like, who, who, whose authority are you? He goes, I'm Damon. Uh, this is a lost ship. I claim it is Ferengi Salvage, and you'll have to cooperate with us, so you'll be in big trouble. And then there's another ad break. Uh, then we see the shot of the planets and the ships. Uh, and then Picard gets thrown into, like, I've never been on a cruise ship, but it looked like the teen lounge I've heard about on cruise ships or tween lounge. Uh, like a place tweens can hang out. I don't know. I guess I would never, I've never been on a, t- a cruise ship. Probably by the time I actually ever go on a cruise, I'll be with a tween. So she could report to me about it, but that'll be a couple of years from now. Um, but yeah, like he gets thrown in there 27, 22, I think. Uh, Picard gets tossed in from Roe, Keiko and Guinan all rush to him. Roe kind of fills him in on what's been happening. There's lots of good extras acting. I guess I, I really hate to pump up the acting so much, but uh, it's good. Like, there's lots of kids standing in the background, these extras, and they're having these fake conversations. I thought it was great. Uh, and they have these, like, pastel outfits, lots of overalls, uh, not all in overalls. And, again, I don't know the difference between an overall and a jumper, uh, but very stylish. I think there's a period, like, an electronic periodic table on the wall. 
lots of bonsais up and around. And Keiko's like, where's my kid? He's like, primary care, don't worry. Uh, and then Chris's like, what are our options here? And Rogue goes, well, we could uh, use some uh, laughing gas. Uh, Craig goes, no, computer's locked. Uh, and Rogue goes, well, if they're Ferengi, they're probably pleased and overconfident. And Picard goes, agreed, okay. And they don't like, uh, they probably don't think they need a ton of people on the ship. We could use surprise. We could be tactical. And Guinan goes, tactical. G and Luke, uh, we're children. And Picard goes, we, we can't do any, we have to do something. And she goes, yeah. But we can't act like adults. And Picard says, well, what should we do? She goes, act like children uh, and, and do something. And I, like, I, oh, that's when I call it the adventure teen zone. Maybe that says adventure. Like, this is also tactical adventure Zeon Loke. That's what my handwriting says. Adelandian Zeon Locke. But she plants idea in his head. Then the Ferengi, like, there's a Ferengi rubbing Picard's desk. I think it's Damon. And then he puts his feet up. He's got even green boots on. And Riker comes in and he says, Geez, uh, like, I got, uh, I got your ship, uh, you know. And Craig goes, I hope you have a high profit margin. He goes, of course we do. He goes, we're not even affiliated with the Ferengi Alliance. We're solo entrepreneurs. Uh, it was so profitable. And Riker goes, so this is all about profit. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, we got a planet full of gems, and now we got a ship we can sell. Totally. We're great. You know, we're great. He goes, you're going to labor on it, uh, and then we'll sell your ship, and— uh, and Riker goes, why will we help you? He goes, well, it's, it's, he goes, mining is not easy, so why don't you get to work? Uh, but Riker says in a way, he goes, you don't think I'm really going to help you. It was great body language between him and Damon. He goes, I think, uh, I just liked his way, but he goes, I think, you know, mining's not easy. But then we're back at the team zone, teen zone. Uh, Picard's trying to get the computer to do something. Angelfish says hello to him. And he says delete audio instead of mute, which I thought was easy. And then they they find a schematic of the ship, and then they're going to go into Jeffrey's tube, which I hadn't heard about before. It sounds interesting, though. Kind of like a conduit. So they open the door to that. Right, Roe and Keiko are ready to go. And Picard says, make it so. When they're ready to go, make it so. But then he gets bumped by, like, a Roomba that uh, Alexander Roshenko's playing with Worf's kid. And it's like a remote control toy. And Picard's like, you mind if I borrow this? I said, what the heck? Like, like he's the only one with, I said, like, but he goes, yeah, sure. And then we see a Ferengi on guard uh, who's distracted by the remote control uh, Roomba. 3240, the doors open and the Roomba runs out. And then Picard and Keiko... This is good. It's 3240. You should check it out. Picard and Keiko are hiding down the hall. This was like, a, I think this has been in like a ton of 80s movies, uh, even modern movies, where two people are down the hall looking around the corner and they're like leaning. And then as soon as the person turns, they pull their heads back. Uh, maybe Breakfast Club. Did I say that? Uh, but, but actually, movie pull the pull your head back thing. The Ferengi follows a remote control. Keiko and Picard sneak into the transporter room, get some phasers. They do some kind of programming. Oh, they program the um, 
what do you call it, it uh, so that when you phase into it, the transporter, they put a, a be, like a shield around it. And then the Ferengi, he catches a remote control and he's like kind of stroking it and inspecting it and trying to open it up. Uh, then we have Roe and Guinan, they're in the Jeffrey's tube. And Roe goes, this is the first time a Jeffrey's tubes haven't been cramped. Uh, and they go, Guinan's like, how far do we got to go? And, and Roe goes, what are you tired? And Guinan goes, I'm not as young as I used to be. Uh, then we have, uh, 3357, a dude is like a, what are they called? Ferengi is looking at like a model of an atom or something. You know, those ones you put together with sticks and round, uh, balls or whatever protein structure or something at the med lab. And Alexander Roshenko, he does a like a knock and dash or whatever. He rings the doorbell or knocks on the window and runs away. Uh, but it's a fake runaway cause he hides, uh, and then you get some, like, like one of those things that were flumist type things. Uh, then Roe and Guy in the head down a ladder. They're at main, main engineering. Roe puts her hands behind her back, and she goes, now we wait. And then we see Alexander Roshenko crawling out. Uh, they said, why does Worf's kid get used uh, in this uh, scam? I wasn't so convinced on that. Uh, then we see Picard and Keiko are ready. She says, are you ready? All right, they're going over the plan. And then he says, I'm afraid I can't think of a way. Oh, no, he says, she goes, how are you going to get to the bridge? He says, I can only think of one way. So then he goes outside. And there's actually, this is 3542. The um, Ferengi has a Jim Henson Yoda voice, exactly like Yoda. And Picard cries for his father. He gets delivered to Riker. He goes, Daddy, Daddy. And then there's an ad break. Yeah, then Riker and Picard try to talk in code. He says, Jeez, we'd like to just play some games down at the lab at the teen zone, Dad. And he goes, Well, the computers are off. And Picard goes, Just in schoolroom eight, can you turn them on just for some games with the fish? Like, you know, like a spellathon or something. And Riker goes, I'll see Jean-Luc. Uh, and he goes, thanks, number one. And then everybody freezes. Uh, but he goes, my number one dad. And they give each other like a big after-school special hug. It was funny. And Picard goes back to the teen lounge. And then 37.15, another great scene. Damon is looking at the fish tank. Like, it's just awesome. You got to watch this one. He's running his hands across the globe of the fish tank. I couldn't tell if he was looking for, like, what he was looking for. He's, like, stroking it but looking for, like, some sort of secret. Uh, he even, like, looks up at the top. Uh, like, I don't know if he was going to, like, what he was trying to do, open the fish tank or look for something. But the doorbell rings. Right, It's Riker. Damon's very pleased. And he goes, yeah, your son was here. He goes, Riker goes, yep. He goes, yeah, we don't bring our offspring on ships. Uh Riker goes, too bad. Our family is our strength. And he goes, well, it's going to be your weakness. He goes, reprogram the computer. And Riker goes, no. And he goes, well, you should never brought your kids on board a ship. Uh, and Riker goes, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. You got me. He goes, show Morta how to use the computer, too. By the way, he's not a, his computer literacy is low. So I want him to head, a, head that up, of course. And Riker did great fake acting. I liked his fake acting where he's, like, acting mad, like he was tricked. Uh, and as soon as Picard leaves, Damon goes right back to the fish tank. 
Then Ray Riker was teaching, like, what are these? How did Ferengi, coding for Ferengi? He's teaching a little coding for Ferengi class. He's like, uh, okay. He goes, let me teach you about this. Uh, open this station. And he goes, yeah, there's Melacorts, quad kill, quad copters, core element FTL nanoprocessors. Uh, and Morty goes, I'm not, you know, I understand. And Riker goes, oh, of course. Uh, let me show you how to use the isopalavial interface uh, to main ferromactyl intra. He goes, but don't touch that button. And then Morty even asks, he goes, well, what does the ferromactyl drive do? Just explain. He goes, well, it does the Ramstack core, puts a manifold, at a KR, you know, the KRGs. But meanwhile, he's using his right hand off to the side. He's like doing a redirection, like, you know, reprogramming something. Which I thought would be really tough. I said, I wonder if these screens give haptic feedback or haptic, whatever you say. Because otherwise, how would you know you're pressing the right buttons? And then are those like, uh, like what kind of, like, is it just what the middle button would give you the haptic feedback? Like, the, like how the middle buttons on a lot of things have like a zero or a five have like two dots and one dot or whatever. Uh, then they start, uh, like Picard's plans in effect, they start transporting Ferengi in, uh, to the, uh, like the shielded, uh, transporter room. Uh, first they do the one with the remote control car. Uh, then they go into engineering. Like they just put like a comm on their back and then they transport in row and guy and sneak up behind two, put comms on their back. They say tag. And then Alexander uh, does one in the schoolroom. Oh, he, he goes up to one. He goes, I found this in the schoolroom. Is it yours? And the Ferengi, of course, take it. Uh, then Keiko gives one Flumis, which puts it to sleep. Uh, there's a little comedy scene where the Ferengi keep walking into the force field and, you know, getting sh- shot back. Uh, uh, then Picard's at the computer. He's very pleased. And he shut off all the ships, you know, they, he, he transported a security field. That was first, I guess. Uh, and then Riker's still back at a computer explaining, which is like an ongoing thing. And Picard comes to the, uh, he has said, Alexander, I'm going to go to finish this off at the bridge. Uh, and then the door opens. Picard's there with the phaser. Frankie turns to Picard and then Riker does this like 80s move. Behind him, where he puts his hands, he interlocks his hands, and then uses that to like uh, to g- gently stroke the Ferengi's back, so he falls asleep. But he bumps into something first. Uh, then forty-one, forty-five. Uh, Damon's looking at the computer in Picard's ready room. He's making faces, and I said he must be looking up like fish tank schematics. Like I said, what is he like trying to figure out? I, I still think he's obsessed with the fish tank. And really good expressive faces for these Ferengi because Picard comes in and first Damon's uh, 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 stunned. Uh, and then Picard goes, I believe that's my chair. And then he's kind of like stupefied, like he smells some sort of, uh, like someone passed the gas. Uh, and once he realizes Picard has him, he like, uh, he puts his bottom teeth over his top teeth, like in this frown. And then there's a captain's log. Uh, we put Lurin, you know, Damon and Lurin or whatever into custody. Frankie denied any involvement. Uh, mining is back. We're closed. We got the crew back. Uh, now we can deal with the rest of the stuff.
And then we see Crusher and O'Brien, which they're programming the transporter, which they said is, uh, this is definitely a conflict of interest. Uh, uh, they're like, okay, we got the rest of their DNA programmed in there, whatever, RNA, telomeres, all that. Uh, and Picard goes in first. He goes energized. And Picard, Crusher looks very uh, conflicted, but confident. Uh, and then nervous, and then he energizes out, he energizes back. Uh, there's a nervous moment with O'Brien and Crusher, and then big smiles of relief. Uh, they look at each other. Picard comes in, he looks awkward. He runs his hand over his bald head. He says, oh, boy, okay, no more no more young hair. But he goes, you know, he doesn't, he goes, I'm John Luke again, not John Luke. And then it ends with, like, another nice scene. Uh, really liked this scene. Uh, Rose still in the playroom as a, as a tween. And she's one confusion. She was working with, with what seemed to be pastels, but they called him crayons. And Guinan, as an adult, comes in. And Rose in a really good place. And she goes, this is a picture of my mother I'm making, uh, that, like, when I was young that I remembered. Never drew a picture of her, uh, but now I wanted to. And guiding, you know, life lesson city here. She goes, That's the good thing about crayons, they can take you to more places than a starship. And Rogue goes, It's my turn. And Guinan's so kind and patient. She says, Only if you're ready. And Rogue goes, You know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Really good acting, really, really good. Uh, actually, let me we'll pause it here and let me just look up the actress. Uh, Megan Perlin is her name that played young Roe. It doesn't look like she has any listings, so maybe she stopped acting as a youth. Uh, a great job. Uh, and she go, Roe goes, well, we better get going. And Guinan goes, well, what's the hurry? She goes, the transporter's going to be there. She goes, uh, pass me the royal blue. And then uh, Guinan gives her a crayon. And Guinan goes, thank you. And she goes, then they're talking about other pictures she's drew. And the camera's slowly pulling out. Uh, it's kind of like Guinan is like bragging to, or uh, Rose kind of like, uh, this was like, uh, I think in a recent opening I talked about encouragement and praise. This was like a total encouragement. She goes, geez, did you do all these pictures? Oh, yeah, yeah Rose says. And Guinan gives her more encouragement. She goes, all of them, this is all the camera's pulling out uh, to a longer shot. And the episode ends. So really good episode, really different, and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, good night. Uh, I want to say some thank yous to uh, people that reviewed the show, com slash iTunes. Sammy Dahl uh, from Canada. Wish I had found this sooner. Such a great show. I fall asleep within 10 to 15 minutes when I could lay in bed for hours before. Just interesting enough to stop your mind from racing and then get slower to put you to sleep. Uh, thanks, Sammy Dahl. How about MAH 2015? I'm in love. Oh, boy. Yeah, sleep does not come easy. We tried white noise, pink noise, sleep hypnosis, sleeping pills, meditation, you name it. Uh, most of these aids don't don't work, and they also irritate me when I can't sleep. This is amazing. Puts me to sleep every night. I wake up, he just puts me to sleep again and again. Love a sense of humor, too. Great stuff. Thanks, Scooter. Thanks, M-A-H. Uh, how about Red Light, Red Light Mac? Uh, show Strange at Works. Uh, Someone in 2016 for distraction of my racing mind. Stumbled on after the Macy's Thanksgiving Day. Didn't think it would work. Uh, 
but I gave it a try. I think I read this review, but I read it like I can honestly admit I've yet to finish an episode. No clue how it ends. Listen to Back to Future episode eight or nine times without success of trying to listen to it. That's my paraphrase. Uh, uh, want more episodes like Back to the Future, Great Pumpkin, maybe uh, Superman. Uh, but it's interesting that I want it, but I'll never hear it. I doze off as soon as he gets the story section. Valuable show, very boring in a lot of left field kind of way, which makes me think of a baseball episode. Thank you. How about Jay Roar? Incredible. I don't think I made it 10 minutes into an episode without falling asleep. Having, uh, uh, dealing with a lot of different things has made nighttime rough for me the past few years with this podcast. Completely logically your mind. And before you know it, you wake up in the morning. You have no idea how you fell asleep and stayed asleep. Thanks so much. Uh, awesome. Uh, that's from uh, Put Your Nickname Here, 8675309. Got that one. That's a good, good one. Uh, really helpful for going and staying asleep, drowning out, snoring. I'm sensitive to sound, but this works wonderfully at home or elsewhere. So thankful. Thank you. And how about Les Jen uh, wind down? Uh, love listening this to fall asleep. I'm tempted to keep looking. When I'm tempted to keep looking at screens, gives me time to wind down, puts me to sleep before the area very end. Thank you. Uh, this one comes all the way from Singapore. Uh, I don't want to say a whole NG. says, uh, I discovered Spycast only recently. I don't know uh, how, uh, don't know there was Spycast or sleep before that, but it helped me sleep uh, to have something droning to listen to. Uh, the only problem is I put it on the lowest volume possible, but somehow it's not low enough uh, before it gets muted. Is there a way to fix it? Not really. I mean, uh, just check. Uh, I don't know if you're listening on headphones or a phone. Some headphones boost the volume, and some podcast apps can boost boost the volume. But I can get the volume pretty low when I'm edited, when I'm exporting it. So you should be able. It should either be how you're playing it. Uh, should give you a little more control over the volume. Uh, works every time. That's from Miss T Wombat from Australia. Keep coming back to this podcast. It works. Uh, if I can't pick you back to sleep, uh, perfect. If you have an anxious mind and want to quiet those thoughts, thanks, Scooter. Thanks, Wombat. Oh, that was Mrs. Wombat, not just, uh, how about Loopsy Lala Lucy? Hang on for that one, Loopsy Lala Lucy from the UK. Amazing. I've had trouble sleep for many years now. I've dealt with doctors, herbal remedies, uh, meditation, mindfulness, and prescriptions. Nothing worked well. But upon discovering sleep with me, I get to sleep in 20 minutes and wake up less during the night. It's very calming and de-stressing. Can't sleep without it now. Can't recommend enough. Thanks for providing such a helpful resource. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for reviewing the show. And if you do give value out the show, you know, think about becoming a patron over at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash patron. That's a huge help. And, uh, you know, think about it. But uh, good night. Thank you so much for listening. All right, folks, we're talking about, uh, this is going to be elementary, my dear Data. That's the episode we're talking about, episode, season three, season two, episode three. Uh, so, now, this isn't shore leave. It's rond. I don't know if it's rendezvous leave because the captain's log, it's star date 42-2-86.3. And they're three days early for a rendezvous uh, with the USS Victory. And so they got nothing to do. And then we start out in engineering. Uh, oh, also a couple of notes here before I get to the um, 
action. HD, the, the Enterprise looked great. The HD uh, sh- shots of the ship in this episode, phenomenal. Yeah, it's just really lit in a great way. Uh, we see Data walking with ver- with purpose uh, in Grenium in, in, in engineering. He runs into Ensign Clancy, who has a cat that ate the canary smile or grin. And she says, yeah, and Data goes, is there a problem? Jordy said, get down here. Or Captain, Chief Engineer LaForge said, urgent. Uh, and she's smiling. She goes, he's over there with the victory. And Data walks out, but he looks back at her uh, like uh, he's confused. He rolls up on Jordy, and Jordy goes, something's weird going on with your assistant. Uh, we're not going to run into victory for three days, but in uh, Jordy's chipper. There's no other way to describe it. Joyful, joyful Jordy, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. He says, yeah, she, she already thinks it arrived. Well, not the starship, the original and Jordy shows him a, I don't know, like, a, what scale it is, but it's a giant uh, model ship Jordy's built. Uh, Three-mast uh, sailing ship, yellow and black, three, uh, three floors of cannons. Uh, and Jordy and Data get down low, and they look at the deck of the ship, uh, and they're really looking close up at it. Jordy made it by hand. Uh, for Captain Zambada, the uh, c- captain of the Victory, an old friend of Jordy's, also reminded me, of the, I think I, I, maybe I talked about this in another episode or maybe I just thought about it, the War at Sea, the Art of War at Sea was an old computer game I used to play a lot, and the ship reminded me of it. It was a, it took a, a big learning curve on this game. And we're talking in the, I don't know if this was a VGA game. I think it was probably, maybe it was in the VGA era. Maybe it was in the CGA era. But uh, once you learned, this was one of these games that taught you uh, keyboard shortcuts. So it was good uh, to learn. Uh, so uh, Jordy and, uh, uh, this is just a great episode. It gets better every second. Uh, so uh, Jordy says, uh Let's see. You know, he's he's showing the ship to Data, and Data says, "You said it was urgent." Uh, and Jordy hands Data a blue cloth sack, and it is one of those. Uh, I don't know what you call these pipes, but a big ass pipe, like you'd blow bubbles out of. Uh, or if you're in, you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes, which uh, Data puts it in his mouth, uh, and he bites down hard, so it makes a sound. And this is when Joyful, Jordy's joy, 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 joy. Jordy's got it down in his heart for this episode. Because uh, he says, uh, Data says, my Watson. And Jordy says, I've shown you one of your, one of my dreams. He goes, let's go take part in one of yours. Uh, and Data says, yeah, yeah, sounds good. And Jordy says, Clancy will be gone a while. Uh, no, no, make sure nobody messes at the uh, uh, ship. And she says, where can we reach you? And Data's in character, and he gives this dramatic uh, voice. Uh, and he says, he can be reached at 20, 221B Baker Street. And you know we're in for a treat. And then we see Data and Jordy. At first I thought Data was in a robe, but it's really full costumes. Uh at the entrance to the holodeck, Jordy's in a suit, uh, like, as he's a uh, Watson. Uh, but Data has, like, a quilted robe, like a robe where the inside is like a quilt. Uh, 
I guess like this is like Homes After Dark. I thought that was on Cinemax back in the 1980s, uh, but that was a different. But but anyway, he he uh, they go into the uh, holodeck. They enter. Uh, what I can only assume is uh, Sherlock Holmes's office or lounge. Uh, very impressive, very detailed. There's books. There's either one or two fireplaces. There's glasses. There's uh, thick maroon curtains. There's an orchid. Uh, Data's happy. He runs the uh, stem of his pipe across the book spines. Uh, and then I said, two, is there two fireplaces or just uh, the switching of the camera? Uh, Jordy makes a, like a like a mistake that I think an engineer would have known. He like uh, opens the top of a bottle and sniffs it like close to his nose, uh, which I thought you're supposed to. I don't know. I don't think you're supposed to do that kind of stuff. Uh, then we have like a little fun sequence where Data picks up a violin and he goes to the fireplace and his back is to us. So I'm assuming they had a stunt violinist uh, there or vice. A stunt, a viol, music, music, musical double, body double. I don't know. Well, it's a really fun scene. J- Data starts to play the uh, violin. Jordy sits in a chair. His legs are crossed. He's very impressed with Data's uh, uh, playing. Data's in full robe. Uh, list. Oh, and uh, Jordy starts like uh, narrating a Sherlock Holmes adventure, uh, which is fun. Uh, talking about, I don't know, just a fun little sequence. Uh, in my hands of my friend Sherlock Holmes, a violin ceases to be a musical instrument, and then there's a knock at the door, and it's uh, Chief Inspector, Inspector Lestrade. This is at 750. He's with a Josh Brolin esque character, and uh, they, they, you know, Lestrade's like, we, we have some help, and Data says, I say, your perturbation, uh, like, he just says, like, he uses a lot of big words, and Jordy Brake, Brake's character goes, Data, did Holmes really talk like that? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and then Lestrade's like, you know, this Josh Roland-like character needs a hand. He's been dealing, dealing with some stuff. Uh, Jordy tries to turn on a light, and then Data solves the, the crime within four seconds. The guy's got a missing photograph that he's actually hiding on him. He steeps in political intrigue, but Jordy's not happy about it. He says, computer freeze program. Oh, also Data swaggered up to the dude and pulls his pocket back. That's how he reads, reveals it. But And then Jordy freezes the program, storms out. Then they're in 10 forward because Data's hurrying after him. Jordy, Jordy, what's wrong? Yeah. And in 10 forward, they're still in costume. Uh, and I thought when someone would at least go WTF or like someone that's close to them would be like, yo, what's up? Uh, what are you guys, just their party we don't know about? Like, like, uh, uh, also on their table, it's like a green scented table, a green scented candle and two different size uh, white and silver spheres, which I thought were interesting. Uh, but Jordy's not happy because he's like, I thought he goes, it does. It's not a fun game if you instantly solve everything, Data. You kind of ruined it. Like uh, it seemed like jo- Jordy's like uh, uh, advocating for his wants uh, in role play. It does, and he's because he wants it slow. You know, he wants a slow role play. 
data. If you can't take a hint, you should listen to this podcast with a little mystery added in, you know, for titillate, you know, for fun. He's, he wants a game. He doesn't want to just get right to the solution data. And believe me, I've been on the end of this speech, so don't worry, Data. It's, you'll, 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 who knows? But then Dr. Pulaski is listening in. And this is where, like, uh, I kind of lost respect for Dr. Pulaski. I'll just be honest. She, she just seems really passive aggressive here, or aggressive, passive, almost more aggressive than passive. But not in a direct way. I don't know what the right word is, uh, like subverting data a little bit or his, uh, int- I don't know, because she's like, uh, well, data could never, he's just, he can only play. He can't beat someone like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he's just a robot. And this is Jordy's best friend. So he goes, no, no, deductive reasoning is data's strength. Uh, and she goes, yeah, but he, Holmes had a soul, uh, and he, he understood, you know, that, that people do the good, you know, people, the great gray area we live in called life. Uh, Data doesn't understand that. Uh, he's just programmed. He doesn't have a human intuition. And Jordan goes, you're being unfair. And she goes, I don't think so. He wouldn't, he couldn't solve a book he hasn't memorized or something. And she, Data goes, well, I've memorized all the books, actually. And Jordy goes, well, maybe we could come up with something like a home style where you wouldn't know the outcome. And Velasque says, you know, he wouldn't be able to win. And Data, very, very uh, pre- appreciated. He says, I accept your challenge, doctor. Let's see. Uh, Jordy just wants some, Jordy wants today to show some effort, be appreciated. Uh, Pulaski was amused, but also rude, I said, uh, like when I was watching her body language. Uh, but don't worry, the the worm turns on this one. Also, uh, hopefully I'll remember to talk about the engine sounds in this. Uh, uh, as, but Data's happy he's, when he says, I accept your challenge. He's not, this is at 11.15. Uh, he says, I accept your challenge, Doctor. And uh, uh, Jordy says, good for you, buddy. And he goes, we're going to go back and I'll take the computer on. He goes, and you can be a witness, uh, Pulaski. And uh, she says, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And Data says, come, Watson. Uh, just love Data's look at this. He puts his pipe in his mouth with a snap. And then we cut to commercial. Oh, so the engine sounds. And I saw someone in our Facebook group posted a, like a long loop of it. Really distinct at the uh, ad breaks or the teaser, whatever you call it, the bumper between the ad breaks. Uh where they show the exterior of the ship. And I, I don't know if that's true, if you can hear noise in space or not. I think I've heard it both ways. I tell you what, at Earth's gravity or in the vacuum of space, my thoughts still don't make sense. So so we get back, and Data is in the full full Holmes outfit, full houndstooth Holmes, that's what I called it, except a Holmes, not Holmes. He's got the houndstooth overcoat or sooth, however you say, the double-billed cap, uh, uh, Data's in, or Jordy's in a standard Watson, which, you know, is like, uh, you know, it was standard Watson, you know what that is. And then uh, Pulaski's like in a, like a maroon dress, so she's a, a, a fluttering a fan. she got a feathered hat. They go out to the streets of London after they tell the computer, uh, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to do a Sherlock Holmes type mystery. 
and it's like a like very uh very cool london looks great uh they uh, are in front of the flaxville wheat market on tory muse street uh there's quality and service one of the places uh this is at 1237 uh there's like a, a meat like a meat pies and a, a mailbox and then Data's like standing behind, uh, grinning behind Jordy, and uh, Jordy has his hands in his vest pockets, uh, like double, like double pocket watches or something. Pulaski has gloves on. Something walks by. Uh, I don't know, like uh, fresh meat pies. I don't know. And then at fifteen, oh no, they're fifteen, sixteen. These are the house numbers. A chemist. Uh, then Data says there's a ruse going on. And they're at the League of the Redheaded, uh, the Redheaded League. Those are the, um, the, uh, the, that's the underworld hangout. I guess the Redheads are up to no trouble. Uh, but someone's setting up Jabez Wilson, who's walking down the street, and Data figures that out. He says he deduces it. Uh, yeah, but Pulaski says, nope, he didn't deduce anything. And she doesn't even do it in a calm way. She calls him a fraud. This is, I think, where that was it for Pulaski and I. Uh, she goes, you didn't do, do fraud. You didn't deduce anything. You just combine. It was a combination of two different uh, home stories. Fraud, she says again. And Data goes, I reasoned from the general to the specific. Isn't that what deduction is? Actually, he goes, I have a dictionary in my brain. And she goes, no, 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 no. She goes, inspiration, original thoughts are what Holmes was doing. You're just doing variations on a theme. She goes, you'd short-circuit an original mystery. It's elementary, my dear Data. And Jordy again steps up. He goes, hold on, hold your role. I guess Data, Jordy gets a little too into it. He goes, we'll see whose circuit's short out at the seashore. And then this is the first time I saw this, but Jordy calls for an arch, and a computer arch appears uh, where he can interface. But there's someone watching in the background. Um, you know, someone will soon figure out who that is. Uh, also, I didn't like how uh, Pulaski was talking about Data to Jordy like Data wasn't there. I guess they have a list of grievances. She, I'll tell you what, she's no Dr. Beverly Crusher. And I, I can only imagine her face when I ask for a second opinion. If I had, you know, if I was there on season two, I don't know what, like, uh, where is this? I just don't like. I guess I still like to stick up for data. I've got a little forge in me. Uh, get, uh, you get irritated. The point of data. You get over here. Calls for the arch. Uh, the man looks on from the distance. Jordy programs the computer. He says, Holmesian style, create a mystery to confound data with an opponent with the ability to defeat him. And the computer goes, what are the parameters? And Pulaski says, what does that mean? And Jordy says, uh, how far to take the game? It was, I don't know if this is exposition or what, but it, it, Pulaski goes, like, uh, limit the risk? And Jordy goes, no, no, no. Whatever is necessary to accomplish the directive, create an adversary capable of defeating data. They put no and no to Pulaski. Oh, that's the way she says it. He, she goes, what is Pulaski? You know, what does uh, that mean? He goes, no. And then there's a shot of the bridge where Worf is looking at some readout and it, ma- it makes a beep. He looks to Riker. Riker says, what's up? He goes, it was an odd surge of power. 
And then they walk off from the computer arch, and uh, there's two drunken sailors. What would you do with them? I don't know, but there's a man watching, the same man, stunned. He puts his hat on, and there's a woman there behind him. Oh, first they go back to the, uh, it doesn't matter, Lake Pulaski, Lake, but there's one behind him. She goes, uh, you are right, Professor? He goes, I feel like a new man. And he goes, Arch, and then the computer Arch appears. He goes, what do we have here? And the computer goes, computer standing by. And this, it turns out this is Moriarty. He says, what are you doing? And the computer says, if you refer to the Arch, it's a computer control. Uh, she goes, do you want to imp- do any input? She goes, no, not at this time. And the woman says, this is, you know, dark magic, Moriarty. And he goes, the best kind, I'm sure, but I need information. And Data and Jordy are walking and talking. No sign of Pulaski. Uh, then they call out. They find a shoe. And they go, geez, the doctor took a walk without her shoe. And Jordy goes, no, no, no. The doctor's messing with us, putting you on a goose chase to embarrass you. Uh, two men as Data dramatically grasps the shoe. Oh, he figures out, he says, she, she, she left with two men, which never, there's no payoff to that. Uh, uh, but maybe it's because it is actually a goose chase. Because uh, Jordy's like, she's going to be telling everyone. But then there's like a pull into J- 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 Data's face. He says, there's a game afoot. He goes, come Watson. Because he, he starts to deduce things from the way her, the shoe and the footsteps and the close-up is at 1835, uh, come Watson. And then uh, Jordy, like, uh, he, he looks even amused. Uh, he's breathing. Then there's a commercial break. Yeah, then we get a long shot of, like, a cobblestone lane, and then Data and Watson run to the end of the lane. And then Data, who's in character, uh, says, listen to those footfalls, Watson, we're on the right track. Uh, two two people, Pulaski's with them. And Jordy goes, is this because of the Holmes story? And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm deducing, bro. He goes, I hear shuffling and, and uh, you know, cobblestoning. He goes, uh, pure and simple. Uh, and then they run after the footfalls, and then they hear him again. They go, there they are again. Also, Jordy has to hustle to keep up with Data. Data breaks character for a second and then goes back into character a couple times, but, but like, on purpose. Uh, so this is another joyous reason to watch this episode. And there's a couple foghorn sounds. Uh, and then the Jordy scratches his head at some point when Data's doing some analysis. Then they hear the footfalls. Then they both run. Oh, this is like, and then they see Moriarty's profile, or I do. You, you, we see it, they don't. Uh, and they're led down a dead end. And, but then the uh, Lestrade shows up. He goes, uh, Professor Holmes, uh, I got us over here. He goes, Come on. And even then, like, uh, they say, Geez, what is the game? Is the game gone off on its own? Like, is this a choose your own adventure? And Data wants nothing to do with this. This is like a side thing. He, he like someone, somebody scraped their knee. He goes, "This is just a knee scrape here." He's like, "We got to carry on." But then, why, like Jordy wants to play, so he says, "I think I solved this knee scrape." He goes, "There's a banana peel," and uh, that. And then Data goes, "No, no, no." The, the, the Holmes goes, "I'm sorry, Jordy." 
who Jordy holds his lapels the whole time. And he says, this is what happened. He goes, it was a sneeze. And then this, uh, you know, so the yada, 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 saves the day. But while he's saving the day, he sees Moriarty watching over his shoulder. And he goes, this is a really uh, 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 strange thing. He goes, and now for strictly personal reasons, I must leave. That's right around 20. For strictly personal reasons, I must leave. That's like 22 minutes uh and as they head out, they break your character again, because uh, uh, Jordy goes, uh, Data goes, if this isn't connected, and uh, this is an independent program, and Data says, yeah. And Jordy goes, why? And Data goes, I don't know. And Jordy goes, do you know what's going to happen next? And no. And Jordy's excited about this. He goes, perfect. Uh, where to now? He goes, we'll find, he goes, Pulaski's in there. And Jordy goes, how do you know? He goes, it's uh, obvious. Uh, and he goes, why is it obvious? He goes, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to find, find our way. He goes, you know, he goes, you, you set up a nemesis and that's where our nemesis is. Holmes is nemesis, Professor Moriarty. And Jordy's real, Jordy's really excited. He goes, now this is getting interesting. And then they're in a warehouse. Data actually has a magnifying glass out. They find a hidden door in a bookcase and they roll into this luxury lab parlor it's got candelabras red carpets red chairs and moriarty watches uh and he nods at holmes and then uh, data breaks character because uh, moriarty goes the time for games is over or first maybe he doesn't break character right away he goes uh Data goes, Moriarty, right? And then, you know, Jordy's still playing both sides. And Moriarty goes, yep. And just like uh, I knew you were here, uh, welcome, um, Holmes, but not Holmes, and Watson, but not Watson. And then Jordy's like, what do you mean? Uh, and Data goes, where's Dr. Pulaski? And he goes, she's here. And Data goes, she probably didn't tell you anything. And Morty goes, she provided many answers. Uh don't you forget I'm your equal, Holmes. I've read her expressions. What she's not said is as important as her words. And Data goes, everything okay? And he goes, well, my mind's crowded with images. He goes, thoughts I can't understand but not purge. Uh, he goes, you two look and act so odd. And I've never seen you, but I'm familiar with you. It's confusing. He goes, I felt new realities at the edge of my consciousness ready to break through. He goes, surely, Holmes, if anybody can understand, it's you. And Jordy is shocked. He goes, Data, holy moly. And Data says, say nothing. And Moriarty says, I know there's a great power named computer, power, more powerful than the Oracle at Delphi. Uh, it controls all of this, and we can speak to it, Arch. And then the Arch appears. Uh, and Jordy goes, Data, can't, it shouldn't be able to call for the Arch, uh, and the first time I watched this, I didn't quite pick up on this, but uh, this is really interesting. Moriarty says, it described a great shape on which I am like a fly on a turtle's back adrift in a great emptiness. And we can't see the picture, but he goes, what is this, Holmes? And Data takes a piece of paper and, like, just heads right off. He, he's totally like, what? Oh, boy. And Jordy goes, Data, wait, wait, wait. And uh, Moriarty goes, why does that worry you, Holmes? 
And then they exit. Uh, Data tries to shut it down, but the computer won't shut the uh, holograph down. And they're walking the halls, him and Jordy. Uh, and Jordy's like, it's still running. And Data goes, yeah, we got to go tell the captain. And he goes, w- w- what's on the paper? And Jordy shows him, and it's like the, sh- the Enterprise. Uh, and Jordy's like, that's impossible. He goes, how does a character from London draw the Enterprise? Uh, and he goes, what about Pulaski? And Data goes, this is uh, like a serious business now, Jordy. we got to move. And Data says, this is serious business, Jordy. we got to get to the captain. So then they head to the captain... And there's a whole like a staff meeting, and Picard goes, "Why couldn't it shut down?" And the computer says, "We override protocol." And Picard says, "On whose authority?" And she says, uh, "The computer says Jordy LaForge." Uh, and Jordy goes, "Me." And then Picard goes, "Okay, well, let's slow this down. Start where it happened." And Jordy says, "Well, Doctor Pulaski was messing with my best friend about uh, data couldn't solve a mystery." And Picard goes, okay, so you asked the computer to solve a mystery. And Jordy goes, yeah, with the worthy opponent. And Picard says, worthy of a Holmes? And then Data goes, no, no, worthy of data. Or Jordy says, worthy of data. That's what it is. And Picard says, merde, I think, yeah, which is a bad word, I think, in French. Or maybe it's mierda, but uh, in Spanish, but... Uh, uh, Jordy's like, Captain, and uh, I'm so sorry. And he goes, okay, don't worry about it. Uh, he goes, the Moriarty called for the arch. Uh, and Data goes, or Picard says, okay, so he can get into the computer. And then Data's like, yeah, and with all their files, uh, I would have to try to find a way to create a true adversary. And Picard says, theorize Data, what are its limits? And he goes, well, it's still a fictional character with 19th century knowledge. And Riker goes, but tapping into 24th century knowledge. And uh, Data goes, yeah. He goes, uh, and then Worf goes, you know, I could sweep the holodeck. Uh, and Data goes, yeah, it's a bad idea. Pulaski's still down there. And then they say, uh, what about getting rid of the holograms? Uh, and Jordy goes, well, I don't think we could do that without Pulaski. You know, hologram wash isn't exactly good for people either. And then Troy goes, Captain, something's coming from the holodeck, a unifying force or a single consciousness trying to put everything in focus. And then Data goes, that's the explanation. In programming Moriarty to best me, it had to acquire something which I couldn't possess. And Picard goes, what's that? And he goes, consciousness. And then the ship, like, rocks up and down. And they see, geez, the holodeck, too, took over control of the ship for a second. And Picard says, Data, we better get down there. And Data goes, okay, I'll get out of this home. And then Picard goes, no, 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 I'll put, it, I'll put on a costume. We're going undercover. And then we're back in Moriarty's lab where there's, like, a wheel turning on, like, this steam-driven type machine. Velasquez sitting and Moriarty's getting her tea, says one lump or two, but she doesn't understand that. But still, she seems really amused, like this is still a game. This scene seems like it was a little bit, like it could have been earlier. It kind of seemed like it was, uh, it's out of order. Yeah, but she wants some scones, so they eat some scones. Moriarty plays with his hands, uh, 
and uh, calls for the arch, uh, punches some buttons, uh, but he can't remember the last command. Uh, then at uh, 3355, there's this Princess Bride moment, because uh, he tries to quiz Pulaski. He goes, yeah, geez, he goes, are we traveling in a great vessel? And she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, she said, uh, like, do you like these scones? She goes, you're way different than the Moriarty I read about. Uh, she, he goes, well, I'm not great, by the way. And he goes, I'm going to bring my, my world and your world. I'm going to use my world's knowledge to figure out yours. She goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, of course you do, madam. The more you proclaim your ignorance, the more you try to mislead lead me, the more I am on to you. Every silence speak vo- speaks volumes. And it just reminded me of that one scene with uh, the Iocane powder in uh, Princess Bride. And Pulaski says, well, anyway, thanks for the tea and crumpets. I'm going to be going. And he goes, where? Uh, to the Enterprise? He's got like a chalk drawing with some math on it about the Enterprise. And she goes, yeah, do you want to come? And he goes, in time, I'm going to leave and join you out there. Or are we already there? And she, Pulaski says, we're in London. She goes, what are you up to? And he goes, well, I sit the bait. I'm just waiting for your captain, Jean-Luc Picard, which I said, holy mackerel, how did you do know that? And Pulaski says, who's that? She, she's totally getting schooled. And he goes, how well you ought to know. And his hook is the steam machine. Then at 3458, Worf comes out of a room or elevator. He's putting on gray gloves. He's totally in a suit. He looks like a, he looks great. Uh, I put rad here in my notes. Uh, even Riker, he goes, nice suit. Uh, Worf goes, darn tootin'. No, he says, thank you. And Data says, shall we go? And Picard has like a top hat. He pops it open with his cane. Picard is so smooth. And he tells the computer to open the door and they go in. Uh, And the top of the London is fading. The characters kind of seem in rougher shape, a little bit like the Dickens Fair. Like like in the Dickens Fair, you don't look up. That's like the main thing. Uh, It's more fun if you, you stay at eye level. And people are kind of clutching on to one another. Uh, let's see. There's a Allen Stout store or something. They put note. Uh, uh, then uh, Picard bends down and picks up a coin. It's a tuppence. Uh, and Data says, what? He goes, two pence. Uh, good luck. We're going to need it. And then a ruffian comes and says, hey, give me your tuppence. And Data goes, no. Uh, and then they, they go on their way again. Oh yeah. That was the name of the, st- the pub noted Allen stout stores. So then there's a slope into the bookcase with a Creek, uh, in like steam kind of going through that's at 3710. And then they walk in and this was, you got to watch this 3710. Uh, it's a whole, this is probably one of the funniest scenes ever, like, uh, unintentionally. Like, because Pulaski's into, like, a mid, like, Pulaski's up to, like, they walk in, uh, Moriarty's at his machine. He looks up gently. I put double WTF, uh, G, GIF. You need to GIF this moment, uh, like, because Pulaski looks up, uh, 
And she like almost jumps up like she's bu- was busted by her parents coming in or ba- like she's a babysitter or something. And she's in like this uh, stupor and she's trying to get all the crumbs off of her uh, and button up her coat. It, it was like I, I must have watched it 20 times. Uh, uh, it's hilarious. I'm going to watch it right now. Here they go. They're walking in uh like uh very slowly into the lounge uh now moriarty's looking over at data he says captain picard and then uh, oh man you gotta watch it she jumps right up she's still chewing and she's trying to act like she wasn't up to anything uh but she quickly re- regains her digni- dignity and uh moriarty says yes i'm civilized i give scones out then he shakes the ship again and we see Troy and Riker on the bridge exchanging, you know, looks. He calls to Worf, who says, in no, ch- no change, uh, he has serious Troy look, uh, and uh, Riker's worried look. And then we're back in Moriarty's room. Picard's holding his gloves. The dude looks like as strapping as any hero I've ever seen in my life. Uh, like, so, so, like, a heroic, uh, but in first data standing behind him. And then as they talk, data steps up and capitulates to Moriarty and holds out his hand, which Moriarty's worried at. He looks at his machine. Yeah, but the, what's happening dialogue-wise is that if your character goes, dude, you're just, like, a conjured-up image to, to, to defeat Holmes, uh, and he goes, when we're done, we're going to turn this program off. Uh, so cut it out. Uh, and Data goes, yep, I capitulate to the better man, your victory. And more, more he goes, no, 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 it's gone beyond the, the game, Mr. Data. I'm not calling you Holmes. Uh, whatever I was when this began, I've grown. And I'm understanding things. I got the power to shake the ship, as you can see. And Picard goes, yeah, but uh, you're just trying to get my attention, shaking the ship. Uh, what, what do you want? And Moriarty goes, the same thing you do to exist. Uh, he goes, uh, he goes, you know, if the ship's not here, doesn't that matter to you? He goes, uh, which is a pun, because for matter is what I am not. Uh, computers taught me I'm made up of energy. And Picard takes off his hat uh yeah, Moriarty keeps his hand on his little lever for his machine. And uh, Data just stands there. He's like the rest of the like a few minutes while Picard speaks to Data. It's almost staring with unblink. He blinks a couple times, but most of the time he's just staring. Uh, like, you know, if you're stoic or what. Uh, but Picard says, uh, uh, he says, Jesus, what do I want? Matter, I'm made up of energy. And Picard goes, well, it's not entirely true. He goes, the holodeck uses a principle of kind of like a, trans- a device we call a transporter. He goes, when we live, we've learned that energy and matter are interchangeable. And he goes, in the holodeck, energy is converted to matter. He goes, thus you have substance, but only here. And then Picard, P- P- Pulaski's got to pipe in. Moriarty goes, if I'm not on the holodeck, and she, P- Pulaski says, then you cease to exist. And, you know, this isn't Picard's first uh, holodeck rodeo. So he says, dude, you're, you don't exist. Uh, you're only, and Moriarty goes, well, if you're, you're saying I'm only holographic, but how are you positive? And Picard goes, I'm positive. Uh, and Moriarty goes, well, what about data? He goes, is he, is he a life or is he a machine? And Picard goes, no, he is more. 
And Moriarty goes, exactly. Cogito ergo sum. Think, therefore, I am. And Ricard goes, yeah, but uh, this was a tough like way to like try to end this episode. Like, uh, really, like, uh, Moriarty goes, well, for me, that's all that matters. He goes, you had your computer program... Uh, a uh, 19th century nemesis, uh, but I'm no longer that creation. I've changed, and I'm aware of my own consciousness. And Picard, you know, brings him, drops some real reality on him. He goes, listen, I'm in charge of the ship and the crew. And Marty goes, well, I want my existence. Uh, Picard goes, well, I'm not sure that's possible. And Moriarty goes, well, then you're going to have to, you know, reboot me, Captain... And Picard goes, I don't think I can give you what you want anyway. And Morty goes, why? You can't convert holodeck matter into a permanent form? He goes, Picard goes, yeah, that's it. Uh, he goes, don't you? He goes, if you could do that, can you imagine the like uh, how many people would go on the holodeck, fall in love? And he goes, our ship, you know, couldn't handle the matter. And Moriarty goes, can you explain that to me again? And Picard goes, Ooh, in, in, in PG terms, he goes, you, he goes, uh, kind of like, uh, he goes, whatever was going on with the crumpets on the couch with Pulaski, imagine if she could take that with her. Uh, he goes, everybody on the ship would do that, and probably more than once. Uh, and Moriarty goes, well, that's not really fair for me. And Picard goes, yeah, it's a pity. It's too bad, uh. And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, I've been fascinated. He goes, I, I don't want to, like, uh, go back to being just playing up energy. And Picard goes, yeah, that's, uh, and then he goes, it's rough, man. But he goes, I, you know, I can't have any of these weird st- stuff that some of my crew's into walking around the ship. He goes, it's bad enough when Riker comes back from Risa. He goes, it almost ruined all of Starfleet, uh, and Moriarty goes, Madam, I've enjoyed your company. He goes, uh, computer, cancel the override and return control of the main computer. He goes, Captain, my fate is in your hands as it always was. And Picard calls Riker. He goes, Riker, I got it under control. And he goes, listen, man, the computer's got backup. He goes, tons of memory. Memory's cheap even now. He goes, uh... He goes, I'll have him do a double backup of you, put you in the cloud. And he goes, maybe we could bring you back. And then Picard goes, computer, uh, make sure you format all all drives to Moriarty as soon as he's gone. And then Moriarty goes, well, he didn't hear that part, though. So he goes, oh, maybe I'll see you again, madam. And Pulaski goes, nope, no one's going to see me after the season uh, because I'm too rude to data. In case you hear the glee in Scooter's voice at my misfortune. And Moriarty goes, well, I can share in it. But he goes, I'll still give you tons of crumpets in my dreams, my dear. And he goes, I des- detest long goodbyes. And Picard goes, no problem. Uh, computer, save Moriarty and then discontinue. And, like, uh, there's another shot of the ship because they have uh, control. And then Picard walks into engineering. He walks right up to Geordi. Uh, Jordy's working on his ship. He goes, Picard goes, is there any damage? Uh, and I don't know if, you know, this is like a figurative term too. And Jordy goes, she cracked a, a spar when the Enterprise was shaken, otherwise pretty good. And Picard goes, beautiful testimony to simpler times. And Jordy goes, yeah. 
He goes, geez, I just spoke one word, Captain, and uh, really messed it up. And Picard goes, well, she'll be in ship shape in Bristol fashion. And uh, Jordy goes, Bristol fashion, sir? And Picard goes, it's an old Navy phase, meaning everything in perfect order, it, like it is now, son. Uh, buck up, you did it. You're, you're all forgiven. Only person with a grudge is Moriarty against you, and he's been formatted. And then Jordy said, Captain, is it true that, you know, you could fall in love in the holodeck and you can't? And he goes, yeah, exactly. You can't bring what happens on the holodeck stays on the holodeck. You never, ever open Crusher 4. Uh, trust me. Or Riker, you know, Riker 6 stash, you know what? Uh, and Jordy goes, okay, Captain. And he goes, great. And then they call in. Victory has arrived. And Picard goes, on my way, number one. And Ricard, uh, as he smoothly walks out, he pats Jordy, uh, and the episode ends. So quite, quite a good episode. Uh, good night. Uh, I want to thank some people over on YouTube, anime lover, Sophia Z, uh, Shy Marshmallow, Dog's Mom, uh, Textual, uh, Red Steel, Cordelia, Ronnie, thanks and good night. Thanks and good night to all those people there. Uh, the Sorrel, uh, thanks and good night. Marion, Elizabeth, uh, Tim B, and the Sunday Scaries, thanks and good night. And Nikki, uh, Rogue Penguin, thanks and good night. Uh, Miguel C., Feldriz, uh, thanks, thanks and good night. Uh, Les, uh, thank you and good night. Agar, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, SCP-49, thanks and good night. Uh, Tegan, thank you and good night. Uh, Use your, thanks and good night. Danny, thanks and good night. Uh, Sam Ars, thanks and good night. Just a potato, thank you. Uh, C. Roy, thanks. Uh, Aaron, uh, thanks. Uh, uh, Kennedy, thanks. Uh, Uma, thank you. Clementine, thank you. Uh, Roland, thanks. Uh, Stargy, thank you. Uh, Chrissy K, Queen, thank you. Dog, thanks. Uh, Sam B, thank you. Princess P, thanks. K Kayla, thank you. KK. Uh, Corinne, thanks. Uh, David D, thank you. Uh, Betsy, hey Jay, thanks. Mikey, thanks. Megan G, thank you. Felicia, thanks. Uh, Brittany, thanks. Uh, Stephanie, thanks. And Betsy, thank you. Say what, thanks. Callie, thank you. Lupol, thanks. Melanie, thank you. Rabir, thank you. Awesome, Alyssa, thanks. Uh, Trav, thank you. Osa, thanks. Will, thank you. Crazy Cats, thanks. Azuri, thank you. Carlito, thank you. Uh, Thomas, uh, thanks. And Ellen, so thanks everybody for uh, the kind words on uh, YouTube. Thanks so much. All right, here we are. We're talking episode season six, episode fifteen. It came out uh, February fifteenth, nineteen ninety three.
And I was trying to think what I was doing. That's right around my birthday. That's why I was like, what was I doing February 13th, 1993? It was up to probably up to no good. I may have been in Buffalo uh, visiting someone. And uh, like, uh, anyway, like, uh, but I'm not positive. Uh, anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about Picard and Q, a Q episode without a Q in the title. And I didn't read any articles about this episode because I, I don't want to spoil myself. But, uh, you know, I guess it's more of a Picard-centric episode. But there's a lot of cute, and it's a blast from the past. Uh, and, again, this episode opens mid-action, as we have a couple times every season, it seems like. They're in the med bay. Very medical procedural action. Like, a, I don't know what year ER started. I don't know if that was late 90s or mid 90s or early 90s. Uh, Eric LaSalle, uh, G- G- George Clooney, Juliana Mar- Mar- Margul, Mar- I can't say her last name. Uh, Goose, uh, from Anthony, uh, oh boy, I'm sorry, Anthony. Uh, Goose, I- I can't, I'm sorry to call you Goose, but uh, actually, I think I also liked you in Revenge of the Nerds, so that's why like Anthony Edwards, of course. Thanks, Brain. That was a TV, TV. Here's a little uh, factoid. George Clooney was in two shows named ER. There was also a situational comedy called ER with the subtitle, It'll Leave You in Stitches. A lot of times I think these situational comedies are dreams because the only time I saw this ER was when I would be sick home from school on reruns on like the Lifetime channel or some random network like WOOR or something. Or, you know, one of the, like, cable channels you'd rarely tune into, they had a couple good situational comedies on during the day, reruns, and ER was one of them. And George Clooney was on that. Uh, it's just a fact. You can look it up. But Or, you know, it could be a fugue stated. That has happened before. But, oh, boy, what an episode. Opens in action, as I said. Uh, Dr. Crusher's putting on a turquoise lab coat or doctor's coat, which is the first time I noticed that. But I mean, you know, many things have passed me by. Everyone's in prep mode. Uh, number four, they're coming in through the number four, uh, energizing room or whatever. Uh, what is it called? The transfer t- transporter room number four coming in now. And they come in, Worf's, uh, cradling, uh, Picard. In his arms, because he said, well, he, he's, he's overtired. He was being pouty. Riker has a phaser out. Like, they come in like they were transported out right in mid-action with three other crew members. Again, I haven't watched these episodes continuously, so I don't know what's happened with Worf, but this is the first time I noticed he has a ponytail, which I don't think was always the case. So I assume there is a plot point that explains that, that I missed, uh... They lay Picard down. They they ran into some Lenarians. A bad conference. Uh, bad Lenarian conference. Compressitarians uh, is what they were dealing with. And uh, let's see, B, B, Ben, oh, Compressitarian Beam. Uh, Crusher's really working hard uh, while Picard takes a rest. Uh, and there's building music, and then the camera starts zooming from above, uh, showing Picard lying down. Then it fades to white, 
And when it fades back again, it's like iridescent white. And Picard's looking around. Everything around him is white, like he's inside a cloud. And there's sort of like an iridescent uh, figure with arms open at a distance. Uh, Very luminous. And who is it but our good friend Q, who holds out his hand for Picard to shake. And Picard takes his hand and... uh, uh, Q basically says, the camera, I think, pull, oh, no, he takes his hand and he pulls into Q. I don't know if the camera per card did that. And Q says, welcome to the big farm in the sky, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. And this is unintentional that these themes, episodes keep coming up, but uh, it just some taking recommendations. Uh, but Picard and Q, then the open episode opens, and Picard and Q are holding hands, but Picard pulls his hand back. Uh, and then I'll read through the dialogue, but his father appears and scolds him at some point. Uh, Q's iridescent look is reminds me of like a character from one of the Tron movies. Uh, just the, the level of glow. His father again is not pleased. Then there's more and more voices. I got to say something about John Delancey's hair here. Looks gorgeous. Uh, man, his hair looks good this episode. Probably the best head of hair I've ever seen on, on a member of the Continuum uh, today. But, it, no, really, like I, I said, it just struck me enough to write it down. I said, man, his hair looks great. Uh, something ahead. Picard looks down. Q toss. Oh, okay, heart. Uh, Okay, we'll get to the dialogue. So, Picard, or, you know, Q says, welcome to the big farm. And uh, Picard says, this isn't uh, the bit, you know. And he goes, yeah, yeah, by the way, I'm I'm your uh, higher power. And Picard goes, no. And then Q says, blasphemy, don't make me smite you. And he goes, you know, don't you remember with that, that conference? They sent you, to, they said, go do some research on the big farm, the Tenarians or something. And Picard says, I refuse to believe the afterlife is run by you. The universe is not so badly designed. And then his dad comes by. He says, don't go off to the academy, Jean-Luc. Uh, Starfleet's not going to be any good for you. But you never listen to me anyway. You're, you know, Mr. Big Shot. Uh, and he goes, don't you, don't you know, like, I'm your internal critic. I'm trying to protect you from this kind of stuff. Uh and Picard says, stop. Uh, and then the dad still says, you, you've still managed to disappoint me, Jean-Luc. And then there's a bunch of building voices, as I said. And Q says, these are all the people you let down. And uh, Picard says, what do you mean? And Q goes, you know, butterfly wings, bro. Uh, you, your butterfly wings have let all these people down. Nice job. Do you want to do one apology or multiple ones? Because they're all listening. And Picard says, I'm not going to perform for your amusement. Uh, And Q goes, this moment's for you. And Picard goes, you don't do anything. You've got something, you know, he goes, for the benefit of my soul. And Q goes, well, now that you've shuffled off the mortal coil, we're going to have plenty of time to spend together. And Picard goes, oh, boy, like what, uh. And Q goes, are you, forever, are you sure you don't have any regrets? Uh, And Picard goes, yeah, regret being here with you. And, you know, Q plays faux dramatic, you know, oh, John, you, Luke, uh, you you hurt my feelings. 
And again, I haven't seen all these episodes, so I didn't know Picard has an artificial heart. Uh, you know, I thought he had a heart of gold, but he has an artificial heart, and uh, cues like that malfunctioned, uh, unreliable technology. And Q goes, you never heard the story of what, uh, you know, what's up with this thing? And Picard was like, mistake I made when I was a kid. And then we, uh, let's see, let me get back to this. Uh, yeah, when he throws the heart, he throws, tosses the artificial heart to uh, Picard. Picard looks down when he brings it up. And he says, I, I, I regret a great many things, really. Uh, then we see young Picard kind of, uh, uh, do like when he loses his heart, like uh, it's with a Nasikin, like Princess Nasika. I don't know if it's the same thing, but uh, he uh, like he loses his heart. He laughs uh, when his feelings are when he's sad about his heart uh, from Cupid. You know who took it? Because uh, Cupid says, "I'm from Nasika. We're taking you know you know this is figurative, uh, not really." But uh, and you see the younger Picard. There's like an actor playing a younger Picard dashing his H E C K. And as he's lying there, Picard kneels down and looks at his younger self, and uh, uh, he goes, geez, uh, I wonder if I could do things uh, differently. And Q goes, uh, well, maybe what if I... Uh, and Picard goes, yeah, it's a really uh, different person, arrogant, undisciplined, and too much ego, too little wisdom, a bit like you, Q. And Q goes, yeah, it sounds way more interesting. Pity you had to change, uh and Q goes, if you had to do it all over again, and Picard goes, things would be different. And then next thing you know, Picard's in, uh, he, uh, let's see, how does this transfer happen? I think Picard, like, hold, holds his hand to his face, and then he's in a room with a woman who's just kind of rejected him. And he's holding his hand to his face, and the camera zooms in on him, and then they cut to commercial. And then when they come back, uh, there's two, oh, two blue thermoses on one of the tables. That's the first thing I noticed when they came back. Uh, Picard's hand is on his face. Uh, as a woman walks off, his two roommates or best friends clap, a male, male and a female. Uh, his, I liked his roommate has like a Starfleet belt buckle. So sweet. It looks like a giant A almost. His male roommate. Really cool. And Picard's so happy. He's, like, tickled pink. Uh, and he talks to his roommate, so, like, what has happened? He goes, oh, no, more trouble and romance. He he can't believe they, they call him Johnny. And Picard is very, he goes, Marta Batiandes or whatever. He, he says, uh, and she goes, are you okay? He goes, well, just I'm a little out of it. And Corey, that's the other dude's name, he goes, Johnny just wants your sympathy. He goes, we're going to go get go to the casino. You want to come? And Picard says, I'll catch up. And then Marta says, are you okay? He goes, eh. And then Corey says, he's got another date maybe. And she goes, you're incorrigible. And then Q appears. Uh, he's holding like a pointer. Or is it a stick? Uh, he's very curious about uh, um, Picard's dating life. Uh, and uh, Picard's 21 years old at this. Picard looks himself in the mirror. He's in a, he's a regular, the Jean-Luc we know. But uh, I guess uh, he's 21 years old. Then Q sits down at like a chess-like game that's made from crystals. Uh, 
And they kind of talk about history because Picard says, geez, I don't want to, like, I don't want to mess up history. Don't you know all the rules? And he goes, I can't change the past. Uh, you know, it'll change the future. And Picard goes, your ego is out of control. He goes, you're not that important. And Picard goes, I'm not going to alter history. And Q goes, well, uh, I, I promise you won't alter history. How's that sound? Uh, nothing you do. Uh, will alter history. Um, and he goes, you know you, where you are? And he goes, Starbase Earhart. I guess Amelia Earhart. He goes, this is where we're waiting for our assignments. And Q goes, or yeah, Q says, yeah, that's what, this is when you and the Nausicans run across each other. Do you think you're going to change things? Oh, when he said he called Picard's ego out, he used his pointer to sweep off the chessboard. He goes, very well, like when Picard says, uh, it won't alter history. Also, 1305, Q's face, as he says, of course, uh, just at a later time. Because Picard says, do you think I'm going to go on to the big farm, or will that stop that? And he says, of course, just at a later, later time. Then Picard starts asking, or Q starts asking Picard about his dating life, which was funny. And then Picard's like, geez, I'm waiting. He goes, what time is it? It is 1611, which is 411, I believe. And Picard's late for a date. I said, he makes dates at 411 or 4 p.m., which really throws me off. And he's at a bar. I made, I couldn't tell the age range here. Really all was throwing me off. But he's at the bar with a woman named Penny who looks like she's much older than 21. Like maybe, I don't know, 28 or 30 or something. And it also just seemed like, like I, could, I was like, is this a date or a professional visit? Uh, and she has very long earrings on. And she, she, Picard's like, uh, she's like, she's like, uh, she's like, aren't we going to get, you know, get down to the kissing business? Uh, and Picard goes, well, I've been, I feel contemplative. And she goes, well, that's not why I'm here. I'm here, uh. And he goes, well, I'm interested. And she goes, well, I'm from Rigo. My last name's Morak, and I like men in uniform, and I'm done talking. And then she goes in for a kiss, uh, and then she goes, uh, what am I, not, like, were you drunk last night or something? If uh, Picard says, you're a very handsome woman. She goes, is that what you say to older women? And he goes, you don't look like an older woman. And then she throws a drink in his face because uh, she says, geez, skip whatever. And Q's behind the bar, like, cleaning a cup, and he throws the rag at Picard. And he says, puerile, which we learned before. Like, we, I think we, did, we talked about that before, but uh, uh, whatever. And then there's, like, a Dom Jot game going on, uh, which is kind of like a, a somewhere between snooker and pool. And they're getting a lot of cheers, and, or bumper pool maybe too. And Picard's buddy, Corey, is kind of doing his best color of money. I don't know if color of money had come out yet. I think it had. Uh, he's doing his best color of money, Tom Cruise impression. And then I really like the Noskins talk. They go play Domjot Human. Uh, they're very uh, like uh, like high in testosterone style. But they're egging Corey on to play them and Dom Jot and then it zooms into Picard. They go to the uh, they go to commercial. 
And then we see his buddy, Corey, has taken a bet with the, with the Nasikins, and Picard tries to talk him out of it. Uh, he goes, this isn't a Nasikins are jerks. You know, you don't really want to play, uh, you don't want to play them. And uh, let's see. Then we see Q in the background. He's lounging against a barrel and uh, watching. And Picard kind of lays out what's going to happen. Um, I forgot when he was with Penny. Q says, Penny, for your thoughts. I forgot about that pun. But Picard basically says, geez, Corey's going to lose and he's going to che- they're cheating. And then he's going to cheat them back. And that's why all this trouble starts. And he goes, and so I, you know, I didn't take the sensible side. I took my friend's side. And Q goes, that's a beautiful story. Gets you right here. And he taps his heart, you know. Another pun. A lot of puns in this with Q. And then the Dom Jack game's getting really intense. Uh, and Corey loses because uh, Naskin says Dom Jot. When you win, I guess you say Dom Jot. Who man? Who man play Dom Jot? He says that again. And then we go back to the dorm room or their, you know, I guess it's more of a a barracks room, very nice, uh, more like a dorm room. And Corey tries to do like a little bit of a, like a little bit hot solo here or something. Cause he says, I played a lot of Dom Jot in a lot of places and I've never seen the balls roll that well for anyone. Just reminded me of a line from something, but I wasn't sure what, uh, and Corey goes, I'm going to cheat back. And Picard goes, no, 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 you can't do that. Uh, no way. And uh, Picard says, no way. Then Marta intervenes. Uh, and uh, Picard seems uh, Picard seems a little down, maybe. But then there's love in the air. Like, between, you can see, like, Corey leaves. He storms off. Because he's like, we're, you're not going to help me cheat? And Picard goes, no, we're officers now. we got to start acting like it. Uh, and you, yeah, that's when Marta like is like, don't worry about it. Uh, so he storms off, and uh, they just share a moment looking at each other. And uh, she see Picard goes, what's wrong? And she goes, well, usually you'd be the one up to no good. And Picard goes, yeah. And she goes, I always thought you were a, hid- a hidden responsibility. And uh, they go back and forth, you know, geez, maybe I'm getting older. She says, maybe it's these bars, you know, that are feeling heavy. And some Picard and Ensign Batandus. Sounds weird. And she goes, Jesus, too bad we couldn't get used to this new life together. And she goes, I mean, the three of us, Corey, too, totally. And then there's a moment, I guess, I, did I write down the timestamp for this? Because it is hilarious. I didn't. But I'll tell you it in a minute. It's coming up on the, the one that's playing. But the doorbell rings and Q comes in. And he goes, and my daughter's still saying this. She, she goes, is there John Luke, Luke Picard here? And he totally kills the moment, you know, because it was definitely getting romantic. And this is very 80s rom-con. Like we had some kind of wonderful, pretty in pink. Uh, what's, that? what's the one with the guy, McDreamy or whatever, McSteamy, one of those. What's that, Dream a Little Dream? Is that the one he's in? Uh, the one um, with, uh, what's that one with uh, that one, uh, Reese Witherspoon's in one, I think. Uh, so there's a lot of these, it's like uh, rom-cons that are based on, what is it, Pygmalion, uh, I think is the original. I mean, this is a little different. This is when you're in love with your best friend and uh, 
You just got to notice him. But so, uh, oh, he, so Q comes in as a flower delivery person, ruins the moment. He's got like a great outfit on, like a red bow tie, and uh, he plays Cupid. Which, what does that mean? Uh, let me check. The, let, I just want to get to the uh, right time stamp for you here. It's about 20. It's a 22.34. He even dances kind of inside to side. Really funny. Great, great, great moment. Um, please, Cupid. Let's see. So, so, oh, yeah, he goes, uh, geez, I didn't interrupt anything sordid, did I? And Picard goes, no. And Q goes, pity, she's quite attractive. And Picard goes, we're only friends. Uh, and Q goes, is that a regret from our use, I hear? And Picard goes, my friendship isn't a regret. And he goes, no, 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 no. I, you know what I mean. More than friends. Like a kissy, kissy. He goes, maybe you could change that. Was, I'm like, Q, are you, are you living vicariously for, through Jean-Luc? Uh, and Picard goes, what do you want? And Picard goes, your buddy, uh, is, Corey's messing with the table. He, he's, he's cheating anyway. So he tattletales on him. Then we see Picard, Johnny rolls up behind him. He goes, I got to stop you. And Corey's not happy about it. And they go back and forth. And Picard actually puts a hand on his shoulder. He goes, this is no joke. Uh, you're not cheating. I'll tell on you if I have to. And Corey says, have it your way, Instant Picard. He, he's really not happy. Uh, um, and then there's music, you know, to underscore that. Uh, then we're back in the dorm room. Picard's pacing. Marta's on her bed. She's kind of in her, uh, like, not in her uniform anymore, like in her hangout clothes. Uh like, so this is, again, I think this is a little bit of an 80s rom-com. I, I think it particularly, like, uh, some kind of wonderful. I don't really even I know if I even saw that. I think that was, like, the best friend that I had the biggest crush on. And, uh, like, I think I, I always thought Eric Stoltz was pretty cool, too. And I think that had the biggest hit song, maybe. Maybe not, though. Maybe they're unrelated. And which one was, which one, again, I just said this five minutes ago, and I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, okay, where were we? Where were we here? Okay, so yeah, okay, also a couple of things. So, so she's sitting on the bed, Marta. Picard's pacing, worrying about Corey. We get a cool a couple of cool shots out their window where there's like a set or a painting, like a map painting with a giant building and some sort of station. And lights really looked good. Uh, I mean, it just added a little bit. Like, like I mean, it was uh, unless the building was like very vault-like. It just made me curious. Uh, but they're talking, and then they like they see, Picard sits on her bed. They're talking next to each other, and they have like full, constant eye contact and big smiles. And uh, they both have beautiful eyes. Uh, I noticed, uh, like, uh, I guess that's the only way to say it. Both, uh, both characters or both actor, actor and actress have beautiful, beautiful eyes. Very different colors, but both in the blue, gray. Maybe not. Let me, let me like check John Luke's eyes. Uh, she, Marta's eyes are very like gray, blue, and beautiful. I guess John Luke's are more John Luke. Uh, or more of a gray-green, or maybe, a, I don't know. I, I'm watching right now, it's on my phone, so I can't see right as good. Also, for TP fans, Marta's rocking a little bit of an Audrey Horn style, you know, pre, I guess it was, it was the same time period. 
Like she has a like a Audrey Horn style look to her, which to me is kind of like a fem like a nineteen fifties uh, femme fatale. A little bit she not not in the, the character, just in I don't never mind. I'm I'm digging myself a hole of, uh, but they're lacking eye contact, and you could tell they're greatly attracted to one another, and they, like uh, it's just they say geez. Uh, she says, she's just so much more mature. It's very attractive. Uh, and she goes, have you ever thought about us getting together? And they gulp, like there's a big gulp. Uh, and Picard says, uh, yeah, I've thought about it for a long time. And she goes, why didn't you ever say so? And Picard goes, I don't know. Uh, at this moment, I, I don't, I don't, I, he says, and then they just start kissing. And because this is grown-up business, it, it, they skipped the grown-up business part, but it goes straight to the grown-up business. I was watching this with my daughter, too. So I was gulping, wondering what was going to happen next. Uh, oh, and when Picard says, uh, I don't know, at this moment, he was almost whispering. They put make-out city double exclamation point. Then it's the next morning, Picard's in in Marta, in, in a bed, uh, and there's another person that reaches over to like rub his ear, and it's Q, and it's just a great reveal, very fun. And there's also on the headboard of her bed, Marta's bed, is like this prism sculpture thing that I really liked uh, a lot. And Picard kind of reaches, rolls over. He's shirtless, and, and uh, to look at uh, Marta, and it's Q. After tickling his ear, he's got a big smile on. He pulls his sheets up over his chest, uh, and uh, then he finally lowers his blanket once he starts to feel comfortable. Because Q goes, geez, what's going on? You feeling guilty? You feeling good? He goes, no, no, I'm feeling fine. And Q goes, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, we're just friends, nothing more. Yeah, but Craig goes, don't worry about it. And Q goes, really, you're just friends, uh... And Q goes, well, what's up next? And Picard goes, well, things are going to be different now. And Q goes, oh, I'm sure about that. And then he vanishes. And then, uh, let's see, lowers the blanket. I don't know. They totally share a moment, it seemed like, uh, with that. Then Picard walks into, like, the bar again. The bar's very dungeon-like, I noticed, uh, and he tries to kiss Marta on the forehead, and she's having some second thoughts. She's also eating some sort of potatoes or space eggs uh, and drinking out of, like, a, a tin cup. Almost at first I thought it was a tankard. I don't know if it's some sort of table-side barbecue for breakfast, but Picard tries to take her hand, or he does take her hand. And uh, she says, she's a, like, yeah, I kind of think it was a bad idea. And Picard goes, I don't think so. And she goes, well, we're friends, and now our friendship's messed up. And Picard goes, maybe you shouldn't think about it. And she goes, well, I wish I could. And we're also we're separating tomorrow and going on our assignments. It would have been way easier if I didn't have to think about this. But these are predicaments we just naturally seem to put ourselves in as human beings. Uh, and Picard goes, geez, I wish I didn't, you know, you know, he feels uncomfortable. He feels uncomfortable making her uncomfortable. And he goes, maybe you could, maybe one of us should skip the party, the end of the goodbye party. And she goes, no, I, I, we planned it. I'll be there. And then she leaves. And then Q shows up again. 
and uh, Marta's very, she, she had like tears in her eyes. Picard was very stoic. Uh, but what was hilarious is like uh, after Marta leaves, you see over Picard's shoulder, Q sitting at another table. He's in like a maroon, like a velour suit with a gray, like fur vest. And he's eating like endive or something like a rabbit. Uh, he's eating like a leafy green from the stem, just like a rabbit would. He takes a big bite of it. And then we cut to the goodbye party. It's just Corey, Marta, and Jean-Luc. Uh, oh, Q also says, geez, you managed to uh, alienate your friends. Uh, you're doing really great. Try not to lose your heart. It seems like you might have already. But we see the goodbye party is very glum and awkward. And they're back at the same table where the same potatoes, I think, are cooking. The Nasikins roll in. They say, play Damjad Uhuman. We'll give you a bigger stick. Uh, and they say, no, Greg goes, no, no, not going to be any of that. Uh, and the Nasikins says, they're Undari, cowards. And Corey doesn't like that. Uh, and then they say, you've no grumba. And Corey's like, why don't we find out? And Picard goes, no, 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 no. Let's just make peace here. And then they say something about Marta. And uh, Picard like uh, pushes Corey out of the way. And Corey can't believe it. He goes, I don't know who you are anymore, but you're not my friend. And then Marty, Marta says, she goes, goodbye, Johnny. And they leave. And then Q's standing there, and he goes, Congratulations, you did it, Mon Capitan. You did it. And then we see the Enterprise, and we're on the bridge, and Worf is talking. Picard's in a green suit. He goes, Can I help you, Mr. Picard? Mr. Picard, note. Uh, and Data's looking on in the background. It's Picard's mixed up. He goes, Mr. Worf, uh, and he has, like, an iPad, and Worf looks like, he goes, This is for Commander LaForge. Uh, and Picard's like, what? And Worf goes, is there something wrong? And he goes, I'm not sure. Picard says, I'm not sure. What's my rank? And Worf goes, Lieutenant Junior Grade, Assistance Astrophysics Officer. And Data's very concerned. He goes, geez, are you feeling all right? And Picard goes, who's the captain of the ship? He goes, Thomas Holloway, which sounds familiar. So I definitely don't know who that is, but I do. And Data goes, maybe I should take you down to sick bay. And Picard goes, no, I can find my way down there myself. And Picard walks into mid bay. He goes, Beverly, Beverly, you're not going to believe this. And then who's sitting at Beverly's desk but Q? And he says, well, 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 in like a, a fake German accent. Uh, what seems to be the trouble, uh, Lieutenant Picard? And Q's in a doctor's outfit. He even has the round thing that doctors wear on their heads, uh, Bugs Bunny used to, with the strap. Uh, and uh, he's carrying a report. Oh, no, this is later. Uh, what does that mean, carrying reports? Yeah, but Picard says, what have you done? He goes, what you wanted. You're back at the present. You changed the past uh, for you. You changed your past uh who you were as a youth, and now you're the man you are today. You should be happy. you got a real heart, uh, and you can live out the rest of your life in safety, running tests and making analysis and giving reports to your superiors. And then he disappears, and Picard has, like, a great – he sighs or breathes and has this great feeling of uh, regret and awkwardness. Uh, then there's an ad. 
Then Picard walks into 10 forward, and Riker and Troy are drinking some amber liquid together. And Picard really looks awkward. I really enjoyed uh, how out of sorts he kind of looks. Uh, and uh, then he sits down, and he goes, I'd like to tell you about my future. And it, even this is great acting. Because uh, Troy's like, well, maybe I should go. He goes, no, 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 I want to hear your thoughts, too. And he goes, I want you to be straightforward with me. Uh, how do you how do you think I am as an officer? And they kind of look at each other and they're like, hmm. And Troy says, well, geez, you get good you get good reports. You're thorough and dedicated. And Riker says, steady, reliable. Uh, they're really at a loss. Punctual. And Ricard's like, punctual. Oh, great. Uh, and Ricard goes, what if I had bigger plans? You know, what advice do you think I could be? Uh, I could move up the ladder. And Riker goes, this is probably not the best place to talk about this. And Picard goes, well, I'd like to talk about it right now. He goes, I'd like to, you know, change change over. You know, I'd like to learn so, to engineering or security and go all the way to command. And Riker goes, frankly, uh, it's not realistic, bro. And he goes, why? He goes, uh, and then Troy goes, this isn't the place to discuss this. And Picard goes, well, it's important. I believe I can do more. And then Troy gets real with him. She goes, that's your problem all along. You have these lofty goals, uh, but you've never been willing uh, to take the risks to attain them. And Ricard says, Riker, what do you think? He goes, yeah, I have to agree. He goes, you got to take chances, man. And also, I really liked Troy's shirt. Uh, her her one, like it had a, she was wearing gray they had this purple V V around the neck, uh, and the material looked nice. It really, like, it was striking. Uh, like, uh, and they're like, maybe we could talk about this another time. It just goes back and forth. A lot of awkward looks. Uh, and then uh, they get called, like, uh, oh, also on the table is like a clock radio. But then they get called for a senior officer's meeting. Picard almost gets off. Uh, or gets up, uh, yeah, there's like a pyramid clock radio on the table. And then Picard's on the lift because Jordy calls him. He's like, dude, where's that report, bro? you got to get down here. And uh, he's on the lift alone, go to main engineering. He's looking very sad and frustrated. And he says, you really got me, Q. You think uh, you're going to make me live out the rest of my life as a dreary man and a tedious job? You win. And the lift opens, and there's the spiritual cue with his hands on his hips, all iridescent. He goes, I gave you a second chance, and now all you do is complain. And Brigard goes, I can't live out, like, I can't be that person bereft of passion and no imagination. It's not me. And right, or Q goes, ah, contraire. That's who you wanted to be. You wanted to take away the arrogance of youth, uh, and be less like Q. And he goes, you wanted to, you know, not deal with the Nausicaan. And uh, he goes, so that's the Picard that we see now. No brush with Nausicaans, real heart. Uh, didn't realize how fragile things were or how important every moment is. Never put his life in focus. He drifted around. Uh, you know, so this is like a life lesson part of the episode, you know, drift around, you know, didn't deal with the Malika 4, save the ambassadors, 
or, you know, take over the Stargazer Bridge. Uh, he goes, and no one offered him a command ever because he played it safe. And Q's like kind of right up in his face when he says that. Uh, he goes, I never noticed uh, by anyone. And we go, she's your right, Q. You gave me a chance to change, and I took it. Uh, but it was a mistake. It made a mistake. And the Q is walking away, and then he turns around, and he goes, are you asking me for something, Jean-Luc? He goes, yeah, give me, put me back. I want to go one more time back in... And Q goes, well, you know, it's a risk. And Picard goes, well, I'd rather be at the big farm as the man I was than be live that life. And so then we, uh, and Q is very Tron-like, very serious looks. Then they go back to the bar, uh, no gramba. And Picard goes postal. And there's like an 80s action scene, 80s action bar scene with Marta and Corey and Jean-Luc, uh, and the Nasikins uh, doing all sorts of, uh, you know, action moves. Uh, lots of, my daughter said, lots of stage uh, things. Uh, P -P like, uh, she liked it. She said, this is awesome. But she's a kid. She doesn't watch very much action movies. Uh, Picard, uh, something. Oh, Picard laughs again. He's like, like as he... Uh, because Cupid shows up and says, oh, let me, let me take your love uh, away. And we go back, as he's laughing, we go back to an overhead shot of the med bay, and Picard is laughing, lying, taking a nap in the med bay, smiling. Riker's there. He has a Harry Potter-like scar on his forehead, uh, which was interesting. And they say, Jean-Luc, you're back. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, so good to be back. And they said, you're going to be okay. And then we go to the Kaloza episode, uh, and Picard and, uh, Riker are having a heart to heart. Picard's touching all his fingertips together. And they go to Picard goes, I don't know if it was a dream or what. And Riker go or cues tricks. And Riker goes, Oh, you know, you never know when you're near the big farm, there's, there's strange things happen, but it's pretty detailed, uh, and he, like, Picard's like, I can't believe Q would give me a second chance or be compassionate. Uh, so if it was Q, I owe him uh, an apology or a debt of gratitude. And Riker says, in what sense? And Picard goes, well, he goes, there's many parts of my youth I'm not proud of. And uh, he goes, those were loose threads, untidy parts of me that I wanted to remove. But when I pulled on those threads... It unraveled the tapestry of my life. Uh, and we get the opening, the closing. It gives us the, and then Riker cracks up, though, because he says, I can't believe a young Jean-Luc messing with Nasikins. He goes, I would have liked to hang with that Jean-Luc. Uh, and Picard starts telling old stories. He goes, oh, that wasn't the first Nasikin trouble I had, bro. He goes, let me tell you about my sophomore year when I was on Morkin 5 or 6, uh, he goes, there was a Nasikin, and uh, he goes, outlying asteroids. Oh, he goes, sit back, Riker. But, yeah, so, they, like, the uh, close gives us the title and, like, the kind of meaning of the episode, and it comes to an end. It was a very good episode, and it had some nice moments. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did, too. Good night. All right, I want to thank everybody who reviewed the show over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I want to thank Justin TH from the U.S. Full of yes. 
This podcast is uh, so horrific. Whatever you say that word, sleepy, it delivers on the promise to gentle put you to sleep every freaking night. Thank you. Well, thanks, Justin. How about our brace? Uh, can't sleep. Uh, this podcast the best way to beat stress, anxiety in the world. At last, he, when trying to get some good sleep and recharge, uh, listen every night, and it's changed the quality of rest again. Please try. Thank you. How about this one? Zimbalina 13. Lucky number 13. Little Zimbalina. The Zimbal that danced. So soothing. I fall asleep every time I listen to this podcast. I haven't made it through a total episode. His voice is so soothing. I love listening to him talk. Well, thank you. Here's another funny one. Quaalude 76 from Ireland. Can't help but nod off. Love this podcast. Knocks me out cold every time. Even 4 a.m. Plagued with thoughts. Wide awake. Slap it on. Put your phone on for 20 minutes. And that's it. Snoozy time. And how about AF1212? Perfect. I feel hypnotized every time I listen. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks to everyone who reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts over on YouTube. Thanks to everybody that uh, is checking out those long episodes on YouTube. Uh, Sherry, thanks. Lizzie, Dashter, thank you. Justin C., uh, Jason C, Ty D, thank you and good night. Cupid, thank you and good night. Andrea W, thanks and good night. C Steel, thank you and good night. Uh, Nora R, thank you and good night. Uh, G A, thanks and good night. Susan K, thanks and good night. C Roy, thank you and good night. Pretty N, thanks and good night. Uh, Cupid again, thanks and good night. Uh, T T War, uh, Popcorn, thanks. Uh, Brooke, thank you. Osa, thank you. Adriana, thank you. Lisa, thanks. Stacy, thank you. Ralthon, thanks. Uh, Chrissy K, thank you. David D, thanks. Uh, little Masha, thanks. Ann P, thank you. CO, thanks. Uh, Teresa, thanks a lot. Uh, Chloe, thanks. Allie, Charlie, thanks and good night. Legendary, thanks. Uh, Idol, thank you. Uh, Joshua N, thanks. Navy, thank you. Tracy B, thanks. Billy with an IE, thank you. Bolts, uh, Bob, thanks and good night. Oh, Bob didn't like it actually. Gabby, thank you. Free G, thank you. Boris, uh, thanks. Uh, Alone, thank you. Uh, Tori, thanks. Uh, Stephanie, uh, Murphy, Mel, thank you. Anime, thank you. Sophia, thanks. Thanks and good night, everybody, for the support. Good night.